has been an awakening. Have you felt it? Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Forum UK podcast. I'm your host for the evening, Stuart Skinner, and this is episode 8, Jason and the Ugnaughts. Joining me tonight are the usual suspects. We've got the vegetarian who doesn't like vegetables. It's Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Next up, someone who has finally been awakened. It's Grant Criddle. Good evening, Grant. Hi, guys. Next up is the podcast member whose microphone is as useful as a condom machine in the Vatican. It's Ben Coomba. Good evening, Ben. Good evening, Stuart. Good evening, everyone else. And finally, we have Peter Davis. Pete, don't try to be too charming, too witty, or too intellectual tonight. Just be yourself. Good evening, mate. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen and children. Right, Pete, while I'm with you then, pal, what have you been up to this month? What have you been buying? What have I been buying? Oh, I've got some bread and I had some milk as well. And I think I bought some cheese earlier. Comical. Uh, Rich? <laughs> I've only got two items this month. Both I've been looking for for a reasonable price. And those are a dark brown hair Luke Farm boy and a Lily Lady Cloud Car Pilot. I was a little bit disappointed with the Cloud Car Pilot because um, obviously I bought it for the what it's often described as gold gloves. But there really is very, very little difference between the Cloud Car Pilot and uh, the Kenna version, the Lady version, when you actually put them side by side. So for all those who haven't got one, I really wouldn't go busting the gut to try and find one. Uh, Rich, did you realise that you couldn't scrape the gold paint off of his hands and send it to gold for cash on the telly? Is that why you were so disappointed? Uh, no. Well, I just know you're a bit frugal and tight with your cash, and I just sort of wondered if perhaps you thought that uh, you might be able to make a few quid out of it. Have you been splashing your cash this month, pal? Um, I, I bought, uh, yes, I bought some uh, some new marks to go with uh, the others. I got three tri-logos, the uh, Stormtrooper, the Darth Vader, and a Han Solo, which, um, yeah, really pleased with them, except for I've had a bit of a problem with the Han Solo, and that is that it's uh, the bubble's cracked in the post, unfortunately. It's one of the Meccano tri-logo ones with a slightly thinner, smaller square bubble, and it looks like the figure's moved in transit, and it's feet have just punched a little crack in the bottom of the uh in the bottom of the bubble so a bit disappointed with that the other two guys are really nice cards you should contact the seller you'd probably get 50 quid back for that kind of thing i, I have contacted the seller who was very understanding given that he's he's dipped out a bit as well on it um and yeah he offered me a, a refund of, of part of the money 50 pounds back and um yeah, I've accepted it. It's just unfortunate. It's unfortunate for the seller because obviously he's lost out on some of the value of his uh, of his mark. It's unfortunate for me because it's one that I've been after at a good price for a long time. And the Royal Mail strike again. Sorry, Chris. Not dissing the postman, but uh, yeah, it's just a bit of a bummer. Mr. Criddle, have you been purchasing anything in the last uh, four weeks? 
Uh, do you know what, Stu? I was having a big think then, and I don't actually think so. There's a, a PBB catalog I picked up, but mostly I'm um, hacking away at uh, paying off a Powers of Force proof, so I probably won't have a new, uh, new acquisition for quite some time. Fair enough. And uh, and Pete, are we going to get a sensible answer from you? <laughs> uh, now, the only thing I bought, which I haven't got yet, because uh, I'll pick it up... Oh. I might be picking up from Father's from I don't know, but uh, I think it's on its way somewhere from America. It was a uh, Bespin guard, which um, Ian was saying was it was kind of like a a little bit beaten up, but not in bad condition really. So uh, and that was used for one of my favourite figures when I was a kid. So I have managed to get a card. I have no idea why it doesn't fit to any focus. It's just I liked it, so stuff it. Oh, it was a black guard by the way, not not the white one. Well, down that deadly mock road. I know, I, I've, I've given in, I've been destroyed, Ian has got me, he, is, he, is, he owns my soul. What about you, Stu, another square foot of the garage disappeared this month? <laughs> um, actually, uh, I've been pretty good, actually. Um, I've hardly bought anything, only a couple of loose figures and a couple of oddball bits, nothing special. I thought well, you got a, um, um, a large amount of stuff the other day. Yeah, actually, it's <laughs> just reminded me of that Ben just saying about the corner of the garage. Yeah, I did buy a big job lot of bits and pieces from someone local. A lot of it was modern, which my lad's got. What? Like, there was a few bits in there that I wanted, so... Um, yeah, there's just annuals, sticker albums, a um, couple of figures. But, yeah, no, nothing particularly fantastic, but it was all right. I have, I have done my uh, Secret Santa... I have got all bits and pieces winging my way to that because that's been a bloody nightmare. And next month, next year, Rich, can you give me someone who's got a really nice, simple list? Okay? Yeah, Rich. I've um, I've actually enhanced my Secret Santa, so uh, they'll be getting a rather nice surprise soon. It's part of the fun of the Secret Santa, though, isn't it? Going to find something that you wouldn't uh, ordinarily be looking for. My Secret Santa has got a very special signed photo of the Star Wars Forum UK podcast host, Stuart Skinner. That's pretty rare. Only one out there at the moment. Yeah, very very lucky man. Well done. Oh man, you're giving it away now. Oh, I'm going to drop them. Um, who's bought the best prize out of you lot? Who's spent the most? I might drop my photo in your box. Stu, um, you can't sign an autograph because it's supposed to be a secret Santa. Kind of gives it away. It's fine because Stu hasn't figured out how to spell his name yet, so it's just going to be illegible. So if oh, anybody is- receives um, a photo that looks like a two-year-old's drawn on it with crayon. I know exactly who their secret Santa was. He's, right, a funny, he's a funny man, isn't he, tonight? He's <laughs> half an hour late. He's a funny man. Yeah, well, you get these ideas when you're ironing, don't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bloody Titani wannabes. <laughs> ironing action figures. He, he's probably ironing that bubble back on. He's probably bought a bubble to replace that cracked one. Now yeah. he's ironed it on. He's got, there's going to be one for sale on eBay. Exactly. Do you know he what does. I think he does? I reckon he's gone through like Google for hours and hours and he's... He's um, saved every image of every cracked bubble on every figure. Whenever he buys a figure, he makes that come through the post damaged. Because that's the kind of person he is, isn't it, Ben? Yeah, it is. It is. Don't say things like that. <laughs> You'll destroy sort of, my reputation. Sort of person who buys yak faces off dealers and rubs them in your face. No, we can't. Uh, we can't. Can't suggest that Tony might have been ironing tri-logo figures now. You, you know, there's all sorts of conspiracy theorists around. So uh, don't start any new rumours. Right, moving this on then. Uh, Rich, I believe you have this month's question for the boys. I do, and it's not going to be an easy one, hopefully, for you to answer. So, the question I've got is, excluding main characters from the original trilogy, which character would you like to see in the sequels 
purely because you'd like this collected, updated version of the action figure. We'll start that one off with Pete. No, you always start with me. Start with someone else. Bugger off. I start with you because I know that Ben and Shoe are both a lost cause. No. And Grant, uh, he's not really interested, so, so I'll go to you first. I've got to think now, haven't I? I've got to think. Uh, well, I, I, I'm just really looking forward to a grey-haired Han Solo and uh, a shriveled-up Princess Leia. Part so of I, I'm main characters, didn't you understand? Half of the main characters. You're not going to either of them. Wait, we'll come back to you. I don't know they're main characters. It's they, my they're... question. It's my question. And I did see main characters from the original trilogy. I didn't see main characters in the sequels. So I'll come back to you. Grant? Uh, pff, I don't know. I'm like Bar. Any reason for that? Yeah, I want, to, I want him to look like, you know, E.T. when they find him in the river. With Angelina Jolie having all of her plastic surgery lately, do you think that she's going to be the body double for Admiral Ackbar? She does. She does look like Admiral Ackbar because her eyes are on the side of her head. Yeah. Okay. She probably smells like fish as well. Stu? Um, I'm going to... Well, I was going to say Admiral Ackbar, so he's, uh, he's hurt me there. But I'm going to say um, Droopy McCall to see whether he's uh, aged as badly as Ben. Good answer. Good answer. Ben, have you got a uh, retort to that one? No, 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 no. He's just I, I can't battle that kind of wit, so I'll just I'll let him win. For my figure though, um, is I'd like to see an R five D four figure with a pop up lightsaber, because I know how much you like R five D four, and if it's got a pop up lightsaber, mainly maybe you'll uh, stop whinging about not having one. R five D four was the one I was possibly thinking of, but I've changed my mind. I went for another one, so. Um, I'm glad I haven't now, because I would hate to think that great minds think alike. Pete? Um, I would love to see uh, a one-armed Hothwomper come back and um, seek revenge on Luke Skywalker. That'll yeah, learn him. A 30-year-old Wampa who's, who's figured out how to travel th- through space. Yeah, what's wrong yeah. with that? You got a problem yeah. with that? You got a problem great with idea. that? That's a spin-off movie. Absolutely. What... I would like to see is an updated version of the AT-AT driver. Hmm. The reason being is because that would mean that there will be an updated AT-AT as well, and I would love to see uh, a new AT-AT. Um, you know, not one of these crappy things from the prequels, a, a proper old-fashioned AT-AT updated on the, new, on the new sequels. Do you know what? That's a good idea, Rich. I wonder if they'll actually put a gun on the back. A gun on the back of the AT-AT? Yeah, because all you have to do with an AT-AT is go behind it. And just keep firing away. Kind of got a weak spot right there, you know? Blind side like? and from the rear, eh, Grant? Yeah. Always a, always a tactic that's worked for you, has it? Hey, I wonder if that um, droid that we saw on the um, on the teaser trailer was actually the new AT-AT. Because one of, one of the weaknesses of the AT-AT was the legs. So if you remove the legs, it's not going to go anywhere. So you stick it on a ball. And perhaps that, um, perhaps that droid's not to scale. An all-terrain armoured slug. Yeah, an all-terrain armoured beach ball. So you're saying that footballs are basically going to be the uh, the feature of the new Star Wars song? You can imagine you can imagine the Qatar World Cup revolving around Star Wars football uh, droids, couldn't you? <laughs> no. <laughs> what are you on? Tell you what, I'd quite like to see one of the bounty hunters, apart from Boba Fett, one of the other five. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking the IG-88 was my second that I was going to go with, because I would like to say IG-88. I'm just not sure I'm, I'm a fan of the reason, um, because I would, the updated action figure. I don't think I'd want to see an updated IG-88. I think the original was good enough. 
I'd like to see um, some of the the maybe traditional droids or something with a bit bit more bolted on them, <laughs> just kind of like you know uh, gaffer taped on the side of them because that that would, that would meet in with the Star Wars universe. Not not retrofit, mate, but just you know big power pack added on the back. I'd like to see my nun married Lando. <laughs> That'd be good. I think I think I met a good couple. Well, is nine number guy or a girl? Oh, we don't know. I think it's one of those interchangeable ones, isn't it? Depending on what mood you're on. Well, I uh, I think that'll do for this intro, and let's hand over to Ben now for this month's LA. Ben. W Acrylic, carded, loose, foreign and mail away. For the security, protection and display needs of your Star Wars collectibles, Facebook GW Acrylic or contact them at info at gwacrylic.co.uk. On this month's latest acquisitions, the first thing that I'd like to touch on is uh, card backs, as there's been quite a few various types of card back that have been purchased since the last podcast and uh, shown off in the latest acquisitions thread. So the first one I'd like to talk about is a recent pickup by DJ Big Hair, which is a Glass Leaked Luke card back. Now these were released by Glass Leaked in Brazil, though the Brazilian a distributor for these for these figures and they turned up on power of the force livery it's quite a cool looking card back they actually used the same design of card back for all of their figures they just changed the sticker that had the name of the character so this one's a luke a luke farm boy the interesting thing about these these glass leaked cards are that there was only eight of them released they were released at Power of the Force time, but they obviously went with the most popular characters. So the eight that were released were C-3PO, R2, Chewbacca, Luke, Leia, Han and Vader, all of which made sense. But can anybody tell me, if they know, which the eighth was? Was it a Hoth Stormtrooper? It was a Hoth Stormtrooper. Somebody has been uh, doing their research. Um, yes, interestingly enough, on the back of the cards... They feature three figures that were never released, which is Luke Bespin, Ben Kenobi, and a Stormtrooper. However, the one that they actually released as the eighth was the Hoth Trooper. I'm wondering if this was in lieu of the Stormtrooper. Yeah, possibility there, Ben. Did you also know about the numbering system on the nameplate, how there's a number missing? I didn't. No. Well, you know, you mentioned the sticker there. That was probably um, put on manually because some of those stickers are quite uh, wonky. But the numbers start at 5161.15, and they go up to 5169.15. So obviously that's space for nine figures. There's no actual 5167. Completely missing. 
not entirely certain why that number was missed out, but it, it's possible that one of those three that you've just mentioned, you know, may, may have been planned to be that 5167 and was, and was pulled. Popular opinion seems to be that the missing figure was the Ben Kenobi, despite the yeah. fact that there were the two others on the back. But that seems to be the one that most people consider missing from the range. Have you seen the actual card back? The actual pictures on the card back itself? Yeah. It's the cheapest looking card back, I think, in the world versus the, the other ones that have, have been produced, the Kenner or the Palatoys or the Power of the Force. To me, it looks like something that, that, you know, maybe a, a bit bootleggy almost. Yeah, I can, I can understand what you're seeing with that. And you know, you know, it's a text underneath Luke Skywalker as well. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. Even though it was a Luke Farmboy figure included in there, the, the text actually says um, Jedi Knight. Oh, Cavaliero Jedi. Oh, well done. Is it uh, Spanish, that is it? Uh, I don't know. I'm just having a guess, but it sounded right. <laughs> yeah, probably is Spanish. Um, and do you know why they are only available in Power of the Force? Why there were no other kind of card box from Glassleet? Uh, go on, Rich. But because Gla- Glassleet only got the licence in 1987. Before 87, um, the stuff in Brazil was all bootleg, uh, model trim. Once Glassleet picked up the, the license, they wrestled control away from model trim, and I think it was a few court cases. So obviously it was the Power of the Force was the last uh, line to be released. So that's why you only see the Power of the Force Glassleet cards. I did not know that. That is good information. I was just thinking, I don't know if you guys know about this, but these Glassleet mocks seem to be uh, really rare. And I wonder if the card backs are even rarer. You tend to see um, more cracked glass leads up for sale than you do ones that are in mint condition. Whether that's the ones that are in that are in very good condition are, are being hung onto by collectors, or whether it's a particular bubble that's prone to cracking, I don't know. I've seen a few with cracked bubbles that have been offered for sale, but no, you're right. The actual card backs themselves don't seem to come up very often at all. And um, this one has actually got the bubble still attached, so. They've carefully pulled the bubble off to one side and, and opened it. I don't know if DJ Big Hair's intending on resealing it, but it would be a good candidate for a reseal. Yeah, I noticed that a lot with the glass lead. They, they, their bubbles seem to uh, come off quite easily. They seem to be uh, really brittle bubbles on them. Moving on to the next card backs. These card backs have been picked up by uh, JG, and they're R5D4 card backs. He's got a, a Harbour R5 card back, which is the Italian distributor. Uh, he's also got the 20 back small square card Meccano R5. These Meccano R5 card backs are pretty rare. They're one of the rarest square card backs, and, and I think one of the most difficult card backs to find for the R5 figure. Have you had a look at the back of the R5 uh, Meccano card back? Uh, no. No, there's there's two items of interest on the back. Does anyone know what I'm referring to? It's on the back of the Meccano 20-back, and you won't see them on any other card back. Is one of them the uh, Blue Snaggletooth? Yep, one of them's a Blue Snaggletooth. Blue Snaggletooth, as a figure, is on the back of the Meccano 20-back. And there were rumours a long time ago, I'm going back five, six, seven years possibly, that there was the possibility of a Meccano Blue Snaggletooth, but I think that's put put to bed now. It's highly, highly unlikely that the Blue Snags made it anyway, other than the Sears Cantina set. What about the second issue? I'm going to guess that it might be a Vinyl Cape Jawa. I've not seen it, though. Stu, that is absolutely crap. No. <laughs> I gave you a clue. It's a playset. Death Star? Yes. Which Death Star is actually on the back of Meccano? Palatoy. Uh, card back. 
it's the Palatoy, yeah. So, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but how would the people in France actually get a hold of the Palatoy Desto? I can correct you on that, Richard, because there was a Meccano version of the uh, cardboard Death Star. Was there, Ben? Actually, I did not know that. I knew it was in Canada, but I didn't realise that it was actually released in France. No, there was. Uh, there's a French Meccano-branded version of that particular piece. Uh, I think we actually mentioned it before when we covered the uh, cardboard Death Star in latest acquisitions, but it was available in France as well. Oh, right, OK. I learn something new every day. France, Canada and Australia, as well as uh, the UK. Uh, J underscore G, or his real name is Jonathan, uh, he's the guy I got the PBB uh, TIE Fighter card back from, and uh, his collection is abs- absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he collects really incredibly rare uh, card backs, and fingers crossed, I've sent him a message this week, and I'm thinking about having him on for the oddball section to talk about uh, card back collecting. Do you think that would be a good idea, guys? Yeah, I think at the moment, card back collecting seems to be getting more and more popular it's seen as some people as a cheap way to collect the card backs but some of these uh, rare foreign card backs such as the such as these Meccano and Harbert ones uh, a lot of the time I think these are the only opportunities for people to actually own the card back because although the card backs are still attracting quite a premium the actual sealed mocks of these are so rare they virtually never come up for sale and when they do they come up for mega bucks so I think this card back collecting is a way of people completing runs of um, card backs that they might not realistically even be able to find the complete run looking for mocks, let alone be able to afford them or be in the right place at the right time to be able to buy them. I think that would be something that people would be quite interested in. Yeah, he, you know, in my conversations with him, uh, a lot of the card backs that he's managed to find and collect, there are no carded versions of them, just card back versions, but these are incredibly rare card backs. He was asking me to chase down a um, German Jedi 45 back TIE Fighter pilot. I've never even seen one of those uh, exist on the card, but he says apparently it did exist on the card because three known examples of card back exists. So, yeah, these are ridiculously rare. Obviously, we're going to be um, doing the interview a bit later with uh, with Mr. Palatoy. Uh, I mean, another thing with regards to these card back collectors, in the light of the, of the Toy Tony incident that has occurred, the fact that people have collected these card backs and catalogued them so carefully has been instrumental into working out what potential cards were shop sold, what cards have potentially not been shop sold. So it's, it's been pretty important from that point of view with these things. Yeah, I never actually realised that how big card back collecting was, and it seems like there's a, you know, you have like prototype collectors or you have carded collectors or loose collectors, but there seems to be like a massive group of people that just collect ultra rare card backs, and uh, I was completely unaware of their existence. I know Jason's got a lot of extremely rare card backs. Moving on a bit, still on the subject of cards, but this time on the subject of proof cards. And a number of these have been picked up and appeared. Andy Plantman has three Klaatu Skiff guards, which he's recently picked up. I think Klaatu Skiff gets, uh, doesn't get a lot of love, Klaatus in general, so it's nice to see somebody putting such a fantastic collection together. He's got a... Uh, 79 back Return of the Jedi proof card, a 77 back Return of the Jedi proof card, and the nicest one of the three, in my opinion, might not be uh, in others, but he's got an unproduced Power of the Force proof card. These proof cards are basically the the precursors to uh, the actual production runs of the cards. The proof cards get printed to test the production facilities, and they don't get used, and then the card gets put into production, 
one of the attributes that you can spot with these things, um, quite often they've got square cut corners on the bottoms um, just because of the way that they're, they're cut. And sometimes they're hand cut, I believe, as well. Also, picking up proof cards has uh, been Bram. Um, he's got a 79-back Return of the Jedi B-Wing pilot and a really nice 21-back Jawa, Empire Strikes Back Jawa. So one of the transition card backs, as well as a 45-back Empire Strikes Back Sand People. Pete? Yeah, and just a general question, really, because I don't know. How is a proof card actually verified for being um, a genuine item? Because surely they must be one of the easiest things to, to reproduce or... Or copy or whatever, because you know you're only dealing with one one element as such, i.e., a print run, which obviously you can reproduce print runs quite easily. So, is there a COA with these things, or or is it just literally because people who hold them can be verified? I mean, what what is the story then? The verification, as far as I know, and Grant may correct me here. Basically, the proof cards are printed on a slightly different card stock. You can verify them as you would verify a a normal card back. So it is one of those things where if you've handled a few card backs, if you've seen a few card backs, you can differentiate between one that's repro and one that's not. Um, and also the way that they cut as well, the punches being in the correct place, the fonts are all as they should be. As I say, the bottoms of the cards are often not cut. And it's just one of those things where a reproduction against the real thing will, will stand out. They haven't managed to perfect the card backs as they as they were. If it says Revenge of the Jedi, it's a really good indication. You know, Brown picked up the Tuscan Raider and the Jawa uh, proof cards. What I found interesting was that um, Steve Denny article on Kenner Collector that suggested that more Empire Strikes Back proofs than there are of, uh, Return of the Jedi, which I found was quite interesting. Almost as many Empire proofs as there are Revenge proofs, which I didn't expect that. The concept artwork that Bram has bought this month. Um, we'll go on to that. He's picked up another two of the Star Wars Power of the Force mock-up pieces of uh, pre-production artwork. Now, we've covered this before because he picked up a few... He picked up a couple of pieces a few months ago. This time, he's got a Star Wars Epic Adventures piece and uh, a Star Wars Power of the Force concept logo. I'll just recap on these. Basically, back in... 1984 it would have been 1984-85 before the Power of the Force line was released Kenner commissioned a company to a design agency to come up with this new concept of a logo and they came up with several different ideas until they finally settled on the Power of the Force and they finally settled on the logo that we've got so Star Wars Epic Adventures is one of them it's a sort of basically a mock-up black card back and it's been hand-drawn as well so it's quite a cool piece and then he's got his Star Wars The Power of the Force logo, which was unused. I just noticed, if you write Power of the Force and the word art after it, you can make the word pot fart. But actually, what I was really going to say was, uh, I really like the Power of the Force one, but I think that Epic Adventures one is horrible. Thank God they didn't go with that. It doesn't look very nice, does it? I mean, as a piece of the history of the line, it's a very nice piece, but... The whole logo just looks horrible, absolutely horrible, and the colours as well. Yeah, that could have been really bad, to be honest. Pete, you made quite a cool observation on the forum about the uh, Star Wars Power of the Force piece. I cannot remember what it was, but I, it does look like The Force Awakens. It's uncanny how, how much like The Force Awakens it looks, actually, when you consider this was conceived back in 85, 84. So, uh, yeah, maybe J.J. Abrams is secretly a concept art collector. There's got to be something in that, isn't there? I mean, it's not the most original thing to do in the world, yeah, put the, the titles in the middle, but that is kind of, 
That is a little bit eerie, isn't it? That is so similar. If you get the two side by side on a screen, yes, you're right. It is it is very, very similar. So up next, an item that seems to have got a lot of response on the forum, on the latest acquisitions thread, is the laser blaster that Sublevel Studios picked up. I think this is a bit of a steal, this particular item. He picked it up for £100 off wow. eBay, which is, well, Grant, how cheap is that? I, I don't know, I would definitely pay £100 for that. I've had a look, and there's graded ones that graded poorly, about 75 that seem to have been on sale for around about five or $600. Wow. So he's got an absolute steal there. I'm sure this would grade at 75 looking at the picture, probably a bit more, but if you're into grading. So this is uh, an Empire Strikes Back laser blaster. It's in its shipping box as well, which is really, really cool. This is one of four laser blasters that they released as part of this line. Under, under the Star Wars livery, there was uh, a Han Solo. Um, it was called a laser blaster, but it was based on the Han Solo pilot blaster. Then there was, also on the Star Wars line, the three-position laser blaster, which is basically supposed to be a stormtrooper blaster. That was then rehashed when the Empire Strikes Back came along, and the laser blaster was born from that. So it's basically the same thing, but without the three positions. The final blaster, which came out in the Jedi range, was the Biker Scout laser pistol. I saw on eBay there's a three-position rifle that came out on the Empire Strikes Back box. Now, the seller's putting it down as a prototype. It's been AFA graded, and it says it's the only one in existence. I don't know whether it's used for a toy fair, and it's going for about $7,000. I don't know if you guys saw that. But is the, the Empire Strikes Back one the same as the three-position one, but just without the, the arm on it? Yeah, I don't know exactly how different it is, but it's a rehash of the same thing. So the actual, the actual blaster itself is the same. How they've There's an arm and a little bit on the front, I think, that they've removed or changed when they rehashed it. Do you know if this actually continued to Jedi? Because the Han Solo pistol seems to have gone to, you know, Luke and Empire, and then it's, I think it's rehashed again in Return of the Jedi. Was this one out in Return of the Jedi? This was out um, in Jedi livery. So you had the Han, that, as you say, the, the pilot blaster was in all three. The three-position rifle was only ever on a Star Wars apart from the one that you've mentioned, and this, this rehash was on Empire Strikes Back and Jedi with the, with the Biker Scout laser pistol also on, uh, on the Jedi. Do any of you guys collect any of these? I don't personally, but I think they're pretty cool items and maybe something that I'll probably look for loose eventually once I've uh, completed my other, my other focuses. Rich, would you collect these loose? Yeah, I will, Grant. It's another one of those items that appears to be dirt cheap in the States, but over here it's like three or four times the price. So um, I think Todd said that he um, he sees them fairly frequently, so I'll send him a PM when I'm ready for one. Yeah, it's the same with those lightsabers as well, the Force lightsabers. They seem to go for crazy money in this country. Not only was it rehashed from the three-position laser rifle to this laser rifle, it was also rehashed... Uh, or recycled, I should say, as a Batman Sonic Neutralizer some years later. And to make it slightly less offensive, they decided to put like a round dish thing on the end of the, on the end of the barrel of the gun to make it look a bit more like, well, a bit less like a gun, I guess. Yeah, it found its way into, uh, into the, the Batman range of toys as well. Another pickup, which is something a little bit different that I picked out of the latest acquisitions thread, is a Power of the Force coin that Conrad Rithblatt has picked up. Now, it's a Star Wars Creatures coin, 
This is one of the coins that was only available as a mail away offer. So in order to get this, you had to send proof of purchases off the Kenner. And it's what they call a category free coin. It's, it was a mail away only. The category one and category two coins were the coins that featured on the Power of the Force cards. These coins were quite readily available from the figures and also given away as part of the mail away. And obviously there were more of those struck and available than these, these slightly rarer Cat 3 coins. So you'd send your proof of purchases off to Kenner and the chances are that you would get sent back one of the Category 1 or Category 2 coins which you could have picked up by just buying the figure basically and there was no way of choosing them so you got what Kenner sent you. But they would also every now and again send one of these Category 3 coins out of which this, this creature's coin is. Ben, there's two Star Wars Creatures coins. How do you know it's not a Category 6 coin? Basically, it's down to the wording on the back. I haven't got the exact wording in front of me, which I probably should have, because I should have expected that question from you, and I'm sure you're probably going to correct me in a second. I've got it, so I'll I'll save you embarrassment. No, no, no. The difference is the word cafe is used on the Category 6 one. The word cantina is used on the Category 3 one. Uh, so it's something like um, these these creatures hang around in the cantina or these creatures hang around in the cafe. The reason is thought to be that the cafe coin was produced first, the mistake was realised and then corrected and cantina was put in, but the cafe coins, some of them actually ended up being sent out as a mail away. But they are very, very rare and attract quite a huge premium. The cantina has them as being suspicious of outsiders, whereas the cafe coin has them um, having great disdain for outsiders. So there was another change of word there as well. Do we know which one Conrad got, the Category 3 or the 6? He got the Category 3 coin. Although it's more common, it's still quite a rare coin. The Category 6 one goes for, uh, I think it goes for in excess of $1,000 when it's available. Wow. With regards to these coins, if anyone's interested in collecting them or, or interested in looking up the coins and the rarity and the value, you've got the, the book that was written as well, the Coining the Galaxy book, but there's also, I believe there's a uh, Facebook group, Power of the Force Coins Facebook group, and they have a spreadsheet that, that is publicly available as far as I know, but it features the selling prices of some of the rarer coins when they've known to sell recently so you can actually look at that and see where, where there's certain coins where only two or three of them will come up for sale a year if they track the sale and the sale's been open they'll put on how much it's sold for so you can see approximately what the coins have been going for it's, it's quite a good resource if you want to know how much the coins are worth uh, but I've noticed as well that there's different sort of um, presses as well there's like bronze ones uh, that seem to be crazily rare I think some of the um, odd colour struck ones are prototypes or, yeah. or runs that were done that were never actually done as full runs. Do any of you guys collect coins? Uh, only with them still on the card. Oh, they're easy uh, to get I... off, mate. You just rip the card. <laughs> oh, yeah, I suspect you do, don't you, Grant? <laughs> never going to happen, never happened. I'd purchased something off EB. I can't even remember what it was, but there was a coin included in it. And I've got it lying somewhere, but it's, I've got no idea where it is. He keeps trying to spend it, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stuart, you've got loads of coins in your bloody shed, you just don't know it. Probably francs and a bit of lira out there, but that's about it, mate. Why aren't you collecting coins, Stu? 
Uh, look, you do this to me every time we speak. I don't need another <laughs> another focus at the moment, Grant. If you look, right, you can get really nice little uh, cases to put them in and then a nice little stand to put them in and they look really good. Why don't you walk around Father's Throne with me and find one and then make me buy it, Grant? I'll give you a droids one. I've got a spare droids one. I can't stand the thing. You can have it if you want. Kez Eban or something. <laughs> can I have a Greedo one? No, that would cost a fortune. The thing is with the coins, really, you're going to have to get two sets to display them because you're going to have to display the fronts in a case and then you're going to have to display the back in the case as well. That's a good point, Rich. Alternatively, you could have like a case that you could turn round. So like maybe a glass case where you've got them pressed in the middle, but it's it's sort of like those those mirrors you can rotate so you can turn it round and enjoy the front or the back, whichever you prefer. That's a good point, Ben. Not as fun. I don't know, it spins. That's quite fun. You must use the force. 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 the force. You must use 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 this is spaceships, it's monsters, it's Star Wars, we love it, come and help me. Obi-Wan, X-Wing fighter, and a blaster gun, dance with Ewoks, so we're fun. This is spaceships, it's monsters, it's Star Wars, we love it. Get in there, you big furry oaf, I couldn't care less what you smell. I take orders from only me. Maybe you'd like it back in your cell, your highness. Your worshipfulness, your highness. Your worshipfulness. No one cares if you upset a droid. Cares if you upset That's because a droid. droids don't tear your arms out of socket. Nobody cares. I suggest a new strategy. Let the Wookiee win. That's because nobody cares if you upset a droid. I was gonna go to Tashi Station for power converters Now I guess I'm going nowhere It just isn't fair Wookie, 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 Wookie,
Someone move this walking carpet. 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 Kiss your brother, kiss your brother, kiss your sister, kiss your brother. Well, I guess you don't know anything about women. Kiss your brother, kiss your brother, kiss your brother. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? I'm your father, it is useless to resist Come with me, my son, we will rule Search your feelings, it is true So you have a twin sister who Obi-Wan was wise to hide If you will not turn, then perhaps she will Give in to your hate, you are mine That was John Williams is the man. Big thanks to Uber fan Corey Vidal and Moosebutter for allowing us to use their amazing song. You can check out Corey's awesome work by looking up Corey Vidal or the song John Williams is the man on YouTube and Moosebutter on www.moosebutter.com. Moose Butter have John Williams is the man on iTunes for 99p on their album CD, that's spelled S-E-E-D-E-E. We'd be grateful if you could check out all these guys' work and give them a like on their Facebook page. More awesome Star Wars tracks to come each and every month here on SWFUK Podcast. If you have a song or see one you think should be on the show, please email us at SWFUKPodcast at gmail.com. Let's promote and support the genius in Star Wars fandom and show these guys that the Force is with them. So now onto this month's interview, I'm delighted to welcome a well-respected Star Wars Forum UK member and a friend of the podcast, it's Jason Smith. Good evening, Jason. Hello, how you doing? Not too bad. Um, also joining us for this interview is the podcast, Ben Coomba. Good evening, Benji. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, Jason. Hi there, how you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Jason's been a Forum member since 2007, has a car back and palatoy obsession, as well as a 2-1-B focus. He has an immense love of Ewoks likes dressing up, and is a regular attendee of science fiction-based events. He starts up one of the earliest Star Wars Facebook groups, and is now working hard to unravel the mystery of Toy Tony and help the community to avoid these tampered-with figures. Quite a resume there, Jason, and I've missed out quite a few bits of it. Yeah, I've been busy over the years. You know, I've kind of had, um, you know, periods where I've been very busy, and periods when I've, it's been quieter, and um, the last year's been very busy. So, um, that's good. Now... As a Star Wars fan, although this podcast isn't due out till mid-December, it is only the 2nd or 3rd of December today, and uh, last Friday, the new trailer landed. Um, yes, I, I watched it live at work, and my work colleagues got to see me react to it, and 
Absolutely awesome. It's just you know it, it's so long since we've seen any new Star Wars footage. It was just it was just great to see. So um, down with all the haters. Yeah, I agree. So you love you love the whole thing. Yeah, I mean you know obviously the the scene with the the X wings skimming over the water was really good, and then the the final iconic spinning round Falcon shot. But you know that that uh, broad the broadsword lightsaber was interesting. You know it was good to see and. Oh, of course! Everyone online has been uh, going on about the little, the little, the little round spinny droid, and uh, you know, and I, you know, I, th- I think it's like it's the Scrappy Doo, you know, to Scooby Doo for R two D two. There, I think he's going to be a little, a little R two D two sidekick. So, yes, you go to a lot of events. I've noticed an awful lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I go, I go to the the vintage type ones. So I go to all the farthest brands, and I, you know, I've. I've been to both European celebrations and I'm going to Celebration 7 in America and be my first time I've gone to one in the States, so I'm really excited about that. But then I also go to uh, all the, the Comic-Con stuff, so I go to all the London Film and Comic-Con events, there's two of those a year, all the MCM ones, there's two of those, and there's another one called L- London Super Comic-Con, so you know, I'm, I'm going to something every couple of months, that, certainly. What, what do you look for in a an event? Well, I, I've kind of got two kind of there. I mean, it, it used to be the case. I mean, and, and I think I think a lot of these things have changed over the la- even the last few years. That people used to go to these things because it was about you know back in the day it would have been I'd have been there you know looking for vintage Star Wars. And I think the way kind of geekdom has taken off and is such such more popular thing now. The number of people going to these events. It has increased and the focus has changed. So nowadays it's all about pop culture and it's all about cosplay. And those are things that bring in all the people and all the money. So, you know, even the dealers that I know that used to bring solely vintage now, they're all, you know, they're all selling non-vintage things just because that's how they can make their money. And I, I think that's fine. I think the fact that, you know, we have, we have a niche place where, you know, it's solely vintage in, in the farthest from shows that uh, Dave Tree puts on in Fording Bridge. It, it's great. And, you know, you, so if I, if I go to a, a Comic-Con now, I don't expect to see any vintage because I've got this other focus where I do cosplay and, I know, you know, I know lots of people who do cosplay and that, that's what I'm there for. I might, you know, I might go and get an autograph if it's someone I'm particularly interested in. So that's my kind of focus on Comic-Cons now rather than vintage Star Wars. If, if it's there, it's a nice bonus if you see something, but, you know, it's not really why I'm there now for those kind of events. When you go to these Comic-Cons, you're, you're into other things, not just Star Wars as well, aren't you? You've got quite a broad interest. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the, the reason I was involved in cosplay was because I, I started out um, probably about four or five years ago when True Blood came out, which is a vampire show, and um, Showmasters or Massive Events started doing uh, an annual uh, convention for True Blood and as part of that they'd have you know they'd have different theme parties for each night and you were encouraged to you know dress up in character and I, I just look very much like one of the characters called Andy Belfleur who's the sheriff so I thought well I'll, I'll dress up as him and of course over the over the course of the of the of the show and the different seasons what he wore kind of changed he started out in season one as a detective so he just had you know, the detective's kind of costume. And then 
you know, he then kind of left that and, you know, he, he kind of had an arm cast on and a kind of Hawaiian shirt. And then later seasons, he then became the sheriff and had a proper sheriff's costume. So it was something I was able to kind of change over the years. And I kind of started wearing that to the regular Comic-Cons. And then I kind of got into other things as well. So, you know, next year, Jurassic World is coming out, which will be the first Jurassic Jurassic Park movie for many, many years. And there's a group of us doing um, a cosplay group on that. So I'm, I'm Dodson, who's the super sneaky secret agent who... Um, had the, the Barbasol shaving foam can that kind of opened up and had all the dino D- DNA in it, so... I love the fact there's a group of you that uh, dress up together. Yeah, and the thing is, with groups, they're just, they're, you know, you can do stuff individually, but if you're doing it with someone else, it's just so much more fun. I do... Another thing I do is I do Shrek and Fiona with my wife, and, you know, having us both there, you know, in in full makeup doing Shrek and Fiona, you get so much more attention as a pair than you, even if you, even as you do um, separately. So it, it, it's lots of fun. I've um, actually seen Jason and his uh, Jurassic Park gang firsthand, fully costumed up, and it is quite a uh, it's quite a cool costume, and it works quite well as a group as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for that particular one, the I mean, the the, the guy who organised it is very into being as screen accurate as possible, so. Everything that I'm wearing is as accurate as I can I can make it without, you know. I think I think his hat, which is a kind of Mexican straw hat, vintage hat, it has a headband round it, which turns out it was actually custom made for the movie, and it's actually an intertwined uh, dinosaur DNA helix. So the only way I'd be able to get one of those would be to have one of those custom made. So I've got something that's similar, but you know. Especially when you look at, um, you know, all the, the, the Star Wars cosplay out there, they are absolutely screen accurate. And, you know, I think when we were in um, Celebration 2 and Kathleen Kennedy was looking at, you know, the, the, the droids collectors club who, who are now building the droids for the new, the new movie, she said, you know, these things are better than the ones that we had in the original films, you know. So people put a lot of effort into it and uh, have a lot of fun doing it, I think. Yeah, I must admit, it fascinates me when I go to these uh, these events and see the amount of effort some people put in. But uh, so we've got we've got the sheriff, your uh, Jurassic Park character, and Shrek. Any others you've ever dressed up as? Um, I I mean a lot a lot of people will do they'll do a cosplay once and then they'll move on and do another one. But I mean I, I tend to use the same ones over and over again. I have got one that I'm going to do next year, and basically what what it is when I'm dressed up as. Andy Belfleur, people will come and go, oh, you're that sheriff, you know, you're the sheriff of the the Walking Dead, you're Rick Grimes. Because all sheriffs have, you know, they have a brown shirt on, they look very similar. And I, you know, I kind of go, no, I'm Andy Belfleur of True Blood. When you get asked so many times, and the tenth time, you just go, yes, I'm Rick Grimes. But then another guy came up and he said, oh, you're, you're that sheriff of the TV show, you know, that, that one, Eureka. And Eureka is a show that hasn't been on for like five years. And I was just like, wow, that's a blast from the past. But then the last con, somebody came up and said, are you that sheriff off the film? You know, the Bond film? And they, they thought I was J.W. Pepper, who's the guy who goes, yeah. gee whiz, James Bond from some kind of secret agent? What are you, boy, some kind of doomsday machine? You know, the, you know, he, he would chew tobacco and spit it out, and he was in two of the Bond movies. Yeah. And he has a kind of blue shirt and a kind of... Um, 
Blue Stetson, and I've, I've kind of specced it all out, and I think I'm going to do J.W. Pepper next year, so that's going to be a lot of fun. You you put a picture up on the forum of you dressed as a Han in Carbonite. Is that, was that just for a fancy dress, or was that... Oh, that that was a friend's um, fancy dress party many years ago, um, and they said, we want, we want to do it as Star Wars, but it's got to be non-regular characters. So you weren't allowed to go as Han Solo, you weren't allow- allowed to go as Luke Skywalker, but you were allowed to go as Han Solo and Carbonite. So I said, I- I'll do that. So the funny thing about that party was it was in um, Seven Sisters, which is like quite a rough area. So I turned up in a taxi in my costume, which was basically, you know, it, w- it, was, a- it was a black box and it had a hole for my head and my hands and I had black gloves on a black wig, and then I kind of blacked my face up so it was the same colour, and then just stuck stuck my head through the hole. And we were at the party, and they ran out of drink, and they said, Jason, you're going to come out and come to the off-licence um, and get some more booze with it. And I'm, I'm kind of going, well, dressed like this, I'll probably get stabbed ten yards out the door, so probably not. So, but yeah, that's the, you know, a lot of people say, you know, have you, have you blacked up? And I have blacked up. But uh, for Han Solo and Carbonite, because it, it was required. So I would really like you and your uh, group of cosplay friends to uh, all dress up as Ewoks, as you've got such a big love for them. Well, you know, Ewoks. I mean, they, I mean, they, they, you do see Ewok cosplay. I mean, I, I saw one at um, MCM Comic Con where it was um, obviously it was like some kind of kid, or, and they had a full Ewok costume, and it was very good. And then, of course, you get the you get the sexy lady walks as well, who are quite special as well. From all the events you've been to this year, what's been your highlight? 2014 highlight. 2014 highlight. Um, what's been the best event? Yeah, I mean, there's been there's been two farthest froms, and there's been a bunch of bunch of comic cons. Um, which one's been my favourite? I've enjoyed them all, to be to be to be quite honest, and. Um, I do like my father's rooms though. They're, they're they're lots of fun. I mean, the 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 last one we were at, where we you know we again we all went for the curry the night before, and it's lots of fun. So I'll, I'll say father's from. Wonderful, and uh, like you said earlier, you'll you'll go off to Anaheim next year. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. I haven't been to the states for what seems like forever now, so um, it'll be great going over there. I mean, you know, like like everyone else, I'm flying in the night before so we get all four days and then we get a day at disney the disney park and then fly home the next day so it should be really good i mean for me i mean you know obviously there's all there's a whole bunch of american collectors that i know and over the years that i speak to online and on forums and stuff so it'll be really interesting meeting all them there'll be all the hype with the new film coming out and then just you know getting all the lads out for um you know Four, four days of heavy drinking will just be absolutely epic, I would imagine. Will you look after Grant and Ben for me? Because I won't be there to uh, look out for them, because they do... Well, yeah, I mean, we, we did we did pick Grant off the, the tarmac at um, Celebration Europe 2, you know, and stick him in his bed, so uh, somebody's got to do it, so I will I will do that for him. Uh, will you be cosplaying out there, or is it... Um, I've, I've never really done cosplay at the Star Wars events, and I, 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 as I said, with, with the, the costumes, you have to be so good with the cosplay that you know. I, I just when I go there, I'm, I'm there with my kind of my vintage hat on, so you know, I, I kind of go to all the different collectors panels, and that's my kind of really my kind of focus while I'm there. So I haven't cosplayed 
at Celebration Europe, yeah, and I think my plan my plan would be um, probably just to stick with the vintage stuff while I'm there because there'll, there'll be there'll be so much to do around that. I think that'll be enough. So wonderful. Um, now also, I've only met you at one Father's from so far, but um, you were uh, were selling you obviously your spare card backs and stuff down there. Yeah, it's like it's like having you know your your own special currency because when I when I started out, uh, when you start collecting card backs, I wanted to put together a full set of all the different uh, Palatoy figures and all the different card back variations, and there's like there's over five hundred of them. So you know to get to get that full set when you're starting out, you just go, well, there's a group auction here with thirty card backs on. I'll just buy the group auction because it's obviously cheaper than buying them singly so yeah. you end up with a lot of doubles and I ended up even doing that I've ended up with quite a large Kenner collection and quite a large number of Kenner doubles you know and um, you know with going going to um, Dave's father's from collector's fair you know they need people to sell stuff and stuff and I'm just like well you know I'm going to be there anyway you know I can sit down with my car backs if I sell you know a bunch of car backs and it pays for the cost of getting there or the curry or something fantastic and I've had a great time and you know you you get you get people coming up and talking to you who you, you wouldn't otherwise talk to if you're selling stuff so it's kind of uh, it, it, it's good and um, I enjoy doing it so is it the so it's the only event you sell at yeah I mean I kind of I'll, I'll you know if people ask me and you know, I'll, I'll sell my stuff online, but you know, I haven't, I haven't got the stage now where I've kind of gone right. I've got all these doubles. I'll post them on the forum and just let people bid on them because you'd have to take photos of them all, and I've got hundreds. So you're kind of going, well, do I have time to take photos of all these different card backs? But I mean, the other thing with with card backs, which is the same with all vintage stuff, is they've really gone up in price recently. So yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm even looking at the prices that I put them put on my card backs a year ago and thinking. That's quite low, you know, even in a year, you know. So, um, but it's just it's just some kind of like um, Star Wars currency for me, you know. I just turn up, you know, sell a few of those card backs, and I've got a bit of spending money. So it's. Uh, Jason, you said there were five hundred and something odd card back combinations. Yes. Um, in that list, do you include the some of the more obscure foreign card back variations like Glassley or Lily Leddy or like that, the Carno Squares? That's, that's just Palatoy. That's just Palatoy card backs, 500-something-odd. Yeah, I, mean, I think the thing is, with Palatoy, you can say that there's a major variation and then there's minor variations. And I, on my on my card back guide, it's got every minor variation. So anything where there's something printed differently on the card, even if it's just a factory code on the back of a 41 back, that's a card variation to me. So, you know, there's a lot more than just the, you know, people would say, well, if you've got a 41 back, you know, that's just one variation. But, you know, for the 41 back can be, you know, there's two different scenes on the back, which make it a 41A and a 41B. And then there's a 41C, which has a line that's missing underneath. underneath. And then if you add in the factory codes, being there or not being there, that's another two. So it's how, you know, it's how granular you want to be with these things. Do you go after any of the more um, obscure foreign stuff as well? Yeah, I mean, I've got um, I've got a foreign card back focus. I, my my focus is eventually to collect every vintage card back I can get. So the one the one that I've not really kind of gone at really hard yet is Kenner, just because if you're bidding on Kenner all the day long, you just you just you have to pay for it in postage costs. 
obviously, because a lot of it is just comes out of America. So I think if I was gonna if I was gonna focus on that, I'd try and buy up maybe buy up somebody's collection or buy up a you know buy it in groups just just to save on postage costs because you know if you're if you if you're posting individual cards from America you know it's about you know it's ten pounds a time so it adds up but I, in terms of the foreign card back focus I've got you know I've got runs for you know every every major every major type of foreign card there is so some of them are more complete than others you know the the German Empire Strikes Back focus is missing one card. My Trilogo focus is missing one card. You know, I've got a very large collection of Meccanos now. Lily Leddies, I've probably got less than ten, so I've got loads to get on that. So I'm going to be moving on to your card backs fully in a minute. Just something that ties kind of like the events and your card backs together. You met Dave Filoni whilst at CE2, and I believe he bought some card backs off you, Jason. Yeah, I, 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 you know, the I'm kind of very much kind of original trilogy, and I don't really look at the expanded universe and all the stuff that you know the great stuff that these guys do. So when he came up, when he came up to me, I didn't actually know who the guy was, but basically there's um, they call what they call them kind of uh, room sales. But I mean, the room sale at Celebration Europe Two was basically there was a big room conference room, and everybody set their stuff up. And sold stuff, and it was the first time I'd sold my card backs. And he, he came up, ruffled, ruffled through my card backs, picked out a couple, bought them, bought for them, paid for them. Somebody actually took a photo, so there's a picture of me with my, you know, my very first card back store with Dave Filoni uh, buying a couple of card backs, which is very nice. And I think it actually made it into, um, you know, one of the one of the monthly or bi-monthly Star Wars magazines as well. So. Did you not know who he was at all when you were? No, I didn't. You know, as I say, I'm I'm very much focused. You know, you know, even even a couple of years ago, I was very much focused on the, um, you know, the original trilogy, and you know, didn't, don't really focus on the expanded universe that much. So I didn't really know who he was. You know, because when I when I'm when I'm at Celebration Europe too, I'm solely focused on all the the vintage collectors panels. So I didn't even get to see his uh, presentation. So, uh, what card backs did he buy? Just out of interest, I think he bought. One that he definitely bought was a Palatoy 65D ATAT driver. He bought an ATAT driver, and I think he bought maybe another ATAT driver as well. But he definitely bought that one. So, you've just been talking about your card backs. Let's, so, let's start getting into your collection. Yes. Card backs is clearly something that you're passionate about. It's uh, your limelight. Yeah, I mean, w- w- what it was, was when I started out, I, I knew I wanted to collect Palatoy. And I was like, well, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to collect? And at that time, Gary Smith had, like, the large Palatoy Mint on Card collection. And I was just like, I don't think I can compete with that. There's too much catching up to do. And I don't want to be, you know, constantly treading on Gary's toes looking for the same pieces. So I just thought, well, you know what? All I'm going to do with Palatoy is I'm going to have, you know, the first 12 Palatoy figures mint on card because those are the twelve figures I had as a kid. I'll get those. I then got the next, you know, I got the next eight for you know the first twenty, and then I stopped and I said, well, I'm, that that's the mint on cards I'm going to have, and I'm just going to try and collect every every single Palatoy card back variation I can. So that that was my focus, and then you know when it when it started getting difficult to do those, I thought, well, you know, there's a lot of foreign cards coming up and. You know, this is back in like 2005, 2006, 2007. A lot of these cards would come upon eBay and there wouldn't be a lot of interest in them. So you, you could get them quite cheaply then. Obviously now what's happened with the whole market 
being more expensive, a lot of mint on card collectors have given up and have moved into card bags because it's cheaper. So, you know, even even um, a couple of days ago, there was an auction for three 12-back clipper card backs, and I thought, these are really nice. I've, I need two of them. And it went for over £300, you know, so I'm just like, well, you know, that's just, even for me, you know, that's £100 a card back is, is an awful lot. You know, these, these are cards that maybe, you know, when I started collecting, you, you know, you know, for a 12-back kipper, you might have paid £20, you know. Do you own any proof cards? I own one proof card, and yep. it's for, uh, it's a Revenge of the Jedi 2-1-B card, which is part of my 2-1-B focus. So you have a love for them, do you, or is it? Just they are so expensive to put a run together, aren't they? But just um, I've just got the one proof card because um, you know I've got the character focus, and obviously you need you need the proof card for the focus. So I've just got the one. Um, would I like um, Would I like a set of proof card? Would I like to collect proof cards? Um, yeah, it'd be a nice thing. I think they just cost an awful lot of money. So um, you know, I think you can get quite you know all a proof card really is. It's a card that's in really really nice mint condition and. Uh, you know, you you know, you can collect ones which aren't in such nice condition, and you still get you know the fact that you found one and it's fitted into your run, and you get all the artwork as well. So, so you know, at the moment, I, I don't think I'd expand to collect proof cards. Just normal card backs, I get as I say, cost quite a lot at the moment. So I think uh, proof cards are out of my budget at the moment. How do you, and what do you recommend as the best way to display card backs? There's numerous different ways. The the one that I've just come up with, which was you you know, for the purposes of looking after them, you stick them in six inch by nine inch top loaders. And there's um there's two companies that kind of make those ultra pro top loaders that you can get, and there's another one company called uh, BCW who make them. The only trouble with top loaders is you have to get them from America, so you have to pay postage, you have to pay import tax, and they end up costing a lot of money, so uh, but that's a good way of storing them and keeping them all nice. And the ones I've got recently are they're top loaders with a little stand on the back, so you can stand them up. So I've got an entire bookcase now, which has about twelve card backs on it. And what I've done for my display is I've picked a major for each of the major logo toy companies. I've picked one of their cards. So I've you know I've got you know I've got Kenner and Palatoy and Clipper and all the different different. Um, toy companies in a, in a nice little display, so that's quite good. Other people, they 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 have binders and they put them in binders which they can then flick through. Because I've got so many, I have all mine in top loaders, and then I just have them on a bookcase. And you know, you can get probably on the length of one of my bookshelves um, about four or five hundred in a row, and I've got about three rows now. So. The, the card back collecting seems to become really popular recently, doesn't it? It's kind of like hit a boom. Yes, and um, it, it, I think it's, you know, there's... I think the fact, well, you know, when you when, when I've limelighted my card back collections, people can kind of go, wow, that's really good, I'd like to do that. And it's something that's more achievable for people because they just can't afford to do it. Afford to do it on a mint on card focus. You know, I mean, the other thing with card back collecting is... It's an easier thing to do. There's a lot more card backs to collect. You know, they're cheaper to post. You don't have to worry about the bubbles falling off. You don't have to worry about them being fake, particularly, because people don't fake card backs, you know. So there's a lot of advantages to collecting card backs over mint on card. Uh, has it really pushed the prices up? Have you seen a real 
big yeah yeah i mean the prices even in the last even in the last year the prices have gone up because I, I looked at the you know all my doubles i priced them about a year and a half ago and i'm looking at the prices that i put down and what they're fetching now and some of them you know they're twice as much now so yes things have really gone up you know and i i can see you know in my, in my collection the most expensive card backs i i have were there were two where I paid um, three figures for a card back, and I paid, and these it was actually a reseal. I paid, I think it was like a hundred and twenty pounds for a resealed uh, tri logo General Medine, and you know, you know the a reseal of that would you know that would go for four five hundred quid now easily, mm. you know, and you know cards which you know you know even when I was buying them back you know in the mid mid 2000s where i was paying you know five ten pounds for a card they're going for 50 100 pounds now you know there was there was this crazy period on ebay where you know the power toy 12 back card backs you know the luke you know, luke went for 100 pounds and people went it's a fluke and the next one went for 100 pounds and the one after that went for 100 pounds so you know when it happens three times in a row it's it's not a fluke auction it's that people are prepared to pay that to have a card back there would you um be interested in getting like the Uze card backs? Yeah, I mean the one, the one, the one, one I would, lo- I'd love to have one with uh, the the gunner and that that crazy calculator. That would just be awesome having one of those. You got any reasoning to why that picture is as it is? They were just made on the string and they needed a photo and they needed a console and they went, hey, stick the calculator in. I think I think the fun thing is, I mean, I, I've looked and I'm sure loads of collectors have as well. Nobody's ever managed to find the calculator so that that's a specific vintage you know calculator from the 70s and i think it would be absolutely awesome if somebody actually came up and was able to get the calculator and then recreate the photo that would be kind of really cool when did palatoy remove their logo off the front and for what reason um it was removed after the 45a which was um that was an empire strikes back card and that was that was the last card back which was produced in by Palatoy Far East in the Hong Kong factory. So all the way from the first cards, which were 12A and 12B, up to 45A, were all printed uh, and assembled in Hong Kong factories. And then the, the, the Colville factory in Leicestershire in the UK started making them with 45B, and that's the point at which they removed the, the Palatoy logo. And then, obviously, from that point on, through you know, Return of the Jedi cards, they they didn't have the Palatoy logo on them at that point. Um, as to the reason it was removed at that point, um, I, I think I think here, here's a reason why it would have been done. It is with with 45B without the the Palatoy logo being on the front. They also made cards for um, General Mills for the German market and also for the Clipper market and. By having not having the logo on the front, the actual front of the cards for the the Empire Strikes Back German General Mills card and the Palatoy 45B are absolutely identical. So there's a reason why they would have removed it because it just made the process easier for them. Right. You know, possible, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's plausible, isn't it? So finally, on the card backs, then, which figure do you think is the best image on a card back? Just for the sheer iconic picture that they used, you've got to love uh, Luke Farmboy just looking out over the desert. Good shout. 
And obviously you've got your cardback website. Um, where can people find that? Yeah, it's www.freewebs.com slash Mr. Palatoy. So on there I document all the different cardback variations and I'm also turning it in to a full-blown Palatoy site. So I'm trying to list every single vehicle, playset, set, anything that Palatoy made on that site. And so so far I've done all of Star Wars, which has added... Um, probably an additional 10 pages, and I've still got Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and Tri-Logo pages to put on, which will probably be between probably 20 and 30 more pages that I need to put on. So when when you know when things are quieter and there's less going on, you know I'm going to be expanding those pages out as well. So we'll have a full-blown Palatoy guide at that point, which would be kind of cool. Obviously, you've, we just mentioned you started that website, but you're also a... Facebook. You're one of the first people to start a Star Wars Facebook page up. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, what what happened with Facebook was it, I mean, I, I kind of joined SWFK in 2006, 2007. I joined um, Rebel Scum around the same time, and before that I was on Imperial Outpost. So there's all these different forums, and I just thought, well, you know, I'm on Facebook now, and there's nothing really there about vintage Star Wars collecting. And there's no way for anyone to find anyone else on it. So I just thought I could create a group. And if I make the name of the group, the kind of keywords you might type into the search window, it'll probably come up first on the list of results and then people can join the group. And then, uh, you know, so I said, well, the keywords that people are going to type in is going to be vintage Star Wars action figures. So that was the name of the group. And initially when I had the group going, I just had there and I had a couple of links saying, you know, if you want to come and get serious about collecting, come to... SWF UK, come to Rebel Scum, you know, come and join the forums. But you know, after time, there was you know there was there was a, a group of people who said you know we we don't we don't want to be on a forum, we don't want to leave Facebook, we just want to be able to kind of talk about our vintage collecting chat while we're on Facebook. So I kind of dropped the kind of pushing the forum aspect to it. I mean, the other thing was it was kind of thought well you know if 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 we do that will detract from the forums and people will leave the forums to kind of chat on Facebook. But what, what's happened in practice with the group I've got is we've got a whole new community of collectors that we never had before. We were never kind of chatting with, with each other and trading. So it's kind of created a vintage community when, when none existed. And in terms of the numbers of people on this group, I mean, it, 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 when I set the thing up, which had probably been about, you know, six, seven years ago, whenever I, whenever I joined Facebook, it just ticked over, you know, you, you know, you know, there'd be about 100 new members a year. And then it was about two or three years ago, they revamped the way Facebook groups worked such that all of the groups you were in got listed on the left hand side of your Facebook page. And every time there was a new message posted, it would give you a little menu counter. And at that point, it went absolutely nuts. So we went, you know, we doubled our membership in the first month. You know, and in the, in, the, in the couple of years since they've done that, we're, we're now at, I think we're at 13,500 members now. And that's just one group. I mean, lots of other people have created their own groups. You know, the next biggest group got about 5,000 people in it. A lot of people admittedly are in the same groups, but... You know, there's there's a lot of people, a lot of collectors on Facebook and looking at Facebook groups now. So there's there's an awful lot of groups recently popping up, isn't there? They seem to be 
in a yeah, park. well, I think it is. Everybody, I mean, there's a kind of, you know, there's a kind of high, you know, in all in all places, there's a kind of hierarchy of things that are going on. And I think a lot of people think, well, to be taken seriously, I've got to be running my own group. So they'll kind of look, well, what isn't there a kind of specific focus for? And they'll create a group just so that they've got their group, you know. So as to whether they're, they're all needed, and you know, I mean, I, I, I'm in a couple of those, but I mean, I have my hands full just looking after the one I've got. So, you know, that's my kind of focus. I was in quite a few of them, but I've literally deleted myself from quite a few because there is some absolute tools in some of them as well, isn't there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, in terms of, you know, moderating a group like that, I mean, I I used to moderate um, forums um, many years ago for, you know, not Star Wars forums. And, you know, I, I just thought having done it for a couple of years, you know, moderating can create as many problems as it solves. You know, you'll kind of go you've used a bad word there, you can't do that. And everybody just, you know, rebels and goes, well, you know, I'm, nothing wrong with swearing, I'm going to swear now. And especially when, you know, the, the, the people you're trying to trying to moderate are all grown-ass men, they don't like being told what to say and what to do. So, you know, my, my view is the internet is a tide and there's no point swimming against it because you'll just, you'll just get swept away in the end. So, you know, you kind of sit there, you know, if people complain and say or report a thread and say this is going on, I'll go in and do something. But otherwise, if nobody complains, I just let it go. You know, because people people want to speak, they'll find somewhere to speak. What I have tried to do is I have kind of introduced rules over time. You know, good collecting practice. So you know, no reproductions in the group, no U grading. You know, things like that, which is you know, general. You know, no no bleaching your figures in retro bright. You know, and melting your you know, melting your figures, things like that. You know, it's quite easy to stick a set of rules on there. And, you know, education for the masses, I kind of like think about it like. Do you, do you think the growth of these Facebook groups, though, will detract from the from the forums? You know, it's, I mean, there was a big debate in Rebel Scum about whether whether that had happened, and that's why, you know, you know forums like Rebel Scum had declined. And I think the community is what you make of it. I think in... SWF UK, we've made the community what it is, and there's as much, you know, the, in terms of the number of posts going on on SWF UK, there's, there's the same kind of volume there's always been, as far as I can tell. You know, I think communities like Rebel Scum, there's a lot less people posting on there now, because a lot of the big-name American collectors don't post on there anymore. So, you know, it's what you make of it, and, um, you know, it's kind of saying, well, oh, it's Facebook's fault, is just, you know, look at yourself, don't point the finger somewhere else is my kind of view of these things so. time to move on to Toy Tony oh yes now it's been a year since the Toy Tony scandal broke and I'm it's sure it's been a year has been a year and I'm sure 90% of our collectors know know the story behind it but could you just give us a quick overview of what it was in case people are listening that aren't familiar with the story yeah well essentially to- Toy Tony is you know he's a, lo- he's a long-standing toy dealer in Brighton who has known to have a very large amount of mint-on-card power toy figures, and everybody likes mint-on-card figures, and he's just been trickling them into the market for donkey's years. You know, and every, you know, so if you want a nice mint figure, he's the guy who can supply you with them. And, you know, everyone loves Boba Fett, and he's got all the Boba Fetts, and, you know, so, you know, in terms of his reputation before this scandal broke, he had a very good reputation, and everyone was very happy with the stuff he came up with. But then, 
it you know it, it it was kind of alleged that you know these large you know this large stockpile of mint on card figures which were left over when the power toy factory closed weren't in fact mint on card but were just you know it was kit forms it was the unused card backs you know boxes of bubbles and some figures and then he was he was sticking them all together initially you know with an iron you know because we've we've got cards where the bubbles are melted you can see the little v of the iron on them you know and you can see score marks on the cards so you know and that's essentially it, you know, and and I think no, you know, the fact that, you know, you know, almost the entire community this came as a surprise to is, is kind of, you know, where, you know, where the scandals come from, you know. You know, it was kind of said, you know, at the time when it was, you know, the whole thing was broke, broken by Jason Joyner, who, you know, he's a very long-standing collector who hasn't been particularly involved in the vintage community for a number of years, and he kind of said, well... At the time, it was kind of common knowledge, and I think you know, you know, maybe there are a lot of old school collectors who just kept quiet over the years and not said anything. A lot of people said, "Oh well, I had my suspicions," and you know, I know, and it's like, well, you know, why didn't you say anything? You know. Um, now, Jason, you've put in many hours of hard graft of research and exploring they this whole debacle, haven't you? Um, yes. And I'm sure everyone on the forum and off the forum really do appreciate the time you've put into this. Um, I know. You know, well, your yeah. Well, for me, it's been it's been it's been a learning experience. If I look at what I know about Power Toy now versus what I knew a year ago, and what I had written on my my card back guide, I just know you know I've I've I found it a great learning experience just to be able to go in and say, okay, you know, he's done this and he's not said what he's done. You know, just looking at the cards, can we work out what he's done? And the simple answer is, yes, we can. You can look at the cards and go, in almost all cases, especially for the Palatoy cards, he used the wrong bubble on the wrong card. You know, so you've got a bubble stuck on a card. You can only find that bubble on that card if he sold it. If you look at the ones which were sold, shop sold, so they've got like a price sticker and cardware and stuff on it, or providence that they didn't come from him, or you look at the used card back and the impression the bubble made on the card, they had different bubbles, you know, so that's it right there, as far as I, I you know, as far as I can see, you know. Is there, is there no chance any of these random, like, bubble card combinations could have been factory errors? Well, if they were, we'd see evidence of it. And, you know, you know, the, the, one, the ones that people really want to be real are the Bob effects, because they're the really expensive ones, and they're the ones that people really like. And for the, you know, for the, for the, for the bubbles he used, which was the narrow double-stemmed bubble and the, the rectangular bubble, I haven't seen a single example of the genuine card. The only thing that we can see, which is genuine, is a wider double-stemmed bubble, and I've seen a couple of examples of that, and that's it. Mm. You know, if, if the factory were knocking these things out, we'd see some evidence of it, and we don't see it. You know, so for me, I mean, you know, Tony is obviously a very clever guy and has kind of disguised this and that he's been doing this for a number of years. And I just thought, you know, he's not having one over me on this. You know, he's clever and he's done that and he thinks he's got away with it. But we can work this out, you know, and to, by being equally as smart, you can you can work it all out. You know, he had, you know, on, you know, there was a sales list that came from Jason Joyner that listed exactly which particular, you know, figures and cards were, you know, were for, you know, were for sale in this lot. 
And that's helped, you know, tremendously. But even if we didn't have that list, you'd be able to work it out from the AFA population reports because anyone, any particular figure card combos where he was making them, they graded, you know, 10 times as many, you know, 100 times as many in some places as they would do for a normal figure. And you can look at what was on his, uh, for sale on his, on his website because, you know, he's deleted the pages now, but they're all in the Wayback Archive, so you can tell. And then on eBay, he was obviously, he was selling them all on eBay, but then he had an, he had a special account for buying figures, which had a random name that he changed a couple of times a year. And if you look at the sales history, all it does is buy all the figures that he's short of for the cards he's got. So, you know, and he's never, he's never come out and said, oh, well, I've got a perfectly good explanation for any of this. You know, he said, oh, you know, I never, I didn't really know Arthur very well. They had a company together up until 2002. He said, oh, I never, never saw any of those unused card bags. It's like he was at a show, the Atlantic, Atlantic show in the USA in the 90s where he sold the unused card bags to people. You know, they bought them. They were sent to Afro who thought, oh, we'll grade those as proof cards with rounded corners. But, you know, it's all there. And he has gotten, he's had, he's, you know, in terms of, you know, refuting any of those things that have been said, all he's, all he's done is basically said, well, I didn't do it and gone quiet. If he wanted to save his business and he hadn't done anything wrong, all he had to do was go out back to the storeroom where he keeps his boxes and boxes of mint on cards which he wouldn't let anyone see. If you went round his house to buy a figure, you had to stay out front while he went out back and found what you needed. If he wasn't doing it, all he had to do was, you know, open up the room, empty the boxes on the floor, take a picture of it, post it on the web, and, you know, the case would collapse. But he can't do that because he hasn't got boxes and boxes and boxes of mental cards. He's got, you know, boxes of unused card bags. And it's as simple as that, really. You know, and, it, and all the time I spent on it, I just thought, well, you know, Power Toy is something that, you know, I've got a, a great fondness for. And, you know, I don't want to see the market absolutely decimated. You know, so what, what I've tried to do with what I've done on my cardback guide is basically ring fence that stuff and say, look, you know, we talked about how many different um, figure cardback combinations there were, and there's over 500. If you look at the ones that he had, he had 23. So it's something like 2% of all cards are cards that he had. All the rest are okay. If you've got any kind of mint on card figure with a Power Toy logo on the front, it's okay because they were all made in Hong Kong. There's absolutely no evidence of him sealing any Tri-Logo cards or even a Tri-Logo bubble. So all of those are okay. So for me, it's, it was about you know protecting the market and the community as, as it is, you know, with, with, with Disney um, taking on the franchise, you know, the whole mint on card market and power toy has gone through the roof anyway. So I think even if I had done nothing and I hadn't done any of this work, I think I think the market would still just be, you know, going nuts in the way that it's done. It's just a lot more people would be falling foul and picking up the fakes and stuff. So, you know, what I've tried to do with my guy is basically get the information out there Get it in an easy way to understand so people can look at the pictures and go, here's a genuine one, here's why it's genuine, here's one of Tony's, here's why it's a Tony, and they can tell themselves. So, you know, people can look at the guides and they can make, make their own decisions. You know, and it's about making that information freely available so everyone's got it and, and nobody gets ripped off. You know, you know, I mean, 
you know, Tony did a really bad thing, but I mean, AFA, what have AFA done? I mean, AFA graded a thousand of these things. You know, if I, I, I was looking through at the population reports for the things that they've graded. They've got figures. They've got one with an unpainted hand variation. That's probably paint rub from a used figure. They've got, you know, figures with the wrong weapons. Upside down bubble. They graded two of those. That's where, you know, a very early batch of snowtroopers, they were in a, a single stem bubble with an O3 in the corner. And the only way you can get the Hoth trooper in is by stuffing his head inside you know, the dip of the single stem bubble and sticking the, the bubble on upside down. They went, that's fine, we've graded those. You know, and the, their response has been, you know, they, they kind of, they didn't respond directly. They, they I think, I think the, the guy at AFA responded to somebody on Rebel Scum Forum who basically posted what they said and they said, well, we banned Tony from sending in submissions and we're going we're gonna to change our database so these things are marked. All that they've done is they've banned Tony from sending in submissions, and that's it. I think the other thing, they, they said, you know, if you send in um, a figure card-back combo that's on that list, they wouldn't grade it, which I think initially they did. I do know that a couple of months ago, they actually graded one which wasn't a Tony. So I think, I think what, they, what they're doing now is just quietly grading stuff that they can grade. But in terms of all the stuff that they've graded, which is wrong, they've done nothing. And... AFA have been grading these things since the year 2000, and they've graded over a thousand. UKG have been, you know, they, you know, they've kind of said, oh well, it didn't really affect us. We've only graded half a dozen or so. I can find you half a dozen on eBay right now. They've been grading since 2008, you know. But my reckoning, they must have graded a couple of hundred of these things. You know, UKG, same thing. You know, publish your population report. Mark these things as Tony's. Both of them should be offering a free regrading service to kind of mark them, you know, so you can get them regraded for free. And we've got to accept the fact that, you know, these things are here and they're going to be with us for a long time. And we've got to, we've got to treat them in some sensible way. We can't just open them all up and have a bonfire because people, you know, they've invested a lot of money in these things and they do have some worth. I think, I think the other thing is it's a problem that kind of gets reduced over time because if you look at the quality of the, the bubble seals on these things they're not great and the reason for that is the sealing process the the glue is already on the back of the bubble and it's applied when the bubble is made and then the bubble and the figure is stuck on the card and it's heat activated and the glue obviously has some kind of sell-by date because if you try and heat activate the old glue it doesn't glue very well. You know, the ones that I had, I had about 16 of these in a Return of the Jedi Palatoid Mint on Card Focus. Um, turns out every single one of those is a Tony in my reckoning. And if I just looked, when I, when, I, when I sold them all on eBay with full disclosure telling people what I thought they were, I looked at the sales on some of these things, and some of them, they're just, even in the time I've had them, they deteriorated so much. And those, those are from figures that were sealed in 2005-2006. It's a kind of converse thing. I think the things that were sealed early on, so in the early 90s, the seals on those are much better than the ones which have been sealed recently because the glue has deteriorated and doesn't work very well anymore. The other thing is, in people, some, a lot of people say, well, you use repo bubbles for all these things. If you look at all the bubbles that he used, they are vintage bubbles, because we've got vintage cars where they're on. They're just 
normally they're on the wrong cards because he didn't have the right bubbles for the cards. There are, you know, towards the end, there are, you know, I've seen a couple of Boba Fett's and I think I've seen a, a C-3PO removable limbs where he's used this big, massive, really tall bubble, which people have said is a re- re- kind of reproduction bubble from the 90s. So I think in the end he ran out of bubbles. You know, so the game was pretty much up at that point because at that point he has to use reproduction bubbles. He's got no original bubbles left. So, yeah, that's kind of where we are. Have you got any questions about Toy Tony? I'm going to be honest. I've got a couple of pages of notes here, and I think you've just. <laughs> have I covered it all? Huh? <laughs> you have literally. There it all is. I've been trying to tick bits off that you've covered to see what yeah. I have left. Well, the thing is, it's all really fresh in my memory because at this point I haven't done my presentation from Father's Farm. And I'm doing all the slides for it. So I'm kind of, you know, I've been all the way through all the forum threads just looking to see what was said and, you know, things that I might have missed. And just getting all the succinct points to just kind of say, well, you know, here's the proof. Here's what he's done. You know, the next bit of presentation I've got to do is just, you know, the easy way of spotting a lot of these things. For Panatoy, you know, we're, we're quite lucky because you used all the wrong bubbles. You know, the people who've got it in the neck are the, the, the poor Germans because... What they've got is, um, on the German card, they either, you had, you, the, the factory sealed ones actually used either uh, single-stem bubbles with a number on them or the narrow double-stemmed bubble that he had loads of. So if you've got one that's got a single stem on it and it doesn't have a number on it, you're okay. If it's got 03 on it, you're kind of, well, you're not okay because he had lots of those bubbles as well. You know, so for instance, on Palatoy 45B, there's a, a TIE Fighter pilot, and people go, well, my bubble's numbered. And I'm like, yeah, but it's got 03 on it. And all the used card backs and proper mint on card examples we've got use bubble number 13, you know. So, and then the other ones you get use the single stem, the double stem bubble that were also used by the factory. And those ones, they're just much harder to tell. You know, there's lots of analysis that people have done. So they've done things like, well, you know, the famous one on the CQPO removable limbs is the fact there's a little printing error with a red dot on the front of the card underneath underneath the CQPO name, and all of the you know the the unused card back that that's out there has the red dot on it. All the Tonys have the red dot, and then all of the all of the the factory produced stuff and the used card backs don't have the dot, and that's a very good tell. But then people like you know on on uh, the snow trooper, there's a little kind of smudge mark at the side, or on the back, there's a little heart next to the Chewbacca. And people go, well, that's proof as well. But, you know, the the QA process at the Palatoy factory wasn't that good. And a lot of these cards with printing errors also got used, uh, uh, you know, and shipped out of the door. You know, so, I, I've, you know, the stuff that I've put on the guide and I'm putting in the presentation is just soft stuff that's absolutely rock solid that we know. I mean, in all these other things where people are like, yeah... I mean, there's a thing about measuring where on the card the bubble is seated because in the factory machine that you can see in the video that's online, it, you know, the, the card is held in a fixed position. The bubble's put in a set place. And you can actually measure where the bubble is on the card. And what, what Tony would do on the front of the card where there's the kind of the outline of where the bubble would go, he would center the card over the outline, whereas the factory machine would put it slightly to the side. But, you know, when you're talking a difference of one or two millimetres, it's just it's just not enough to be able to tell particularly well that it's one that he made, you know. So there's always going to be the case where, you know, for these cards where, you know, I think I think for 95% of them we can kind of go, 
that's a tourney, that's not a tourney. There's always going to be some where, you know, you can argue the case either way. But, you know, the thing is, for the for the 95%, at least we can go, well, these are good or they're not good. You know, I think I think in most cases, you know, we're, we're, we're helping out a lot of people by doing that. Obviously, there's been a great deal of research that you've just covered on the bubble types and the actual combinations of uh, cards that, are out there um, yes. that are known to be real and, and which are known to have been faked but there still seems to me to be a bit of an undertone about certain um, palatoy cards, uh, things like Return of the Jedi 65s and some of the Empire Strikes Back because they are a similar card back combination to the ones that have been used uh, yeah. by Toy Tony but may not have featured on the list I mean, how close do you think we are, or do you think we've completely unravelled? I think think the list is very close. I think there may be a couple of things which aren't on that list. There might be an odd card or two. The thing, I mean, I've got an example of that. Um, One of the things Tony did was, you know, waste not, want not. What he did was he would sell the the card backs where the bubbles fell off. So, you, you know, I've got four card backs that I got from Tony in 2005. There's a Luke Bespin, there's a ESB Bosk, and um, a Boba Fett, and there's a minimal imprint on the card, and you can see hand marks on the cards, and he sold a bunch of those on eBay back in 2005, so obviously he's kind of, well, you know, these are ones where he's he stuck the cards on and they've fallen off, but quite wor- worrying, I, ha- I have got a 65D Darth Vader with the same thing, minimal imprint with the card, it's at an angle, and there are hand marks on it. And, you know, I, I, you know, back at the start of the year, I really tried to throw the book at that particular card figure combo. But, you know, all I've got is a single card back. I can't see any evidence of him ever selling them on toytony.com, any evidence of him selling them on eBay. You know, maybe he just had an odd, odd card or two and tried to iron one, you know, iron, iron one together and it fell off and he sold the card back, you know. So the thing I'm aware of is, you know, a lot of people see me as the authority on this thing, and if I say something's bad, then it's bad. And, you know, if I go and throw the, you know, cast out on a figure and put it on my guide, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you know, this, you know, if I did that for Darth Vader, then all of, all the people who've got those cards, their cards will go down in value, you know, and I've, I've got to have proof for everything. So, especially with Palatoy 45C and 65D cards, people ask me all the time to make a judgment on whether it's, a Tony or not, and they just give me a picture of the front of the card. The front of the cards are the same for those two things. I always ask and say, can I see a picture of the back of the card? Because unless you've seen the, bit, the back of the card, you don't know. You know, it's about being thorough and just looking at the cards and trying not to make snap, snap judgments. And, you know, everything that I put on, I, everything that I add to that list, I've got to have examples. You know, so, I mean, one of the ones you've talked about, I mean, there was this big debate about um, adding... Boba Fett 65D to the list, because, you know, people have said that he sold a lot of those back in the day. Um, you know, I've looked out on the web, looked on Google Images, and I can't find an example of one where he sealed it. So until I've got an example that I can kind of go, there it is, I can't put it on the guide, you know. Otherwise, you're just kind of you're going on hearsay and what people can remember from what happened back in the 90s, you know, and... You know, sometimes I have trouble remembering what happened last week. So, you know, for me, it's all about, you know, the, you know, testimony is good, but without some kind of 
physical evidence in the cards and you know mental cards that we've got now, you can't admit it. That's my view, anyway. You've, you've got to be able to back the things up with actual something you can hold in your hand and go, there it is. How many tiny mocks did you have? Um, I had about twenty. So I have I I had an uh, an Alpha ninety mint on card focus. So when I started collecting. I didn't know. I thought, well, I, I, you know, I'm a new collector. There are fakes out there. I'm going to put my faith in the people who know what's genuine and what's not genuine. I want some nice mint on card figures. I'll put my faith in Alpha. So I, I collected Alpha ninety Return of the Jedi cards, and I had sixteen of them. Every single one of those is a Toy Tony. I mean, I've got. In that particular focus, there was one that I bought directly from him. But all the rest came, you know, there are there are a couple of sellers, you know, some based in America, some based in the UK, who were known for basically buying them off Tony, getting them graded, and then just flogging them off at, you know, two, three times the price. So, got loads of those. So, I had those. And then I had, in my 2-1-B focus, I had uh, a German and Palatoy version because he, he, what he would do, he would he would knock out bubble variations. So you'd have the one with the rectangular bubble on it, and then you'd have the one with his narrow double stem bubble. So I've got four of those still. I've decided to hang on to those. Um, I think for focus collectors, it, you know, it's an unusual thing to say, well, I've got a toy Tony, so you know, I'm, I'm kind of hanging on to them. And also for the fact that if anything ever did come up in court, I've got evidence, I've got the emails backing up the fact that he sold them to me. So, you know, it's admittable as, as, as evidence as well. You know, so I've kind of fallen on to those ones. So I've got, in in total at this point, I think I've got four. Two which were bought directly from him. So. Can I, you, you could tell me to, uh, to stick my nose out here, but can I ask what kind of loss you made on them? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I've got, I've, you know, I've got no secrets here. I mean, basically, um, when I started out collecting, you know, I, I was in a job where I had a lot more money than I get now, and, you know, I bought a lot of stuff. And for those particular cards, I think for the 16 that I bought, I figured out I'd paid £4,000 for them. Uh, when I sold them all on eBay back in April, May, I got £2,000 for them. So I lost about half the money on them. You know, and and that, that's kind of typical of what what you can see in the value of these things before and after the scandal. You know, Boba Fett before the scandal were selling at five six hundred pounds. You know, I sold mine at about three hundred pounds. You know, the, the thing is, people list them on eBay and they don't declare that the toy Tonys, and people will just buy them up. You know, that's that's the problem that we've got to try and try and solve. But I mean, you know, I, I kind of when I decided to get rid of my get rid of that focus, I just thought, you know. I'm going to let that go. I'm not going to have that to look at. I do need the money, so I'll just sell those and I'll just put that behind me. Because you know, at the time I was buying up, you know, I bought my Palatoy Mint on Card Focus, you know, and I've I've made that money back that I lost on those 16 cards on a single card. If I sold a single card now, I'd get that money back. You know, so overall, I bought a bunch of stuff back in 2005, 2006, 2007. And overall, I've done very well on it. So, you know, no complaints, really. I think the only thing that I... The thing that I I think is the, the thing that gets me is that I put all my faith in AFA, you know, and AFA let me down. I think AFA have let everyone down here. And I don't think they've done... They've done the absolute minimum to kind of remediate the situation. And I think they need to step up, and I think the UKG needs to step up. 
you know, they're, 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 they're meant to be the guardians and custodians of our hobby. You know, what have they done about this? Nothing. What, what do they do with you grading? You know, it's, and I think, I think there's been a, a tide, the tide has turned against AFA. You know, if you look at the discussion forums now about AFA, there's not many people singing their praises anymore. You know, there's, you know, every day there's, you know, there was one that came up on Facebook a while back where it was a Kenner card with a pop and the, there were two, there was another pop glued on the back. So there were two pops side by side. Yeah, we'll grade that. Lovely. You know, it's just like, how many mistakes have they made? You know, it's just, yeah. they might boggles, really. But the thing is, it's, you know, if they, if they wanted, they wanted to do something about it. They they do. I know AFA take photos of everything that they've graded. They've got the guide. They could go through it all, and they could they could say, okay, we'll just expunge the Tonys. We'll mark them all, and they could do it if they wanted to. But you know, there's no money to be made in that for them, and it's just an admission to them that they've done something wrong. So they're not doing anything. You know, and I think it's you know unless you know they. It's like when all things when they say, "Oh, we're going to we're going to do something with our database." They never do. Or if they do something, it'll be years later. So, you know, I think the for Afra, I think the damage has been done. And a lot of people, I mean, I you know, if I if I look at a card now, I'm like, "Oh, it's really mint." Well, you know, the cards I had, they were you know, they want to show age and character. And, you know, if you if they got a shop sticker on them. You know, I, I will go and Google up and find out about the particular shop of the day and where it was and when they were, you know. For me, that's a mint on, that, that's a card because it's showing you the age and the history of, you know, what's over for now and over, you know, 35, 30, 35 year old card. You know, not, not having something that looks like it was made in somebody's front room yesterday, you know. Mm. Like you say with AFA though, I'm, I'm amazed at still how many people are desperate for graded pieces. I find it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a monetary thing, you know. If you if you if you have a if you have a mint on cards, you send it to Afra and it gets an eighty five, then you know it's worth twice as much. You know, it's it's a business. You know, but you know, and it's like I'm thinking, you know, if I ever I got to the stage where I had to sell my, you know, my my twenty backs, you know, you know, you stick the money, you know, if you go and grade them all, you're going to make that money back, you know. And at the end of the day, you've got to get your worth out of things. But I mean, I think one of the one of the problems is that a lot of these cards get older. The more, you know, we're kind of getting to the point where a lot of these things are getting quite fragile now, and they don't really survive the posting process particularly well. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think, I think what that means is think you know collectors' fairs like Father's Problem are going to come back into the main again because people are going to stop buying stuff on eBay because it will just keep arriving broken. So you know, and I think I think that will hurt the grading companies as well. But I think the other thing, the other factor is that, you know, there's a lot of uh, modern reproductions being made now, and they're getting better. So you can get an all-reproduction Palatoid and Kenner 12-back Stormtrooper, where it's a, you know, it's a Poon Trooper figure, it's a reproduction gun, a reproduction bubble, and reproduction card. And when you've got these things in, in your hand, it's very obvious that it's a fake, but when you've got a grubby little picture on eBay, it isn't. But as the, as you know, the process of making those fakes gets better, somebody's got to be around to tell you whether they're real or not, you know, and, you know, it's Haffer and UKG, isn't it? You know, so, I mean, you know, in, in time, will they prevail? 
Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I think I think at the moment there's a very big backlash against grading, particularly, just because you know, of what's happened. But who knows in time. I think I think I think the Tonys in, in time, as I say, a lot of the bubbles are gonna fall off. So there's gonna be less of these things kicking around and you know, they may turn into a kind of bootleg, you know, modern bootleg that people want to collect them all right. I saw a thread on SWFK only a couple of days ago where people said, right, somebody said, I want to collect Tonys, send me your Tonys. And I just said, go on to eBay, type in Palatoy Mint on card, and on a good day, half your links will be Tonys. There you go, mate, you know. So. Now, you've recorded with, is it Fake Britain on BBC? Yes, um, I mean, at this point, it's going to be shown on a week Thursday on the 11th of December, so by the time this podcast comes out, it will have aired, but yeah, that's, that'll be quite exciting, and it'll be very interesting to see um, what doors, if any, that can open. You know, if, if by doing pieces like that, we can put pressure on on the authorities to take the claim seriously and do something... Um, whether we can get AFA and UKG to do something, I think it will make it all worthwhile. And, it, and it's nice. Being, it, I think it's nice seeing you know a bit of vintage Star Wars on the telly when it you know you know when the the opportunity is there to do it as well. So you know, the, the people say there's you know no publicity is bad publicity, and I you know I kind of think well, yes, you know it's it, it's good for the hobby and there's, there's things to talk about and. You know, maybe maybe people look at the program and go, "Oh, I'm going to have a look in the attic, see what I've got." And maybe we get some more mint on cards in the market. You know, so yeah, it's all good. Did they talk about what kind of legal action could be taken against him? Um, well, it was interesting when the when the show's producer came round. He said, "I'm I'm polled out and really really tired, but I've on a, I was on a different different call earlier. You know, we kicked somebody's door in at four in the morning with six you know burly police officers and raided the guy's house. You know, when you know, you know the the show's producers. They have connections with with the police, and when they've got enough, when they've got enough to you know make a case, the police will take action. You know, I think I think I think the difficulty here is a lot of the people who've been defrauded, they've you know they've bought it through secondary sellers, and you know they're in different countries and stuff, and it's just so difficult to you know make a case of a lot of that. I mean, I think I think I think their best bet if they want to make a case, they need to get a number of people. We've bought from him directly. We've still got the pieces, and you know that's how you kind of make a case. For me, it was you know for me the the thing that I wanted to do. It's not about you know I I spend four hundred pounds on three card backs with Tony, and you know I'm not after, you know it would be nice if I got you know my four hundred quid back, but you know for me it was about you know the things that was really to me was the the damage it did to the you know the whole Palatoy brand. The thing that I love, you know. So, for me, it was about what can we do to figure out what's been done and kind of document it, so we can all keep collecting and having our fun, you know. Well, I think your uh, your work is admirable. Um, Thank you. And uh, I'm sure I can't wait to watch the program. Obviously, like you said, when this podcast comes out, we would have all seen it. If you are listening to this podcast and you didn't see it, I'm sure it will be on iPlayer. Yeah. It- I know it will be um, season five, episode nineteen. So that's right. the one you need to pick out. I look forward to that. That is wonderful, Jason. Thank you ever so much for all that uh, information. Um, okay. And thank you for your time. Um, one final question. I always yes. like to uh, finish. If you were leaving Earth to set up life on another planet, and you were told you could only take one single piece of your collection with you, money was no object, so it doesn't matter of the uh, value of it. 
which piece would you take and why? I'm going to say, I mean, if, if I was going with um, a card, I'd probably go, because I have a, a love of the, the farm boy loot scene. It would probably be the Palatoy 12 back that I've got. But the thing, the other thing that I've got, which is fairly unique, there's only a couple of them around, is the, the shop sticker with the, the toys of the film are here on it. You know, and there's there's maybe three of those known to exist, and that's quite an iconic piece as well. So I'm very fond of that as well. So I, I might take that, actually. Wonderful. Well, you can find Jason's website at the... I think I've got his right, Jason. You might need to correct me. www.freewebs.com forward slash Mr. Palatoy. Yeah, it's like MR Palatoy. So if you type in Palatoy card back, it's the first search result on Google. So there's an even easier way of finding it. And I'm sure... If anyone's got any doubts, you'll be more than willing to to give them your advice. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I you know, I'm I'm on Facebook, I'm on I'm on SWF UK, I'm on Rebel Scum, and you know, I'd probably get probably you know at this day. I mean, earlier on, I, you know, I, I used to get several a day, but you know, people just say, "Can you have a look at this and give me an opinion on it?" I'm always very happy to do that. Just one final thing: you 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 went said you went to a lot of events. Do you do you see um? Many toy Tonys at these events. The one that really irked me um, was at the London Film and Comic Con back in July. There was a dealer there who had, um, I think it was a it was a T one B toy Tony on sale, and I told them in no uncertain terms what it was and that they shouldn't pass it on to me, and they just said, well. You don't really know what you're talking about, do you? I mean, this is from a reputable source. You know, go away. You know, I'm a I'm a toy dealer. I know what I'm talking about. And um, it stayed up all weekend. And the next day, they had a Death Star droid next to it. Um, they didn't sell either of them. They're still both on eBay at this, you know, at this very moment, you know. And it's just, you know, why would you trash your reputation for the sake of two mint on cars and whatever you could get for that? I mean, your reputation's everything. And, you know, there's a lot of dealers out there who've ruined their reputation over this just for the sake of a couple of hundred quid, you know. It's just like, why would you do that? You know, that's uh, very silly. Yeah, precisely. Well, Jason, I'd better start wrapping this up because this really is <laughs> a, le- a lengthy one. Um, oh, we have been going on a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I am looking forward to hearing your panel at Father's from as well, which, of course, would have also happened <laughs> by the time this is released. So, uh, Yes, we're in some kind of, you know, podcast time machine here. It's quite exciting, really. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, a uh, huge, huge thank you, Jason. Really do appreciate it. It's a pleasure. It's always nice uh, chatting chatting with you guys. Yeah, look forward to seeing you at Father's Rom again, which we'd have already uh, <laughs> had. We'll have already had our Christmas dinner. Yeah, we've already been drunk, so all good fun. Marvellous. <laughs> thank you ever so much, Jason. Really do appreciate right, it. Cheers. Thanks a lot.
to start the day on a cold and frosty morning. This is the way to start the day on a cold and frosty morning. This is the way to Vintage Star Wars carded figures to cheer up young children on those cold and frosty mornings. Cards, bubbles, figures and weapons. All goodness and nothing wasted. Vintage Star Wars, central heating for kids. Okay, welcome to the events section. We've finally reached the end of the year, and all of us hopefully have shaken off our hangovers today as we've just come back from Fathers from Seven. Guys, I'd like to you know, briefly have a chat about Fathers from Seven and our sort of memories and recollections from it, if you can actually remember anything. Ben, what was your highlights? I enjoyed, I enjoyed the Christmas meal. I thought that was really, really good. Um, had a real community feel to it. It was nice giving Dave his cake and delivering his... Christmas present for him because he was uh, really quite chuffed with that and he puts a lot of hard work and effort into most of the things he does for the, the Star Wars or the collecting community in general because he does his uh, action force uh, and his He-Man things as well and he does seem to receive very little recognition from some quarters for the research he does, the materials that he provides other people when they're doing research and the events he puts on so it was nice to, nice to sort of say thank you and uh, so just show him how much we appreciate what he's been doing. So I, I, I quite enjoyed that. The show itself uh, was very good. There were some presentations. There was one that I think would have been quite interesting about radio radio documentaries, but I couldn't understand the guy. I think he was Polish or something. I couldn't understand what he was saying about them. Luckily, he had some, some English on his slides. So uh, the presentations were pretty good. Yeah, nice to catch up with some people that are fast becoming old friends now, really. And also... Have a bit of a purchase or two. What about you, Rich? Yeah, for me, Grant, it, I mean, it's great walking up the hall and seeing all of the vintage items here, but it's meeting the guys from the forum, you know, putting faces to names, and putting names to user names, and just generally having a good time talking about Star Wars. Why did we lose the quiz? I know we came second, but, you know, the Kivecast, unfortunately, their Skype went down. Why did we lose the quiz, Rich? To Jedi News, who were on fire. I think we lost the quiz because we were answering the wrong questions. We just ha- we had the right answers. Oh, okay. Stu, how's your Greedo doing? He's uh, he's fine. He's sitting up on my shelf. And um, what? Well, any any recollections there of uh, fathers from? Can you actually remember anything? Well, um, Ben just said that the meal was a really nice touch, and I would agree. Ben, I sat down and had this plate of turkey, red cabbage. And I was thinking, I really look forward to this. And I was sitting with just with three people. I was sitting with Grant, uh, Nick Isle of White, and a new member remember that I met over the weekend Rob Styler he was a was a cracking lad I'm sure you'd all agree on that and uh, within a couple of minutes Nick had bought a round of Zambukas to go with my first mouthful of turkey then Grant bought another round to go with my second mouthful of turkey and then halfway through the meal we, they started doing trips to the pub because they'd run out of Zambuka and bringing back, back rounds of Zambuka during the meal so by the time the meal had ended I don't think our table was in the best of a 
in the best of ways, was it? In fairness, but um, I totally agree with Rich. I think the uh, event meeting meeting new people all the time. There were some cracking um, cracking lads off the forum there. That's Sambuca, isn't it? The best prep for uh, for a quiz show, is it? No, mate, <laughs> not at all. Pete, you seem to have uh, managed to pick up a Princess Leia Bush Miss card. Can you tell us about <laughs> it? <laughs> I think my brain had been rewired by Sambuca. Some lunatic from the Isle of Wight put down a bottle in front of me and then told me to drink it all, which is kind of bizarre. So the Princess Leia, Boosh, her bubble was upside down and her helmet had accidentally got stuck in it. I know, it's amazing. And it made it, it jump from the bubble as well. It, it, is, it is actually a bit like, there is a few things a bit strange about it. I think the strangest thing was that the um, helmet wasn't by her feet, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I still blame uh, Sambuca. As usual, there was um, there was a lot of dealers there. Uh, any memories from the uh, the stuff that was for sale? I think you know one thing about Father's Farm is it's got such an eclectic mix and a, a fantastic range as well, from beta figures all the way up to things that cost thousands of pounds. So any any items stand out from the stalls? I thought Andy X Wing's stall. He had a, a many many mocks on there. Phenomenal. All of them were in just such nice condition. The bubbles were mint. The cards were mint, and just his range was incredible. You also had a pop-up saber as well, didn't you, Rich? I wasn't really paying attention. One of the um, coolest things I've seen in a long time, uh, and pretty rare, was the Empire Strikes Back Hoth Trooper Lobot miscard. Yeah. Um, something that you don't see very often at all. Not not um, not like the Trilogo miscards, which, although they're labelled as miscards, are quite common um, for the simple reason that they were assembled in the factory that way to use overstock card backs and figures. Uh, this guy was a genuine mistake where someone had put the wrong figure in the wrong card and it had got through quality control and out into the shops. Um, so yeah, that was that was something. It was in good condition as well. That was graded and it was graded 75. It was looking beyond the little number that means nothing. It was in fantastic condition. Yeah, four, £495 on that one, wasn't it? Yeah, but super rare though. Have you seen one before? Not um, other than a photo. No, not actually in the flesh. So I question whether it was a bubble test, because I've never seen one on an Empire card before. Could well be. Yeah, could well be. There was uh, CoinNut was there as well with uh, Richard. They had some fantastic uh, proof cards, didn't they? And some coins and some loose figures and everything. Um, Mark Stall, uh, the Jawa pens. Did anyone see the Jawa pens that he had, the Helix ones? His stall was incredible, wasn't it? For, it was, wasn't it? For the oddball person. Some some absolutely beautiful pieces, but even the oddball prices when you're talking to them, they've just gone through the roof. Yeah, the Princess Leia um, uh, pencil case. I was, oh, it was fifty quid. It was just too much for me, but it was so beautiful. They had two yeah. of them as well. The Jawa, the Jawa pens. That's the very first time I've ever seen a five pack. He had them for five hundred pounds. But uh, I think I've, I found a seller, uh, a buyer for that one. He also had the uh, Pally Toy Empire Strikes Back. Shelf talkers, the complete range. I thought that was phenomenal, and someone actually picked those up. I think they went for six hundred pounds as well. He also had two sign, um, two signages uh, at the back. Then the other store, there was an Empire Strikes Back one, which I think he wanted a thousand pounds for, and there was a Return of the Jedi one with several sort of uh, drawn figures on it. I don't know how much that was, but Son of Jango was almost ready to uh, <laughs> to take a pop until he realised it was a thousand. But it was yeah. Is that the is it the seventy seven or the seventy nine header? Which goes yeah, for quite big money, and so, then, yeah. The Empire Strikes Back, Pally Toy, Hangar Display. I mean, all this stuff was phenomenal. 
It was. I mean, I thought I took some good pictures of his store actually because it was. I mean, it was just that pencil case. They had fifty quid pencil case. Just oh! he did have a slightly worse quality one for a bit less, but he wasn't shifting on the price whatsoever. So, but one day, I mean, that is a that that pencil pencil case is just so nice. Right, are we going to be prepping for, to get our revenge on uh, Jedi News because those guys were on fire? We better research up on Action Force tours, and we if we're going to win the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or if Richard just listened to me on vintage cl- collection stuff, which sadly was the only round I knew anything about, we might have got a few more points. And also, letting someone else have the mic, he really didn't trust us, did he? No, he didn't, because uh, I think if I had the mic, we would have nailed that vintage collection round, because I'm really sad on that sort of stuff, and that was it. I think I might, might, might be the only person who's quite good at modern. That's going to be my strength, I think, in the future. So I actually think it was Richard's fault we lost. Yes, it was Richard's fault we lost. Yeah, I all agree. Because we, yeah. if, if we got the microphone off him, I would have answered the vintage collection one because I had loads in my head. Although Sambuca was affecting me completely and killed me. Would you guys be up for uh, uh, another two-day Father's Farm? Do you reckon this is the way to go forward? Well, I think it, it's the best thing to go down the night before, so you might as well have something in the evening because then, then you have the incentive to get down a bit early, have a few pints. Yeah, I think it, I think it works. I think having a little session in, in the night, an organised one, I think as Chris Mann said, you know, we can go down the pub with your mates any time, but go into the town hall with <laughs> a bunch of loons and have some Star Wars-related fun, I think it's brilliant. Loved it. Yeah, and I think, uh, you, you know, I want to come back as well and just say that David Tree and his crew did such a phenomenal job. I mean, there was such a large, large itinerary, and all of that needed, you know, putting together. And, you know, it was unfo- unfortunate that we d- weren't able to do the... Uh, contest with the Tivecast, but I still, you know, I still think it worked, and we still had loads of fun there. And you know, just to have medals as well, there was just so much going on. Look forward to the next one. Which have we got any dates on the next one yet? He mentioned March time. March April, isn't it? March April. Okay, look forward to it. I've got a couple of things to mention. I mean, all those stores that you talked about obviously had some amazing gear, but I want to mention um, Fuzzy Fuzzy Toys store because for the likes of me who aren't interested in all that packaging junk, um, to actually go down and see loose items in you know very very good condition at reasonable prices was fantastic and i looked at quite a few of jimmy's items and i bought a couple of things that i, I didn't I, I did need but i wasn't really after them just because the price was so great and uh jimmy kept dropping the price and it wasn't about the price i was going to take it at, the, at his first price but when he dropped them i didn't have the heart not to you know not not to wander off so I got quite a few items of Jamie, so that was great. Um, I'd also like to shout out to the guy who did the presentation right at the end, and that must have taken some courage, that, because he came in by himself, did a five-minute presentation, pretty much ad hoc. He had some great stories from his childhood. Uh, it was a good shout-out to Neil. It was nice meeting you, and I uh, hope you get registered on the forum soon. Well, Rich, that's a good segue. Let's listen to that interview. Neil, welcome to the podcast. Um, have you enjoyed yourself at Father's Farm today? Yeah, it's been really great. It's been a really good show. Do you come to all the Father's Farms, or do you select which ones you can get to? I've been to the last three. And have you picked anything nice up today? Yes, I brought an Imperial attack base, uh, brought some loose figures, and various knickknacks. And you've just done a presentation which wasn't uh, advertised, it's quite impromptu, so what, uh, what made you decide to do that? I was going to uh, do one, but I lost touch with uh, Dave and... Uh, it was very last minute because I've had some problems at work with that and sorting out a presentation because the original one was a little bit different. So I thought I'd come down today and just do an impromptu show and tell, really. And uh, for the benefit of our listeners, would you just give a very, very brief overview of what you talked about? Uh, I talked about growing up 
in the late 70s and what I collected as a kid and what was available and that and just that really. And would you like to tell our listeners why you have an affiliation for the return of the Jedi, General Maydean? Uh, General Maydean was the uh, first figure I ever saw from the return of the Jedi range in my toy shop. It was it was the only figure there and it was I had to get it. It was as a kid, you know, it was just my first figure from Return of a Jedi. So I ran home to my mum, told her, you know, this figure's out, I've got to get it and I pestered her for half an hour. Finally she said, Neil, go and get it. That's all right. That's why it was a special memory for me. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that, Neil, and um, I'm glad you enjoyed Father's Form. Many thanks. Okay, even though these guys thrashed us in the uh, quiz, I'd really like to move on to our next interview, where we're going to welcome back Mark Newbold, who was one of the very first guys we interviewed on our first episode, and James Burns, who we've always wanted to try and get onto the show, so we finally got him on, from Jedi News and Radio 1138. I just want to say, before we go into this interview, we were using new equipment at Farthest From, and we had the... uh the equipment too close to our phones. So during this interview, there is some phone interference. But um, the interview's too good not to use, and obviously we will learn from this. So please enjoy the interview. Just ignore the phone interference. Okay, we're really fortunate to have uh, both James Burns, who we've wanted to get on the show for a very long time, and Mark Newbold from Jedi News and Radio 1138. Guys, welcome... Uh, well, Mark, welcome back to... Uh, Star Wars Forum UK podcast, because you were on our very first episode, which was fantastic. Uh, so welcome back. And James, finally got you on Star Wars Forum UK podcast. Phenomenal. James, I'm really hoping that in 2015 we'd actually get you down for an interview. That's something we'd really like to do. Absolute pleasure. I would love to come on the show. And yep, we'll sort it out. We'll make it happen. Um, last night, there's no doubt, you kicked our asses. Not only do you know more about Star Wars than us, you know more about vintage Star Wars than us. Uh, any any, any uh, recollections about last night? Mark, probably more than you've got. Um, <laughs> we, we, I, I think we, we were lucky. We got questions that we knew some of the answers to, and we knew some of the answers to yours, and I'm sure you knew some of the answers to ours. So I think, and it was it was level pegging going into the last round. So I think the last round was the one that kind of uh, did it, um, and we had a couple of lucky ones, a couple of lucky shots in the dark. So, but yeah, um, I, I'm I'm quietly satisfied with our night's work. I know you are, James. Any recollections? <laughs> Look, you know, at the end of the day, it's 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 nice to win something we we were very much the underdogs and Dave will be testament to that the last time that Mark and I did a quiz together we were at the Hilton Hotel believe it or not in London uh, it was in 2012 it was the Medicine Amar Star Wars quiz first time every time they did it and there was about 350 people yeah, yeah. McFly and loads of Star Wars fans it was hosted by um, uh, uh, Radio One presenters, what, yeah. uh, Edith Bowman and others. Alex Zane. Yeah, Alex Zane. So it was a really high profile thing. It was black tie. It was a really big deal. And uh, <clears throat> I'm delighted to say that we actually won that. Uh, and we beat Warwick Davis's table by a few points. And he was not best pleased. So um, to come here and to have won last night, I think that may actually pip that. I don't know. It was, it was you know, I don't know. It was... It, look, it is nice to win. Kids. It's nice to see you happy, James. I can tell you. Look, happy kids. Look, 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 kids. It is the taking part that is the most important thing. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Stu, uh, what's our excuse? Um, <laughs> Sambuka. Sambuka, yeah. But um, where are you going to keep your medal? Um, <laughs> my medal will either go on my shelf next to my Medicinema medal and trophy, 
Um, or I might, I might uh, give it to Steve Sansweet and then he can have it on permanent loan. So you you've know. got it around your neck, I've seen. Yeah, there it is. There it is. No, yeah. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, uh, 2014 was a phenomenal year for you uh, with Radio 1138 joining the. Uh, Rebel Force Radio guys on Shark Glass Digital. Any reflections of 2014, Mark? Any highlights for you? Uh, it's just been a really good busy year. I think we, yeah, like I say, it was nice to get the podcast up and running, but it started at the back end of 2013. I think we got one episode out that year, and then, but this year's when it's really got going. And we went by week, uh, by monthly. That's right. So we're doing two episodes a month now, as we were just doing the one. So that's, that's worked out well. Um, and we've got our own release date for that. It's now Thursdays moving forward. That's right. Shill, keep pushing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's really good. It's, it's fun. We've had some good guests on. Uh, we even had Grant on. That was good, and uh, and um, we had the, and we were the first podcast in the world to have the first confirmed actor from yeah. episode seven. So Warwick Davis came on, which was amazing. So uh, that was a world first, which yeah. was pretty good. And we've had some amazing people on all the way. You know, Steve, Warwick, Jeremy Buller. Yeah. You know, ev- everyone and Grant. And, and, and Grant, yeah. No, it's just funny. It's funny. It's nice. It's good to get out there and get to conventions because we try and do a lot of it. I can see you laughing in the background. I love this. Uh, it's really good to get out and, and, and like stuff like this, like far this from me. We always come, we always see you guys here. So it's nice to always catch up and have a chat. Talk but we about do, I mean, we yeah. go everywhere. We go to memorabilia, we go to the States two, three times a year. Try. We're both going to uh, the US Toy Fair and the UK Toy Fair, which is January and February, respectively. I'm going to pop over to Nuremberg for a couple of days because Mattel are doing some amazing reveals. So, you know, there's so much coming and we've done so much this year and we want to take it further forward beyond. I mean, there's just going to be so much going on. I, yeah. I went through the diary with my wife and I said, well, I'm away here and I'm away here and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And she's like, are you? Um, so um, she's actually coming out with me to Roger Obi-Wan for a week uh, uh, next autumn so that was you know sort of payback which is fine because she loves Stephen Bob so it's good yeah the um, 2015 is going to be a spectacular year for us all of us um, obviously episode 7 is a is a major thing any other things in uh, in 2015 that we're looking forward to Mark yeah season 2 with Rebels obviously looking forward to that and I think that launches at Celebration which is obviously the other big thing we're all looking forward to so Celebration should be bonkers I think just the running to Force Awakens I think just the excitement I mean there's so much next year we've got the toy fair we've got three well four big toy fairs if you include Hong Kong just before the UK one then uh, straight after that we've got stuff going on we've got memorabilia at the NEC we've got Expo in London we then jumped to Celebration in April. We've then got San Diego Comic Con. We've then got D23, where I expect to see a plethora of new Star Wars announcements for the Disney parks. Um, then after all of that, we've got memorabilia again. We've got Expo again in London. And then to wrap up the year, as if all of that isn't enough in itself, we've got this little film that's coming out on December 18th. Guys, do you... Um you know, uh, do you actually think that we're going to get an episode 7 trailer in Anaheim I'd like to think so I think we'll get something I think we might get something uh, on the 18th of December this year hopefully a, a poster or something a teaser poster or something like that um, but uh, yeah I'd like to think certainly with Age of Ultron I think we'll get something tied together because obviously the Disney connection but, but at Anaheim I, I said it on our show I think we might get a scene like a 30 second sequence from a scene I think that would be great just to get a feel for what the actors are doing and the look of it and that but yeah I don't think they're going to give away the farm though I think no, it'll no, be no. more of a tease I think, I think if you look what Disney did this year at San Diego Comic Con where they, where they showed the trailer for Age of Ultron and they used this amazing technology where nobody could record it at all nobody, the, no visuals leaked at all 
the audio came out, but it was very, very, you know, you couldn't really tell a lot of what was going on. They employ the same technology at Anaheim for celebration. Then I think we'll see the trailer. I'm, it makes a lot of sense to put the trailer on Age of Ultron, which is two weeks after celebration. And if I was them, I'd put it at the back end of the film, yeah. which is what Mark and I sort of believe is going to happen. Not that they're going to worry about because that's going to do billion 1.8 yeah exactly so that's that's what we think there's there's a new rule about uh, trailers that each studio so this is Disney as a whole can only put out three trailers per year not just Disney every film company can only put out three trailers per year outside the six month release window for the film so they've already used one of them with the teaser for The Force Awakens Um, and if you look at May if they put that there Age of Ultron, then you know it's just outside that six month window as well. So that's what we think is going to happen. Um, but we could put it in Ant Man. Ant Man's July, I think. So. Yeah. Well, that's that's, that's the other, the other one, option. I yeah. mean, bearing in mind that the Age of the conversation here. Sorry. But <laughs> Age of Ultron was we got that trailer in October, and yeah. it was first shown in July. That's right. So really August, well September, October, yeah, three months, and it didn't leak. So they could show it in Anaheim and then not put it in front of the film till July again. Yeah. Well guys, listen, it's fantastic having you on the show. It's also great. I consider you guys as good friends now and I'm really looking forward to celebrating 2015. We've got lots of things. We're working on some really, really amazing things with Disney at the moment for uh, for the first quarter of next year, which we hope we can uh, to let people in on. Uh, we're looking at uh, maybe some Jedi News exclusive Rebels screenings at the Disney HQ. So we're trying, we're working that without Disney at the moment. So we've got some really, really cool things in the pipeline, and uh, it's going to be an amazing. Year. It's also the 15th anniversary of the UK Garrison 501st here in the UK. So that's something else major to celebrate. That's that's a really, really big achievement. So we'll be celebrating that with them. It's just going to be an amazing year. And don't forget the 10th anniversary of Episode Three. Yes. Oh yeah, of course. Do you know what? I remember back in 20, uh, 2005. And seeing those credits go up and thinking, oh, well, that's it then. Yeah. Uh, it's over. Yeah. 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 yeah, and there's, um, you know, I know I'll probably get a slap for this, but um, Mark's been commissioned to write another one of his amazing articles for Star Wars Insider oh, yeah. uh, about uh, the 10-year anniversary yeah. of uh, Revenge of the Sith. And uh, obviously you can catch us both in Star Wars Insider on a regular basis, starwars.com on the blog, and also uh, obviously at Jedi News uh, and everywhere else that we'll, you can find us and... Uh, yeah, yeah, good times. Yeah, yeah, guys. Well, listen. Thank you so much for for coming on our show, and really, really look forward to 2015 with you guys. It's going to be incredible. Cheers. Okay, <laughs> do we have another interview, please, guys? Yeah, we did manage to get an interview with um, Dan Burgess. Brilliant. Let's listen to it. Right, we are here with Dan Burgess, the forums Sodge. Formerly <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Dan. Farthest from highlights. Zambuka. Uh, more Zambuka? Uh, more Zambuka? <laughs> Have you bought anything? A bit, yeah. I've bought, uh, I paid £30 for an empty box. Uh, I've bought, with instructions. Uh, with instructions. Um, I've bought a Yoda uh, deck of a playset. Box set. Box set. <laughs> and some credit cases. And, and some more instructions. Yes. For the same thing you bought instructions with. Now, new to the forum this year, is that yes, correct? that's correct, yes. Alright. I've noticed on the sales threads, Empire yeah. Strikes Back. Yes. It seems to be your thing. Yes. Um, why Empire? Um, I think really just because I like the logo and the strikiness of it on the box. Um, it's my favourite movie of the, of the trilogy. 
Uh, and yeah, that's a good place to start. I mean, in terms of prices, to go if I started in the 12 backs, it's a bit pricey, isn't it? It's crazy numbers, and they seem to be at a, a level I could afford. So that's what I went for. Are you just trying to get each figure on an Empire card to start with? I've gone with just the figures that are in the movies rather than getting like a Greedo or a Hammerhead that aren't isn't it actually in the movies. I've stuck with the, the actual characters that are from the movie. Um, and all the vehicles, play sets, just anything with the Empire logo on really. How much left to get? Uh, a few, a couple of play sets. I need an X-Wing in, a, in a, an Empire box and a Power Droid, funnily enough. There's <laughs> a couple downstairs. Yeah, they're a bit pricey now, unfortunately, so I'm going to have to give them a miss today. It was a Power Droid in Empire, so you're safe. Yeah, I know, that's why I guess. I've done my research. Good man. Research. And uh, whereabouts was that? Yeah, co-base. <laughs> Just trying. <laughs> um, right, highlights from 2014 uh, as a Star Wars fan and as a collector. Um, I mean, as a collector, getting in on the forums and coming to the first forums from and getting to see you guys and getting to know you. Um, going to Ian's garage sale back in September was pretty cool. Um, and then again today, coming down here, just you know, reuniting with everyone. It was a, it was a great night. And, yeah, seeing uh, seeing what goes on. Yeah, it was good fun. And what's your collecting goal for 2015? Get an Empire Power Droid. For less than 200 quid. Just take that upstairs now. And order 200 quid. <laughs> the trailer? Yes. Thoughts? Yes. Um, I thought it was great. I don't know, I don't know if you people have got issues with it, but I think it looks, uh, it looks, it looks a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good movie. We've got our hands. Um, and now the hype's going to kick in and we'll see what happens next. Going to buy the, uh, the toys? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. That's a definite no. Well, I started buying the vintage collection back when they were bringing that out, and then it's kind of like you've got, the, you know, you've got these figures in your hand, and you're like, it's not as good as the real thing, is it? So it kind of frust. I think a few people it's frust them into going and actually buying the real thing and then spending lots of money. And I don't know if they bought them out on vintage callbacks, five points of articulation, vintage style. I might be no, tempted, you know but. It's yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll have to see. I'm not. I'm not planning to. If they've gone down that tops route line to kind of, you know, they, they produce a card to show the new new characters off in the film, they're going to go full out retro, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're really going to hit it. Up. I think so. I think so. I'm just debating whether or not I'm just going to stick with it. It's just what I love. I used to have so much. Not just modern, but loads of 80s collectibles and things like that. And I've got rid of all of that. Focused in on vintage and. Too much money. There was an Empire Strikes Back card is signed, which you were tempted with for a thousand pounds. Yes. How far are you going to go with Empire Collector? As in, you might go for figures and play sets, but what? Can you see it becoming an enormous collection of Empire Strikes Back? I think so. Well, it's, yeah, yeah. I was already there. Are you already a massive? No, well, it, it's, it's a fair bit. I mean, I want to go back and probably upgrade a few boxes and things like that that are a bit bashed up, but. I think if I went home with a thousand pound sign, I think I'd probably get a piece of card, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's, I mean, it's all card and plastic, card. but yeah, just couldn't just couldn't get around that in my own head. There but, is. Yeah, so I've nearly finished my loose my loose run now. Just got RT pop up saver, funnily enough. Seems <laughs> not popular at the minute, and a couple of other bits. But yeah, I've, I've gone down the variant route a little bit. I'm looking for a hollow cheeks sand person and a, uh, a couple of chai logo fets. Yeah, I'm not going to go too far down that that hill, though. Yeah, you say that now. <laughs> you say that now. That's what happened in a year's time. Yeah. Well, thank you ever so much, Dan. Okay. No doubt we'll have you on for the proper interview at some point on the old podcast. We've got the, uh, the pantomime. 
Oh, of course, we've got the Phantom <laughs> on, haven't we? Yes. Good fun. Yeah, yeah we'll be recording that this week, so yeah. 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 yeah, enjoy that. Who are you? Eric. Eric. There we go. <laughs> this podcast out before uh, before the um, Christmas one, so yeah, son of Bang, son of Django is Eric. <laughs> Cheers. Okay, great stuff. That wraps up our events section for t- well for 2014. Uh, we'll be back next month with some more interviews from Fathers From and have a look into what's happening in events in the UK for spring 2015. See you then. So, on to this month's Forum Roundup. Uh, Rich, which thread have you been looking at this month? Well, I've been looking at the SWCE archive again, and it's a post that's been made by Steve from um, the Kivecast podcast, and it's entitled, Chewbacca Blocked in Effort to Go Home, and it's in celebration of the 36th anniversary of the Star Wars Holiday Special. And what he's posted on there is about some of the prototypes that uh, were known to exist back then. Uh, there were four prototypes. There were actually possibly only three. I don't know if the Chewbacca counts as a prototype. But what you have is the Chewbacca, which was the, the normal Kenner standard Chewbacca that was released. You had Itchy, who was Chewbacca's dad. And I don't know if you've seen this, but it, it looks awful. Itchy is basically Chewbacca with some hair that's painted grey and silver. And he's had his bandolier and pouch probably ground off or um, filed away. So, so that doesn't uh, appear anymore. You have a very, very scary-looking Mala, which is Chewbacca's mother. <laughs> Basically, once again, the bandolier and the bag's been ground off. It's painted light, light brown, um, but a pair of breasts have been added. So if you can imagine Chewbacca, well, a cross between Chewbacca and Pete, I think you'll get the idea. 
And then finally, you back in a carbonite block. Yeah. And then finally, you have um, Lumpy. Lumpy is basically a bastardised Fisher Price action figure. Um, something called Johnny Boy Son Blue. This Johnny Boy basically is a standard figure in a blue suit, and Ken has done really well transforming him into um, Chewbacca or, or Lumpy, as he's known. But it's um, it hasn't been painted very well, and its its face is a bit scary. Also on there were a couple of sketches to do with the the Boba Fett sea serpent. I just thought these were hideous. I'm so glad they didn't release these. These figures in this picture, is there any prototypes out there? People got them? Yeah, th- those exist. Um, I think there's only one set, and I'm not sure if the Chewbacca is actually a prototype or whether it's just the, the bog standard Kenner, but the other three are, are definitely prototypes and they, and they do exist. I've seen those in quite a few different shots, um, not just the one that's on the SWCA. There's um, a shot where they're in a kind of forest setting, which I'm assuming was taken for some kind of publicity. Are these just mock-ups, like the ones that are in the um, Star Wars uh, German catalogue of the the twenty-back figures? Is it you know they're just testing it out? These aren't actually what they're considering these figures will look like. No, I think actually these were, I think the, the these were beyond that. I think these were what was actually going to be released. Yikes! Um, yeah. So I've got a question for you. Does anyone know why they were scrapped? And there's two answers to this. Why did they scrap these uh, prototype figures? Because they were rubbish. Well, not just they were rubbish. The holiday special was rubbish. Did George Lucas stop any kind of holiday special merchandise coming out? I don't think so. I think Ken made the decision to to stop them. Um, Because there has been some holiday special merchandise um, released over the years. And George, you know, didn't make any attempts to stop that from happening. What else would have been getting released by Kenner around the same time? Empire Strikes Back. Before that, Star Wars. Yeah, some of the some of the um, the first twenty figures were being released, and the window was believed to be too small. By the time you know that the faffed on with creating these prototypes and getting these figures out there, perhaps you know Mark making this sea serpent. Uh, it just wasn't worth the effort for for something that was bombing. And then you're right, of course, obviously Empire Strikes Back wasn't too far away. So it it just wasn't worth it. So moving on to a Star Wars Holiday Special, um, Collectors Focus. By the way, has everybody seen the Star Wars Holiday Special? Every day. Every day? I have cursed think... of you. Never seen it, no. Right, well, Pete, have you seen it? Yeah, it's awesome. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bring a few discs down to Father's from. The, the droids part of um, the holiday special is really really good it's well worth checking out even though I'm, I'm not a huge fan of what they initially had planned for Boba Fett I think the droids segment in the middle is pretty good and th- there are one or two parts of the holiday special which I think is bearable um, but I agree the things like the Wookiee porn and stuff like that's absolutely dreadful but for those who have an interest in the Star Wars holiday special and uh, perhaps have a little mini focus going, this is what's actually available. And I, and I really wonder if anybody has all of this. So you've got the press kit, and the press kit came with um, a poster, a few fact sheets, a biography. Um, do you remember you seeing at um, Belgium you had a crush on B. Arthur when you were younger? So there's a B. Arthur um, biography fact sheet included of the holiday special. So keep your eyes out for that. There were some black white stills included in that press kit as well, as along with a few other things. There were some promo stills released, 8x10 colour shots, including a terrible one of Luke 
in his um, X-Wing jumpsuit and he's standing there with his hands in his pockets and you can quite clearly see that um, he's waving his mascara. Jefferson Starship, the, the famous band from the 70s, they had a 7-inch um, single called Light the Sky on Fire and that was actually sung on the, the holiday special. Obviously the, the prototype figures, which nobody's got any chance of getting because I don't think these are moving from the collection that they're in. The Mail-Away Fett. Would you consider the Mail-Away Fett as being part of the Star Wars Holiday Special line? Okay, I've just thrown that out there, but nobody's, nobody's picked on it. Um, the Mail-Away Fett is possibly um, considered to be part of the Star Wars Holiday Special line, as well as the Red Snaggletooth. Anyone know why the Red, red Snaggletooth the, possibly considered? Is it the image on the card? Yep, the image of the card is from the Holiday Special. Um, and what's interesting is Hasbro... Much later on, I'm, I'm going to say 2001, but I, I may not be correct on that. When uh, Hasbro remade that red snaggletooth to make it more holiday special likeness match as opposed to the Kera one from A New Hope. There's a Wookiee storybook, which is a children's book. Now, that's not strictly Star Wars holiday special, but it does pick up on a lot of themes from the holiday special and, and um, has Lumpy in there. There's some Star Wars Galaxy trading cards, which um holiday special related. There are some Rep War film cells, which are mainly from the Boba Fett cartoon. Uh, they were able to pick up as well, and, and that's your lot. So if you've got a focus on Star Wars uh, holiday special merchandise, then that's your entire kit. What, what is interesting that's just been available for people to pick up, though, is uh, Charles Lippincott, who did the a lot of licensing for uh, Star Wars before it came out, uh, sold a Star Wars holiday special original rainbow script uh, on eBay uh, about a month ago and uh, it managed to get 29 bids up to $2,225 but that wasn't a reserve but he also had it for sale for a buy it now for £3,192 so that's that's a major collectible for the holiday special yeah mm-hmm. that's, um, actually, I think that's quite reasonably priced considering what it is and the yeah. provenance is there yeah yeah, and you can you can you can also get um, animation cells, can't you? They they're not original. They they uh, reproduction film cells. Ah, they okay. were made. They, yeah, they were made. Um, going to say around about nineteen ninety seven, and they were made with Lucasfilm's blessing as well. Ah, right. Right. Now on to the next uh, grant. I'm going to come to you next. Um, it's not a specific thread, but there's been three or four threads on the forum, all about that trailer. Take it away. Yeah, well, exciting times. Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens trailer was released on Friday. So I thought I would just uh, find out from you guys, since uh, it's pretty much a big deal for us Star Wars fans, what you actually thought of it. Stu, I'm going to come to you first. What was your impressions of the Star Wars trailer? I loved it, mate. From start to finish, it just excited me. I must have watched it 30 times on Friday. Um, the X-Wings just just blew me away. Uh, Pete, what about you, buddy? What did you think of the Star Wars trailer? Any highlights for you? Any criticism? Where do we start, Grant? Where do we start? It's just, I mean, this this really is the moment that we should have got when we had, I know the episode one trailer was a big deal, but, I mean, the, the, the fact that we actually got Star Wars after Return of Jedi, this is where it should have gone, I think. And um, just in all the little bits and pieces, just analysing it, I've gone through every frame frame by frame, trying to squeeze as much out of it as I possibly could. Um, and it was interesting to see that the, um, I think it's the, the rebel symbol is appearing on the uh, the X-Wings and the helmet of, I think it's Oscar Isaac in the, the cockpit. 
Yeah. So it, I'm, I'm assuming that, that that's going to lead on to something. We don't know what it is, but that that emblem was quite, you know, well, was quite prominent. I think so. Uh, the exciting times, but yeah, I mean, oh, 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 I think that's all we can say is. Oh. Rich, what about you? I know you wanted to see something a bit contrary to uh, the rest of us on the podcast. Yeah, I was a bit ambivalent with the. Uh, <laughs> I I love the prequels and I'm really really looking forward to the sequels, but for some reason the the trailer just left me thinking, okay, right. And I enjoyed the start. I, I I've got no problem with the stormtrooper bit at the beginning. I thought that was really good. I, I love the probot um, noise effect on there. I have no problem with Daisy Ridley jumping on that um, bike or whatever kind of is and flying off. Then the droid come in and the droid just doesn't do it for me and. I just, I don't, I can't see how the droid works. I, I really can't understand it. How a ball, which you're going to assume can move, move in any direction at all, I can't understand how that could be attached to the top of the, of the body. It just doesn't make sense. The X-Wings was, were great. I really enjoyed the X-Wings, um, skimming above the water. But everybody's waving on about the Falcon and the Falcon really let it down for me. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not a huge Ooh. Falcon fan, but the problem with the Falcon that I had is it was just too fast. Nothing in the original trilogy was going at that speed. I mean, and yes, and I've heard the Falcon could be upgraded, etc., etc. Um, but it, it was so quick, and there was no grace to it. If you watch the Falcon in any of the shots from the original trilogy, it's all about grace. Um, but it was just zip, it's done. The new figure at the end with the cloak, yep, yeah, I, I thought that the cloaked figure was absolutely fantastic. Not so keen on the lightsaber, but uh, I'm going to reserve my judgment on that. So when I finished, I thought, hmm, right, I'm not really that fussed. I've watched it numerous times now, and I'll, I'm trying to put things into perspective. It is a teaser trailer. Uh, I've got no problem that they didn't show any of the original cast. Um, that's absolutely fine. But it, it didn't really do a lot for me. I'm still looking forward to the, the sequel, though. Okay, Ben, over to you, buddy. What did you think of it? Well, that was a pretty comprehensive analysis by Richard there, so... Uh I'll have my two penneth worth. Largely, I enjoyed it. I did have some reservations about certain bits. Uh, the the droid that Richard mentioned, I thought was a little bit... Well, it reminded me of the Destroyer droids from uh, episode one. So I wasn't too keen on that. I thought the Falcon looked a bit flat and a little bit CGI, but it was nice seeing it again. But on the whole, there was enough original, uh, you know, there were the X-Wings, the TIE Fighters, there was enough of the original sounds and feel there to, for me to think, yeah, bring on, uh, bring on the new film. Looking forward to it. I'll be there on uh, opening day somewhere watching it, no matter how, you know, irregardless of what the trailer looks like. It, it winds me up, people keep saying, oh, no, I didn't like this and I didn't like that. The actual footage, what was it, 30 seconds long, 35 seconds of actual footage? 88. And there's, yeah, no, that was the full thing, wasn't it, with all the, the sign at the end. I mean, the actual footage of stuff was nowhere near 88 seconds long. But you've got all these people keep going on, oh, yeah, I didn't like it, I don't like that, I'm pessimistic about it. All of them want to be that one that uh, doesn't conform to it, it's not the original trilogy. That was a brilliant trailer, and the chances are none of that will be in the movie. You're, you're talking waffle, you didn't like this. That, that CGI, it did look a bit CGI, the um, Falcon, especially on the second bit. But it won't be like that by the time the film comes out. Just enjoy it for what it is. Did you just see that none of it will be in the movie? 
No, I said the chances are there will be bits of it that won't be in the movie in that that trailer. He's got a good point there. I don't see it. Which, which bit? Which bit? Do no, you, think you, you don't know what's going to end up on the cutting room floor. That was put together for a teaser trailer. There's no way they've edited that film. They've only just finished filming it. So, is there is there precedence for releasing a trailer and not having parts of it in the movie? They did it on Attack of the Clones. Did they? And they did it on the Phantom Menace. Uh, what was with um, Shimmy Skywalker? And this film is still twelve months out, and uh, you are finding frames of the film, the frames of shots. Like, for example, will that shot still hold on that desert landscape for that long? Or was it specially for the trailer for, for, to get that, that jump shot from uh, John Boyega? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think you've got no soul if you don't like that, that teaser trailer. It's a teaser trailer. It is not the film finished and they've taken some bits out of it. Stuff's going to change. It's just like, here, here's a few little ideas or bits that might be in the film, like Stu says, you know, they're probably going to be a bit of enhancement here and there and, uh, you know, you, they're still, still going to be playing with shots and um, and filters and blah, blah, blah. It's just some ideas that go and criticise robots, like, oh, I don't know what that robot does. Well, you're going to find out, aren't you? That's why it's a tease. They're not going to tell you what it does. It was interesting. It was like, wow, there's a ball with a kind of like a um, a droid head on it. Obviously, we're we've gone thirty years or so on. Interesting. I can't be not intrigued. I'm like a little kid going, oh, a lightsaber with three bits on it. Cool. I mean, oh, just, just you guys have no soul. Seriously, no Star Wars soul. You become old and farty, and I'm the oldest one here. And I'm not old and farty. I am. I have been returned to a four-year-old going, come on, take me to the cinema. Let me watch it, please. Come on, boys. Uh, yeah, neither myself nor Rich, um, with our uh, opinions, said we disliked it. Boo! No, but no one's actually said they didn't like it. I just, um, I, I said I enjoyed it. There was just a couple of things that I, you know. Anyway, moving on. Okay. Don't you go guys... to Anaheim. Stay at home. No, no, no. Have you guys seen the um, the couple of spoof trailers that uh, people have already made? If you haven't yeah. seen them yet, on YouTube there's a Lego version that's yeah. come up very quickly, which is very cool. There's and there's three also there's three, are there? Yeah. Ah, uh, I've seen I've seen one of them, but the George Lucas Extended Edition, Special Edition, the George Lucas Special Edition, the the, the George Lucas Special Edition is absolutely hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. Whoever took the time to do that. Well, listen, I'm going to put my own closing thoughts on the trailer. I thought it was inc- outstanding. I thought it was incredible. An actual teaser trailer that, is, that actually teases you, unlike most teaser trailers these days, which are just trailers that give you the context of the film. I thought the John Boyega bit at the beginning was so shocking. It just told me, expect the unexpected in this film. The uh, next shot of the robot I thought was so ballsy considering all of the flack they got for Jar Jar Binks to have something so comical and look at you in the camera. I thought these people have got guts making this film. The stormtroopers and lightning looked amazing. I've never seen anything in Star Wars look so threatening and uh, I was dead excited by that. The X-Wings were a work of art. Daisy Ridley looked fantastic and I'm glad they've gone back to the used universe and the Millennium Falcon for me it does move like that. It moves like that underneath the Nemoidian, uh, not the Nemoidian, the uh, medical frigate. It moves like that all over Return of a Jedi. We've just never, ever seen it move like that in 
uh, in an atmosphere. So for me, I think the entire thing was incredible. I was a bit shocked by the lightsaber. I'll give you that. Hopefully it's not a gimmick and hopefully it'll have some context either in the style of fighting or how the Sith Lord uses it. And I'm, uh, I am dead psyched for this film now. Put it this way, we're all going to go to the cinema and watch it. Every single one of those people that are negative on those Facebook groups and the forum will all be there on that first day. I can't wait. I'm so impressed. Yeah, right. Let's move on then. So, uh, Ben, you're covering a couple of threads this time out, but uh, we're just going to cover, first of all, the follow-up to last month's thread. Yeah, just revisiting the uh, Let's Get Yub Nub to number one for Christmas thread. Well, as we established in the last podcast, it's going to be impossible to get Yubnub to Christmas number one because it's not on iTunes and we've got no way of getting any downloads for it. So there's been some discussion and we have chosen a, another song to try to get into the top 40. The song we've chosen is called R2D2, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. It is on iTunes, so there's a thread now on it. Uh, on the forum, as well as the Facebook group, which has finally gone live. So, what date do people need to buy this, Stuart? It's Monday the 15th till Friday the 19th. You can buy it on the Saturday the 20th, but I've been just trying to push them for those five days. So, the day after Father's from. So, it's 79p, I believe, and for your 79p, you obviously get the track. Interesting thing about this track is it's the first credited... Um, recording um, by John Bon Jovi um, allegedly so the story goes he was 17 years old and sweeping the floors at his cousin's recording studio while Mecco were recording the Christmas in the Stars album um, and his uncle Tony or his cousin Tony sorry recommended him for this song um, and it became his first professional recording and it's, uh, it's, it's actually credited as John Bongiovi, or whatever his original name, however I butchered the pronunciation. Um, so yes, the link is on there. If you want to get involved, um, 79p, it will cost you, you'll get the song, and if we get it into the charts, you can uh, say you're a part of it. Also, spread the word, because the only way we're going to stand any kind of chance of getting this thing into the charts is by making it viral, turning it into a bit of a, bit of a viral thing. Share the Facebook page with as many of your friends as you want to, and we'll see how we can do with uh, getting this thing into the top 40. Moving on, then. I've been looking at a thread which was, which was put up a little while ago now. I was going to cover it last month, which was by Rebel Runner, and it was uh, entitled A Minimum Cost of a 12-Back Beta Run. I did do some research on this, and I looked up on eBay. I went back through all the prices for everyone that sold from August, September and October, so over three months. Currently, at that time, when I did the research, you could get all 12 figures on beta card backs on Buy It Now's for 7,318. Whoa! Now, Grant, you uh, you own some 12 backs, don't you? I own one, two. What, co- what kind of, um, if you don't mind me asking, what kind of cost did you pay and what kind of condition are they in? Um, the, I got a sand person for 80 quid, but it was missing the pop, and I got an RTDT for 30 quid, but that was because it was mis, uh, mis tagged on eBay. So, yeah, I'm not a good person to come to. I can't afford 12 bags. That's insane. Well, on the buy nows, let's have a Pete. Which, which, which of all the 12 figures do you think is the most, ex- the most expensive buy now? The, like I said, cheapest price, but who was most expensive? Most expensive. I'm going to be biased to say Princess Leia. 
the oh, actual most expensive buy now available was as, as a cheap option was Luke Farnboy and the cheapest buy now you can find of him on a 12 back at the moment was £1,446 oh, which was thing where the cheapest buy now um, currently was Sam Person for £163 that was the beginning of November and uh, but that did have a slight lifting on a bubble so a lot of people wouldn't touch it right so I did put I went back through the sales of what had been sold and uh, to see what I could have put one together for a little run over those three months. Now, Rich, how much do you reckon? Nearest pound? I'm going to say 2,100. And which do you think was the most expensive and which one do you think was the cheapest I could have got? I'm going to say the Death Squad Commando was most expensive. And the cheapest I'm going to say was probably three people. Ben? I'm going to say £3,000. I'm going to say the most expensive was Han Solo. I'm going to say the cheapest was Aaliyah. Pete? Oh, ooh, I reckon oh, somewhere in between. I reckon just over about, oh, I don't know, about two and a half grand. Right. And I reckon the cheapest, I said it would probably be Leia. Most expensive. Ooh, it's a, ooh, it's a difficult one. Uh, I'll just go with uh, ben Kenobi and Grant. Okay, I'm going to go for three thousand six hundred pounds. I'm going to say the cheapest is definitely the Jawa, and I reckon Luke Farnboy is the most expensive. Well, it's interesting, quite quite close actually. The uh, you could have put together a whole set in that three months for three thousand three hundred ninety-seven. So Grant was a thing. The cheapest was actually R2D2. One sold for a hundred and five pound, and it wasn't too bad. The bubble was badly crushed. But the card was in really, really good, good condition. So, 105. I don't think that's too bad for a, a 12 back. So, uh, but the most expensive was a Darth Vader. The cheapest Darth Vader I could find was 543, which wow, was there was hardly any Death Squad commanders sold in that period. Whoever had said uh, Death Squad commander expensive was rich. There was only two sold in those three months on eBay, US and UK. So. There's no end of yep. farm boys come up, no end of layers came up, bit rarer figure. But um, yeah, I just found it quite interesting, and obviously that is priced for beaters seven thousand three hundred eighteen on a bite now. I just thought it was just like ridiculous. If you want a nice set of them, you're talking into your tens of thousands, aren't you? Twelve backs have gone insane, haven't they? I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that some of these figures are harder to get because there's so many different, you know, twelve back A, twelve B, twelve C. I'm sure some of these are um, even more difficult to get on some of the 2021 backs. Well, there was, a, there was a Jawa, which was graded on there, which had a bubble crack on it, and no end of veins in the card, and it had an overall 50 rating from AFA, and that sold for £248, which I just thought was ridiculous for the uh, condition it was in. Wowzer. But, hey-ho, no 12 backs for now, I don't think. Nope, spend that money on Force Awakens figures. <laughs> you know it, it's going to happen. <laughs> I think it's possible with a bit of patience you'll be able to pick up a full 12-back one if you're not bothered about condition for about 2,000. I, I really do. Yeah you, yeah, you probably could. Like I said, that was just over three months and there's three or four figures in there that were £100-ish. Yeah, that's um, what I'm basing it. I'm thinking, you know, if most figures for a £100, £110 mark with 
close out to 150, 180 for one or two of the more expensive ones that don't come up very often. I, I think you'll get a set for 2000. Yeah, like, well, like you just said, you're right, Rich. You know, 3PO, 135, Kenobi, 180, Sandperson, 160, R2, 105, Death Squad Commander, 135. Yeah, yeah, it's doable. It's just those three or four figures which really uh, push out. Chewbacca seem to come in continuously expensive. We should specify these are Kenners, right? Because yeah. they're not Pally Toy. No, no, these are Kenners, yeah. If you yeah. were talking Pally Toy, it would probably cost you that to put a reseal run together, let alone a, a proper mint on card run. Right, so let's move this on. Then let's go over to Pete, who's uh, had his thread up his sleeve for months now. Pete, talking about 3D printers? Years. It's been there for years. Right, it, it, it's not technically a new thread, but it's always going to be relevant because uh, this is going to be something that is going to um, infiltrate your lives um, for the next probably 10, 20 years. Um, 3D printing. Does anyone out there, boys, do you know the first example of 3D printing? So when when did, when, when was it born? Anyone? Stu? Seven years. Seven years? Ben? Come on, Ben. Uh, I don't know, 1977. Interesting, interesting. Come on, Rich. I'm going to go further back. It wouldn't surprise me if it was out in the even as far back as the 40s. Four, interesting. Four is that's <laughs> two. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, Grant. That's called you. wood carving, Rich, not 3D printing. <laughs> I don't think even uh, a 3D printer in the garage. Grant, if, any, any improvement on four is? Well, I had one with, with my ZX Spectrum, so I'm going to say 1982. <laughs> well, technically, technically, the 3D printing started when in, inkjet printing started, because that's when you started to lay down layers of ink. So, technically, you, you could say 1976. Um, the, the supposed birth of 3D printing was 1984 uh, by a guy called Charles Hull. Not 1940. Not 1940, which is the most oddest answer. That's Michelangelo guy who who did the (laughs) Isn't that 3D printing? Yeah, it is. North 3D printing. Imagine them 3D printing during the Blitz, like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry, we'll we'll just print out another uh, weapon or a plane. Excellent. Well, that's what they're doing, aren't they? They're printing guns now. Absolutely. Well, let let me me continue, Grant. Let me continue. Sorry. Right, so you had your fun. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 940, that's a good one. Um, anyway, right, so 3D printing is basically a uh, extrusion machine in your household as such, if, if you had one that, that lays down layers of plastic or vinyl or, or nylon or whatever you want it to do. And it builds it up, um, it basically fuses it together, and you can have something from, from a computer model in your hand. Now, I first came across this in about 19... About 1999, uh, at Procter & Gamble, I worked there. They spent an utter fortune, about, I think it's about 70 or 80,000, maybe even more than that, to buy a machine, uh, which saved them a fortune on prototyping, so they're making bottle caps and that sort of stuff. And it'll take about three or four days just to print it out. Um, now, obviously, the, these things are getting printed out pretty quickly, but um, it has been around for quite a while. There, there are a few sort of... I, I, I don't know if you guys know how, many, how, many, how, thing, how fast this is actually... Uh, moved on 3D printing, and you can you can understand why um, if, if this starts to become, and it will do at some stage, starts to become something you can put into your house or into a community um, area, um, things are really going to change um, in our lifestyles. I mean, for example, in 2002, they managed to produce a working kidney, which is interesting because remember, it's not just plastic; it's it's other it's any type of material. So, you could effectively, for for Ben, uh, print out a curry. 
if you wanted to. So you can have all the ingredients there, and it would actually construct that curry for you. So um, um, it was also rich a sense of humour. Um, I think I think that's possible. Yes, it won't be too hard, would it? Really, it has to be like like a, a book of jokes, and it'd be funnier than rich. In two thousand eight, they actually they actually created a self-replicating 3D printer. So a 3D printer that printed out its own parts and recreated another 3D printer. Um, as, it, as it kept going on, in 2009, they started um, printing out uh, cells to blood vessels, which is pretty scary. Um, so Richard could actually be recreated in a more humorous form. Um, and, and they've just gone on from there. They, they actually print out, printed a car in 2011, which actually managed to produce 200 miles per gallon on the highway. So there we go. So the the, the uses are, are kind of endless in a way. Um, this this is something that that is going to transform. Pete. Um, yep, hello. What about Star Wars? Hang on, I'm coming for that. I'm coming for that, young man. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming. Right. So if you could have then a anything you wanted printed out, anything at all, it could be it could be Star Wars or not. What would you go for, Rich? If you could print out anything, nothing at all, because I know it would be fake, and I'm not—I'm not a Red Bull guy. <laughs> wow, Rich, you are the funster in this pack, aren't you, Ben? A chicken tikka pathia, a mushroom rice, a garlic naan, and a side of sag paneer. Rich, you could do a pop-up saber. You could. You just keep making them. You could I've given away—I've given away two Red Bull pop-up sabers. I'm not going to make a one, am I? But it'd be your own one, Rich. Your own, made for the same materials and the same plan. Stu, come on, you must be more interested in these guys. I would I'll, like make. a real lightsaber and maybe a couple more inches. <laughs> Sausage. Well, technically, if they're recreating blood vessels, you could. But in terms what of... What would th- he do with three inches? <laughs> <laughs> Double his height, clearly. So if, if we're talking then in terms of, of Star Wars collecting, I mean... If, if you think, think about that, this can create pretty much anything. So, I mean, to, to print obviously a card out is easy. Bubbles would would not be an issue. Um, is this something you think that, that that say in ten, fifteen years time, you wouldn't be relying on the large manufacturers, and you would be maybe having your own house, or you know, I mean, would would you like a start a modern Star Wars figure? Let's let's say uh, Episode, you know, twelve comes out. And you don't have to go to the shops. You're just literally downloading it and printing it out. I mean, would that be something that, that would interest anyone? Would it, would it feel a bit weird to sort of have your own thing made in the house? Or is it the experience of getting the item that, that makes it? Well, Pete, that kind of like reminds me of you go to the video store and you have a browser of the videos and, you know, choose a video, bring it home, and now you just go to Netflix and download it. So it would be an evolution of that, I guess. I mean, it could be highly possible that people would just download codes into a printing machine to to buy their commodities. Well, that's it. I mean, if I would assume that if if everyone has one of these and and if the technology is already there and it's creating tiny little you know cellular objects, then making a making a figure on a card or a toy or parts of a toy that you assemble, I mean, it's it's already here, really. It's just just a matter of time of making that technology available for everybody. You know, put it, put it, actually put it into households and making it easy. Um, there was actually a project that people are doing where you're you're just taking shredded up plastic that which you can do in your house and making simple devices out of it. So cups, saucers, that sort of thing, just using your, your everyday plastics. 
So it's it's all already possible. Yeah, there was some guy on um, on one of the Facebooks that had uh, built a vintage uh, slow speeder harpoon out of the uh, 3D printers. But I wonder if there's any way of telling how old the plastic is. Like, is plastic evolved a lot since the 70s and the 80s? You'd be able to say, no, this is actually uh, a vintage uh, action figure. Well, I think I think you, well for a start, you, you'd have to have some some device which use the same plastic. I mean, I mean, if you take the nth degree, it would probably be quite hard to find out, but at the moment, these things, the actual design coming out of them, uh, the, there's a quite a lot of work to go on after it, it's actually printed out. They're quite rough around the edges, because you're, you're laying down plastic layer by layer by layer, and you get a little bit of rough around the edges, but yeah, I mean, it would be pretty, pretty hard to do. I mean, maybe that's... Well, I would think 30-year-old, 40-year-old plastic has a certain amount of de- degradation in it, doesn't it? So you get figures going yellow and stuff. So I would imagine it would be pretty easy to tell, a bit like when we talked about proof cards earlier. There must be a keen eye to, to, to seeing whether something is Reaper or not. Well, yeah, it's like that. Uh, what's in the box last month, they were able to scan it, and you could see, like, uh, tiny air holes in the plastic. So I wonder if it would render that, or would it just render a perfect figure? I guess if you're going at the same level, you, you could reproduce you could reproduce exactly that, couldn't you? It's quite scary. Uh, yeah, um, surely if it's um, extruded plastic, so it's being laid down in layers, the physical properties of a, a reproduction weapon or reproduction figure or something like that, the fact that the originals have been moulded and these will be effectively laminated plastic, there should be some sort of clue. I think mean, it would just be a case of finding it, but there should be some sort of clue as to maybe the flexibility of the material or something like the flow test or the drop test or something like that that weight. will give you a indication, maybe the weight, the density. Um, it should give you some kind of indication as to the material that's been printed versus the original material which has been injection shot or however they however they make it. At the moment, Ben, if you can think about it, the, the, the 3D printers that are actually on the market, um, it's pretty rough and ready. I mean, you can print something that you can tell what it looks like and it's uh, a little bit rigid around the edges. But we're talking ongoing, you know, when, when these things become more and more sophisticated. I mean, effectively, um, you'll be either injection moulding or, or blow moulding these things or extrusion moulding. So it would technically be the same process, but in your house using tiny little injection heads. Pete, you seem to know quite a lot about this. What is your uh, estimation of how much of a threat this is to vintage collecting? I still think that you can't get past having the vintage item there. I think it would be a lot of work, a lot of technology to create something which you know, you, you can get hold of. I, I, I wouldn't see it as much of a, a threat as such. I mean, people w- want to own something that looks the same, a bit like they, they, they can also do now. So when you get the repro yak faces, I mean, that's always going to be a, you know, a, a type of threat. But I mean, as we all saw that Reaper Yak face, it was shocking. It was it was sticky, hadn't been cured properly. The plastic was all over the place. You know, it was awful. But it, it's something that maybe long term. But by, I think by the time that comes round, <laughs> most of us will probably be <laughs> be either bored of collecting, already got our collections, and um, let another generation fight it out. But I mean, you're always going to get threats to that sort of thing. As technology improves, it's yeah, the threats going to going to get better and better. I mean. People with, with really good printing machines in their houses can start printing off really quality-looking, you know, card backs. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, you had to have gone to a printer, so it's already changing, isn't it? I mean, it's already going to be a, a big battle in the future. 
I guess it would just it would just add to more expertise in the field. So you'll get more people like yourself who can tell a fake from a um, a real one. So there's your next job, Grant. You can just be a professional Star Wars fake identifier. Uh, isn't that Mr. Palitoy's job? Yeah, and I'm sure there'll be many others. So, and finally then, back to Ben for the uh, thread regarding the end-of-year awards. Ben? Yeah, uh, another thread that um, I wanted to talk about on this on this podcast is the end-of-year awards thread. So, this was an idea that was originally conceived by The Force UK. Uh, he came up with the idea of having a kind of spoof awards ceremony for the end of year, um, basically covering the past 12 months on the forum or anything really that uh, has has happened or involved Star Wars Forum UK. There are a number of different categories of awards and our organiser, Northern School Teacher Friend, decided to take the lead on collaborating this. So the awards are the Thread of the Year Award, which is the Binding the Galaxy Together Award, Hero of the Year, which is the Skywalker Award, Villain of the Year, which is the Vader, FWF UK of the Year, which is the Solo, Purchase of the Year, which is the Owen, Seller of the Year, which is the Jawa, Focus Collector of the Year, which is the Stay on Target Award, Collection of the Year, which is the Impressive Most Impressive Award, and the Joker of the Year, which is the Jar Jar. So Rich has been asking people to send in their nominations for the best threads, and as of the recording of this podcast, he's putting together the uh, voting, which will be going out soon. However, by the time this is released, we should have all the results in and we'll be counting the results once all the votes have been checked we will be announcing the winners of these awards on the podcast Christmas special so be sure to tune in to hear that right so that is the forum roundup roundup for this month then boys well done Right, now over to Rich for this month's Boom Story. This month's Boom Story has um, been related to a few threads on a few different forums and on the Facebook um, sites. And the question is, do the forums need to cut the dead wood to survive? Now, where I'm coming from here is that over the last couple of years we've had an influx of new vintage Star Wars collectors. And many of these collectors of all of a certain age have hit a point where the children are growing up or they're working their way up the career ladder and they found that they've got more disposable income than they perhaps previously had five or, or ten years ago. Now obviously new collectors, just like old ones, have many different qualities and there's been some fantastic new collectors over the last few years. Um, so I, this is not a dig in new collectors and I, can't, I class myself as new collectors as well. But there are many new collectors who have got negative qualities. They're causing problems on quite a few of the forums and it takes a while, I think, to deal with some of them. I'm not just referring to the people who've got different opinions. I'm all for new collectors coming on forums with a completely different opinion. For example, you know, they think the modern stuff's rubbish, prequel haters, even the pro-yograders. You know, I, I can at least debate with them and I can at least talk to them and I can at least understand them, even if I don't agree with the point of view. This is not about those kind of people. 
because uh, you need those people for forums to, to thrive and keep going. What I'm on about is the kind who make no attempt whatsoever to fit into the community. They're just not interested in integrating with any of the communities that we've got out there. But at the same time, the demand to be respected, uh, and usually the, the respect that they're demanding comes from the high-value items that they're, that they're having up for sale. Here are examples of what our class is, is dead wood that I think um, the guys who moderate forums really need to take into account and think about, you know, we've, we've, we've got to start doing something with these people. So the first kind I've got is uh, the obvious troll. These are guys who perhaps post in every single thread with an agenda to wind up as many people as possible. They don't contribute to the thread, and they seem to have little digs at um, some of the more vocal collectors from time to time, uh, knowing that they're going to annoy somebody, knowing that they're going to push somebody's buttons, and that it's going to end up in a, in a flame war. Those who consistently skirt the rules, for example, instead of um, bumping sales threads, they will add to their line lights, for example, and make it quite clear that they're inviting offers. Um, things like that I, I find really irritating. Serial flippers, uh, guys who relentlessly pursuit new stock, but as they're doing that, they are, they are beating down prices. They're perhaps using sob stories, you know, to say, oh, you know, I've, I've been looking after one of these for years. Uh, the play on... Um, nice members as guilty consciences they really beat them down and then within 24 hours they whack it up on eBay they whack it up on the sales forum with a huge markup you know it's all, all it's doing is, is damaging the community those who have no patience what I'm thinking of there is the guys such as the one who posted recently on I think it was Rebuscom where we've been complaining that they've been searching for three days for Uzai Auto Droid you've got guys who've been searching for years and years and years for some of these figures um, but you've, you've got people coming in who are expecting instant results the guys who consistently ask for valuations and it irritates me when you've got somebody who sticks up a valuation thread saying I've sent these items off to, off, I've sent, sent these off to UKG they've told me that they are 80, 85 I haven't even got them back yet in my hand but I'm asking for valuation you know, that's, I just don't get that. You know, you, you've sent something off to AFA. Your argument is, I want an AFA 85. You know, it, it says it's a good quality item. You haven't even got the item. You've just got confirmation that it scored that value and automatically you're touting it out there for, for prices. That really, really irritates me. Um, and then when they do get the prices, where do they go? Straight off to eBay. Okay, so so those are the kind of deadwood guys. Um, I've just thought of another one, actually. The guys who send lowball offers to newbies. You've got somebody who joins a forum, take the recent uh, girlfriend, one that people talked about in the last episode, comes on the forum, uh, goes through the time, loads some pictures up on there, asks for some prices, and they get bombarded with low-ball offers. That, that does the community no good whatsoever. I'm, I'm going to give an example. A guy came on, I think about two weeks ago. He had an R2. I offered him 65 euros, which works out about 50 quid which I'd, for the state of the R2, and I didn't even want the R2, I only wanted the Sabre, thought that was a, a reasonable price. He came back to me and said, I'm going to have a think about it. I then found out of another member that he then went and took my offer and offered it to somebody else for a bit more. And then another member had PM'd me to say that he'd been offered it e even more. You know, and th those kind, kind of guys I, I find really, really irritating. You know, I, I think the forms need to cut them. Do any of you guys have any comments on the, those kind of individuals? One of the things that really narks me, um, similar to what you've, you've just um, outlined with the guy with the R2-D2, is people that seem to come on the forum with an item and don't put a price on it. They simply come on and sort of say, 
I've got this for sale. I, I don't know what it's worth. I'm going to be selling it, probably knowing full well that they're they're basically holding a, a blind auction. And recent changes to policy on the on the website have now brought in some new sales rules where if you're listing an item for sale, it has to have a price listed on the on the sales thread. You can't come in and say, I've got these, I'm going to be selling them, but I don't know how much for, which is an excellent idea in essence, and it'll be interesting to see how the guys police it. Not long after the new sales rule came in, we had a thread appear, I don't know if you guys have seen it, 130 figures, um, all mock apart from a blue snaggletooth, that he's going to sell as one collection. No pictures, no description of what there are, just a real loose, I'm going to sell this soon. And a couple of people have rightly said you need to list pictures and prices, but the problem is the damage is already done because the PMs will always already be coming into him saying, oh, what have you got, what are we going to do, let, let me um, let me see what you've got and let me come up with a value for you. And um, I, I'd like to see it dealt with really hardly, in, uh, really harshly in terms of when one of these threads appears, a mod basically delete the contents of the thread uh, and advise the original poster that until a a properly structured sales thread or a properly structured evaluations thread comes out that the post is not going to be on the forum because I know they're trying to stop it and they're working really hard to try and stop this blind auction and collectors competing against other collectors to try and get bits like they've been trying, you know, like what's been happening with this R2. It, it, it needs to be cracked down on a bit harder, I think, because it only needs to be there for four or five days to get certain people's attention, and and they'll be starting to look to try and buy the collection, and ultimately, they end up being sold back on the forum, but at a higher price. I think um, there could be could be a way of using some technology here. I mean, there's all sorts of forum technology out there that can be utilised. I mean, obviously, it's putting a bit of pressure on the people who run it, but maybe the sales thread becomes somewhere where you you actually have a list of requirements you have to fill in you know it's actually a form you have to fill in to actually sell sell anything so you know you, you know you can't progress i mean you, you can use web forms where you can't progress until that box has been filled in um i think that that, that might be the way the form has to go for you know maybe new new people to come on or whether the whole sales form goes out so we don't have this continual merry-go-round of newbies coming on they come on with one post then they have to be reminded straight away i mean it just gives everyone a lot of work to do um, especially the, the, yeah, the, the moderators and people like myself who are interested in buying certain stuff. Uh, you have to go back and forth. You know, you send them a PM, they don't respond to you. They say, "Oh, I don't know how to use it. I don't know how to use it," and then the, the, the whole thing falls down. But um, on the, kind of the flip side, as the whole sort of community um, side of things, I think you, you, if you're going to be an open community like the Star Wars forum is, I think you have to accept that you're going to have to deal with this type of thing. Otherwise, you'll ruin the community. If you have a really locked-off forum where people don't think they're welcome and they can't come and post, then it will quickly become a very closed-down place that no one can do anything. Um, and it's like any community. If you, You've got to be welcoming, and you've got to kind of be a little bit accepting that people are going to be different and very annoying. Um, so, it, it, unfortunately, it's just... It's can't, I mean, I think we need a few better rules, a, a little bit of better technology may be available, but you know, we're going to have to kind of just take it a little bit and help guide. Because if you do get someone who takes part long term, um, then it's worth those lunatics who do come on for one or two. So um, it, it, it kind of pays off. But, you know, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I just think, uh, we, you know, seeing as you're a hard Geordie man, Rich, and you'd probably go around shooting these people, had half a chance, like you do with your horses, uh, if they go lame, then, um, you know, maybe we uh, have to be a bit more tolerant. 
you know, th- this isn't about the newbies who come on and make the mistake. It isn't about, you know, people who genuinely don't have a clue and want to, you know, ask questions about how much of my collections work. It's about the people who continuously take the mic. As someone who's been banned from Rebel Scum twice and Star Wars from UK once, I would be an ultra hypocrite to say anything about this. But seeing as I've been an uber good person for the last year and a half, I am going to say something. Well, I was going to ask you guys a question, actually. Do you think that this is the... A reason, uh, there's a thread on Rebel Scum about this, why there's so many collectors on Facebook, but that's not filtering out to the forums. Is there a problem there? Is there something, I mean, Rebel Scum is heavily regulated, and yet Star Wars forum isn't regulated hardly at all. Yeah, the influx of the new Facebook uh, collectors don't seem to be filtering onto the forums. Actually, I'm, go- I'm going to correct you there, Grant, because I don't think that Rebel Scum, and th- this is part of the solution I'm going to come back to later on, I don't think Rebel Scum is anywhere near as heavily regulated as it was. I think after the TT scandal broke, I think Rebel Scum has changed, whether it's meant to or not, I, I don't know, but I believe it has. Um, and I think they've relaxed and become a lot more self-policing, whereas Star Wars from UK has probably gone the other way. I think they were so relaxed... Um, we've now moved towards starting to do some kind of rules. Um, but as to the the explosion of Facebook, I just think that's the the social media um, whole aspect of it. I think you've got a lot of people who have signed up to Facebook and go, um, what do I like? Oh yeah, I like I like uh, Star Wars. So they'll go and join a, a Star Wars group. Um, so that's where you get a lot of these, you know, take Jason's group for example. 10,000, 11,000, 12,000, I don't know how many. But there's nowhere near the amount of those people will be posting. They would have just joined the group because they like they clicked like somewhere down the line so that so they like Star Wars and they're just part of that community. Um, okay. A qu- yeah. Well a quick number a quick go around to the rest of you guys are there. Rich says that Star Wars forums become more regulated and Rebel Scum has become less regulated. Do you guys feel the same way? I don't really post on Rebel Scum. I have uh, the occasional look um at certain forums and threads on there but not really a lot of them so i couldn't comment on them i think our forum has got just the right amount of moderation and i don't think that it's really changed not that i've noticed since i've been on there and facebook is just like the wilderness but you've just said in your bit before that ben that we've introduced a new rule that kind of thing would have never happened 18 months ago so even and, and, I, and I think there's a, there's at least two or three introduced in the last year as well there's one in the modern thread um, and there's another rule which escapes me at the top of my head um, I think Ed posted something about possibly no low bowling or so, something along those lines so we've had at least three rules introduced so even though they're only small does it not back up the point that we are starting to become more regulated even though I totally agree with them and I think it's the right thing to do it is starting to move that way Possibly, but it doesn't really feel like it, especially taking away from the sales threads in, in the main discussion and the, and the main vintage collecting chat. It doesn't really feel like it's being tightened up or cracked down on. Well, well don't you think that, you know, if, if we, if these problems that you, that you were describing in your intro there would force the hand of moderation on, say, Star Wars Forum UK to be more heavily regulated, therefore the forum would probably lose a lot of its character? Well, anonymous solutions are to do with regulation, actually. Um, I'll talk about me uh, solutions soon, once we get to that bit. Because, you know, we've only, well, we had, you know, maybe one person banned on Star Wars Forum recently, and we've only had, uh, I can think of, this one thread locked, which isn't that bad, is it? No, not at all. And I, I don't think regulation is the way to go. 
what is your idea then? We've got a variety of issues there. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to. I'm. I'm actually saying that um, the solution to this is the community as a whole. I, I don't think it's as much down to the mods. So what I've suggested here is that all the forms have evolved and and they have done. And some rules, such as the 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 one on the sales thread, such as you can't have multiple sales threads, that kind of stuff. I don't care what you class it as, but it, it is a form of regulation, even if it's minor. Some sensible rules do have to be there. Um, and I think Stormform UK over the last year has implemented some very, very simple um, and very effective rules. Equally, on the reverse side, I think Rebel Scum have relaxed a bit. And I think that's also helped the community go and settle down a little bit as well. I believe self-policing works really, really well. It does in the main. But I'm not advocating the mob mentality because that really gets out of hand a lot. And I think if you go back to 18 months, I think we were probably as guilty of mob mentality as anybody, you know. And uh, I think some of our posts from two years ago, looking back on them now, I think we're, we're cringe on some of the things that we wrote. Yep. Yeah. Now, if you look <laughs> at some, if you look at some of the really, really successful Facebook groups, uh, they're not the popular ones. Um, they are groups where, um, I'm not going to say individuals have been invited in because that's not true. Um, but individuals have certainly had to either prove that they have an interest or prove that they have something that they're going to bring to these um, groups. You know, such as, uh, I'll take the bootleg group for example. You know, that's that's very, very closely monitored. I wouldn't say it's regulated, okay, but if somebody posts something on there and it's not relating to the bootlegs, then it's, it's cleaned up straight away. That's not regulation, that's just ensuring that... Um, the, the rules are being forced. Does that change the concept of like a forum, which is sort of open though, to sort of like I don't know, like a community or a cult? Not at all, because we've we've got subsections. You know, I mean, could you imagine Stars Forum UK without the sub subsections? So, so yeah. So what I'm trying to say is, you know, if if you if you're posting bootleg points, then it goes in the bootleg area. If you're posting things on, you know, variants, it goes in the variants area. You know, so just just being sensible about things like that can help uh, communities grow more. And what I've also put on there is we all need to do something about it. We all have a responsibility in the forums. And what I've jotted down here is, and this has ha actually happened, um, if a complete prat offers me an R2 pop-up saver for a tenner, I'd honestly refuse to take it. Okay, and and Ben's going to prove that because he's going to he's going to offer me one for ten pound, and I'm going I'm going to say no because we've got to think of the greater community. Stop thinking about your your own self interest. Think about the greater community and the, and the damage that buying off these trolls and um, buying off what I'm going to call the deadwood is actually causing. You're encouraging them to come on our forum and sell Tie Fighter pilots for you know for, for three grand. If people didn't buy off them, they would go away. Simple as. Yeah, I've got to be honest here, Rich. One of the things I've noticed on our forum is, especially Liam is brilliant at this. Our new mod, Liam is that when people do come on and sort of um, warp the rules a little bit, someone normally pops up with a view topic thing. The next post is view topic, you should read this first. You know, whether it's things like introducing yourself or valuations or stuff like that. Yeah, so would you not class that as a little bit of regulation as well? No, because it's, it's, it's supporting what you were saying. It's done by the community. I mean, yep. Liam's now a mod, but Liam used to do that way before, and I've seen other people do it. Yeah. So I totally agree with you there. So... What that's that's a, that's like an unwritten rule, if you like, um, and it's there for respect. It's there for, um, as, as you said, the, the the greater good of the community. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Can I can I just quickly ask any, uh, all you guys a, a really quick question, please? And that is, um, have any of you guys been banned on any of the 
forums. I have been banned from somewhere, but not a Star Wars forum, and I honestly can't remember what it was, and it was a long, long time ago. Any of the rest of you? Not on a Star Wars forum, no. Uh, no, not for me. Been banned from a few swimming pools, but that's as far as it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bad. Story for another time. Yeah, that was for the, uh, for the, for the sake of people's eyes, I reckon, Steve. <laughs> I've got to be honest, when I was banned from Star Wars from UK, it was the day before the Disney acquisition of Lucasfilm. What a terrible time to be banned. Couldn't speak to anyone about it. Can I ask you what you did? Yeah, uh, it's U-grading, which sets me off like the Hulk. You know, as soon as anyone mentioned U-grading, so I, I went on a, a big uh, rampage about issues with U-grading, and I associated it, hilarious in my mind, with uh, something that upsets people. And guess what? It really upset people. So, yeah, thanks, Joe. <laughs> you banned me. And it was you graded as well. It got me uh, banned from Rebel Scum twice, but, you know, they were nice enough to let us on, and hopefully that relationship will last forever. Can I just say that that was the greatest five-day period of Star Wars for me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> on the subject of trolls that we were discussing earlier... Um, oh, whoa, 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 on the subject of what? What did you just trolls. say? Truffles. Trolls, 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 you northerner. It's me that speaks the correct English, trolls. Um, not referring to the sales trolls, but the sort of just come in and, and cause problems on threads trolls. Uh, on other forums, they tend to get stamped on quite quickly. On ours, they tend to get left, and generally TIE Fighter Boy Todd deals with them or somebody else. But in, in doing that, they do get dealt with pretty quickly and tend to disappear with their tail between their legs. So I don't think that's anything we necessarily need to to change and the other thing on people who buy to flip um, you just have to accept that there are some people in this hobby that are collectors and some people in this hobby that will go under the guise of collectors when they're really some of them are halfway between collectors and dealers some of them are just just plain dealers just accept that that's what they are they're going to buy pieces cheaply if they can they're going to sell them at a higher price and if you don't like it don't sell to them or don't buy from them but that they are just doing doing what they do and you know people will sometimes pay inflated prices if it's a piece they really want sometimes not rather than getting angry and annoyed about the fact they're doing it just accept that that's what happens no different to people buying and selling cars or people buying and selling computer parts or people going to car boot sales and buying junk and putting it on all, all on ebay if, if you don't like it don't deal with them and that's it really at the end of the day, this is, these are our forums, you know, and it, it, the, the boom story is about how can we make sure that the forums are going to be here for as long as we possibly can. Um, I'm not sure how long message boards will survive, actually, in this digital age, because they've been around for a hell of a long time. I've been on message boards since about 1992, 1993. So what we're looking at there, 20, 22 years of message boards. I mean, that's really, really long for any kind of technology. So I don't know what the future of um, forms is likely to be, and I certainly wouldn't want it to be anything at all like a Facebook-type platform because I really, really enjoy the structure of forums. I, li I like the way that threads work. Um, I like the way that you can respond to set the conversations, and it's not all lumped together in one huge pot, which is what Facebook is. One thing to say about our forum on that, and this is something that you won't get from Facebook, uh, obviously you have your Facebook profile and your friends list and they're all people you know but in these big groups there could be anybody joining whereas with Star Wars Forum UK you have a genuine community of people who get to know each other with events going on like um, 
the Echo Base event, farthest from some of the Comic Cons, the community gets together, meets up, and as long as you've got that interaction as well as the actual forum, I think you don't really need that many members, that many core members to keep the forum going. And new members will come and go, and every now and again, new members will come in and become part of that that sort of that group. And, and I think the actual core group of people on Star Wars Forum UK because of the way that people interact and actually socialise outside of the forum I think that will keep the thing surviving for a long long time yeah one last point I wanted to quickly make I also think that the forums unlike Facebook are a great resource for finding out information uh, especially TIG I don't think we talk enough about TIG but they've got fantastic resources on their on their forum so you know I think the 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 forums are probably going to be here to stay. I actually saw someone today on one of the Facebook groups uh, say that he bought a Scout Walker for 20 quid and needed to ask people if he had a good deal or not. Well, you don't have to ask that on our forum because you can find that stuff out. Right, now on to this month's competition prize. Uh, Rich, we got a winner for last month? I'm loading them into the spinner now. We had quite a few entries for last month's competition. Uh, and the question was, uh, which characters were not featured on the Tri-Logo cardback? And, of course, those characters were uh, the Discord Commander, the Power Droid, Walrus Man, 4LOM, and 3PO and R2-D2 Solid. So, here we go. And the spinner's going round and round and round. The tension's building. I don't believe it. It's... I just let the um, tension build up a touch more. It's Son of Django. Dan has won again. Hey. The second competition that Son of Django has won. So congratulations. And that would be perfect because we can give his prize at Father's Farm, which saves on a little bit of postage. So if you are sick of hearing about Son of Django winning competitions, then by all means send your entries in. Um, I'm not going to remove anybody. I couldn't care if Son of Django wins every competition for the next six months. He's got just as much chance as everybody else. So well done, Son of Django. Right, now on to this month's competition. I will be purchasing a prize for this month's competition at the upcoming Farvish From. Um, and to win whatever I decide to buy, <laughs> but it will be good, trust me. Um, Whatever I decide to buy, you can win it by just telling us how long the new The Force Awakens trailer was. Okay, how long was the new trailer? And you can uh, send your answers to swfukpodcast at gmail.com or add it to, add your answer to the threads that we will post up on Facebook and Twitter. Welcome to this month's Oddball section. This month we continue our analysis of video games by taking an in-depth look at Star Wars Angry Birds. Just kidding. We gotta get back to the past, to the 20th century. 
First of all, I'd like to give a massive warm welcome to Michael and Melinda from Retroblasting. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on to the show. Thank you for having us. This is really exciting. Michael, I know that you're on Rebel Scum as Nohan Luke. Are you familiar with the Star Wars Forum UK or the Star Wars Forum UK podcast? Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, uh, Star Wars Forum UK was very kind early on when uh, they, they found some of my videos, the Star Wars Follies, and they picked them up, and, and uh, I went to the forum, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the unique perspectives, and so I joined that forum as well. Uh, and ever since, I've had a, a good relationship with Star Wars Forum UK. Brilliant. How about you, Melinda? Are you on the forums as well? No, that's more Michael's uh, arena than mine, but um, I'm certainly interested in most anything Star Wars related, so I sort of live vicariously through him on that one. Excellent. Uh, well, you know, hope to see you guys on the Star Wars forum. And, you know, like you said, I know some of the members have posted some of your videos before uh, when they go live. Uh, first of all, I say congratulations on your growing viewing figures. But I actually Thank think you. That, I think that's down to the, you know, the quality of the research you do, the great production, the gimmicks that you put in there, the comedy, the editing, the enormous variety and the amazing uh, theme song. But especially the passion that you and you guys uh, project when discussing these collectibles. Thank you. We, we, we both grew up with, uh, you know, the 80s like so many uh, people in our generation. And, and the short version is that when we were looking at, on YouTube uh, one day a few years ago, we were looking for vintage information, information about the real collectibles, not the re-releases and things like that. And we just didn't feel like there was a lot out there uh, that was really delving into, you know, the, the meat of the subject, the facts and the, the context. And so... I have a film background, and Melinda has a research and anthropology background, and so we just dove in with both feet, and here we are. Brilliant. Well, before we go on to discuss Retroblast, and I'd like to take both of you back to the beginning. Uh, Michael, I've heard you say that Star Wars will always be your first love for toys. I think that was in your uh, Last 17 video. But how did you both uh, discover Star Wars toys? Uh, well, do you want to go first, Melinda? Uh, well, for me, um, I went and actually saw Return of the Jedi in the theater, and I really loved it. Well, certainly up to the point where Ewoks appeared. I, I wasn't as into that. I, I was probably, I don't know, I guess I was about seven or eight at that time. But, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed those toys, and my cousin, who was a boy, uh, had all of the toys. And so every week when we would get together and play, it was sort of my opportunity to play with uh, all of the cool toys he had. He had a huge collection. And uh, so while I never really had any myself, I felt like I had access to them. And I loved the fact that Princess Leia was, you know, really strong female character. And, and I just, I really loved everything about it. So uh, for me, uh, it was 19, I was born in 1978. I was, I was born two years, two months, and two days after Star Wars. <laughs> Um, and, and I, I always kick my fate for that, but, um, I was, it was around 1982 and I was late, late into my fourth year of life and I'll never forget, uh, it's like it was yesterday. Uh, my parents went over to play, uh, card games with some friends. I was living in, in Nashville, Tennessee in the United States at the time. And, uh, I was never a, uh, I was never a bothersome child, but, uh, my parents did want to entertain me while they were playing cards 
and their friends had this large front projection television, which was, you know, back in the day, it was one of those big screen televisions where if you weren't sitting right in the center of it, you couldn't see the screen. The screen would disappear. Um, and he had a, uh, he had a, one of the first VCRs and, and he had some advanced recording capabilities at the time. And somehow off of one of the cable channels on television, he had recorded Star Wars in its entirety with no commercials or anything like that. And I'd never seen it before. And, uh, so they put it on for me, uh, while they played cards. And I'll never forget that couch. I'll never forget the weird candy dish next to me that, that, uh, was sitting next to me. And I'll forget, never forget seeing Star Wars for the first time. And it was a life-changing experience. And so then a few weeks later, my parents, or my mother, took me to a grocery store, a grocer's, and, uh, there was a, a display of Star Wars action figures, uh, while we were picking up groceries. And, uh, I picked out Chewbacca. And then she got R2-D2 uh, for my brother, and then it just snowballed after that. Uh, is, there, is there any other uh, special memories from that time of, uh, of collecting uh, the toys after you'd started? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, uh, my, you know, they were here in the United States. The the figures ranged from, I guess, a dollar seventy to two ninety nine, depending on what store you were in. And my mom would, she was very generous woman, and she would surprise me all the time with different characters. Uh, I do remember uh, a, a specific instance early on. I remember it's really it's really sad in a way because I seem to remember almost every figure I bought when I bought it and where. Uh, it's never left me, but just a few, but just a few memorable anecdotes. One, uh, we had just gotten Darth Vader, uh, at a, at a Target store and I had come back to play with that and I had Luke, Luke Hoth and then I had, uh, Darth Vader and my Chewbacca and I had a little mini rig. I had the little MTV seven. It was my first vehicle and I was playing in the floor and my brother had R2D2 and a Darth Vader and a Luke Hoth because my mom was big on getting us duplicates so we wouldn't fight. And uh, our next-door neighbors came over. They were family friends, and they brought two Star Wars figures uh, for us, and they had them behind their back. So we had to pick which arm we were going to select. And when when I picked her left arm, she came around with Squidhead, and I was really disappointed because my brother got a sand person. And I, I recognized the sand person. I had not seen Return of the Jedi. It was still, I guess, uh, my parents hadn't taken me yet. And I didn't like this ugly alien. And um, I admit I cried and made a scene. And my mom, my mom scolded me. And uh, she said, "Get downstairs, and you'll be more grateful." And you know, you 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 say thank you to the nice lady and all this kind of stuff. And then another one I really remember is um, I remember I really wanted uh, Boba Fett, and my parents went looking everywhere for it. And then one day, as I came out of preschool. My mom was waiting in the Toyota Corona, and I opened the door, and uh, Boba Fett was sitting there uh, on the seat, and he was in the jetpack card art with the Return of the Jedi logo, and uh, I was so excited, and and you know to this day my Boba Fett has not one lick of paint on him because I had him in my hands for the next five <laughs> years, so uh, there's a ton of stories like that, and I could either entertain or bore your viewers with them. I just have so many memories. Uh, how do you feel about Squidhead today? Uh, Squidhead today, I actually really like him. He's he's he still has a band-aid around him where his belt broke off like two weeks after I had him, and I put a band-aid around him, and that band-aid has been there as his belt ever since. <laughs> um, but uh, I really actually think he's a cool figure now, uh, probably because he's been with me since the beginning. But uh, at the time, 
you know, he was just this faceless alien, and I really wanted the human characters. I wanted the heroes, and and I wanted the bounty hunters, and I wanted all those guys. And uh, my favorite figure of all time, uh, still to this day, is Bespin Luke Skywalker. I got Hoth Luke first, and then I got the pilot X-Wing Luke Skywalker, and then I got uh, the Jedi Luke. And I liked all those, but the one I wanted was from Empire Strikes Back, and they were harder to come by because... As the Jedi figures came out, they uh, sort of supplanted the other figures in the in the assortment, and so you you had a harder time finding the figures from the other other films. They were still available, just in smaller numbers. And one day we were at a a, a toy store at the the local shopping center. It was called Circus World. It was a big chain in the '80s that's no longer around here in the United States. And uh, we walked into their store, and their figures were generally. 75 cents more expensive, maybe to even a dollar, which was a lot back then. But there was Bespin Luke Skywalker uh, sitting there, and uh, I remember saying, oh my gosh, it's Bespin Luke Skywalker, and, and uh, I called him Brown Luke. There was, there was, there was Jedi Luke, there was, there was uh, Desert Luke, and then there was Brown Luke, because I didn't know how else to describe him. He had the brown suit on. And so my uh, mom picked him up, and then we went and had uh, food at the the food court there in the shopping center. And uh, I uh, played with Luke and his yellow lightsaber. So between Bespin Han, Bespin Luke, and Boba Fett, those are my three probably favorite figures in the whole line. That's brilliant. What about what about you, Melinda? Any special memories from that time? Um, actually, I really liked um, the AT-AT Walkers. I, I, I don't know. I just remember thinking that every single week when my cousin would, would come over to my grandmother's house and I would always remember hoping he would bring the at at and, and I played with that with a lot of different toys, not just star Wars. So, you know, while he had a pretty big line of characters, his mom usually didn't let him bring his entire toy chest with him over to our grandmother's house. So, you know, we would bring a weird assortment of, of toys and kind of, you know, have a mashup thing where we would play with a, a variety of things. And so, you know, it didn't matter because the AT-AT was just always really awesome no matter what. So so that's my biggest memory. And it's it's weird to think it never really occurred to me as a, as a kid to ask for Star Wars toys because the gender lines were so strongly drawn. Mm. I, I grew up in the, in the South, in the United States, and, and there I don't know if it was different anywhere else in the U.S. or, or in the world, but... Certainly where, where I grew up, girls played with girl toys and boys played with boy toys. And people would have looked at you really odd uh, if you had asked, as a girl, asked for Star Wars toys. So it just really didn't occur to me, but I really did think it was the most awesome toy ever. Yeah, I've always thought of the, uh, the ATA and the ATST walker, it was kind of like having a pet. Like a yeah. pet dog and a pet chicken, you know? Exactly. Like, I loved the My Little Pony line, and so I, I collected that pretty extensively. But, you know, it was almost like having a big mechanical pony. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Michael, you said that you uh, Luke Bestman was your favorite figure. How about ships and vehicles or play sets? Oh, absolutely. Uh, my first vehicle was the MTV7 Mini Rig, and then after that it was the big Christmas of 83. And that Christmas... Uh, I received uh, the battle-damaged X-Wing and the Y-Wing fighter. Now, the bummer for this was uh, my brother was two years younger than me, and he was only he was barely three years old uh, that Christmas, and he was really bad about giving away what was in the boxes, uh, which were all wrapped for, for the holidays. And so um, 
my uh, my parents traditionally let me open one gift on Christmas Eve night. That was sort of the, the rule. Uh, but in a weird twist of logic, uh, as my brother and m- my mother came back up from the downstairs uh, bedroom where they were wrapping all the gifts and they came up with a gift for me, my brother promptly said, my mom looked, my mom sort of leaned over in his ear and she said, now remember, don't tell him what it is. And his next words out of his mouth were, <laughs> Merry Christmas, Michael. It's the X-Wing fighter. And I said, well, Mom, that he just gave it away. Let me open that one because I don't want to wait until the, the morning, which, of course, for a child is an eternity. And she said, no, you're going to open this one on Christmas Eve, which is the one we said we were going to open. And I was like, oh. So, of course, I open it, and it's the Y-Wing fighter, which is an awesome toy. But I wanted the X-Wing more than anything, and so the the Y-Wing fighter lost its luster that Christmas, and the X-Wing sat in a wrapped box for an extra 12 hours. But I also remember uh, I got the Millennium Falcon for my sixth birthday, and I'd say between the X-Wing and the Falcon, those were my two favorite <laughs> vehicles ever. I did have the, the Scout Walker, and I had the, uh, the, the speeder bikes, and then I had the Ewok Village. And then later on in, in uh, life, it was funny, I went to a, um, it was years later, it was probably 1988 or 1989, and there was a small independent toy store, uh, and I was still into Star Wars even though it was long over. And I walked into this toy store, and it wasn't a big chain, and clearly the guy, when he couldn't sell his inventory, he just moved everything that didn't sell up to the top shelves. And I walked into the back of this tiny little picturesque toy store. It reminded you of uh, Ollivander's wand shop from Harry Potter. Like it was just the the, the dials were that tight and, and stacked, you know, floor to ceiling with toys. And at the top of the shelf was an uh, a, a unopened twin pod cloud car, still in the Empire Strikes Back box and everything. And he only wanted, you know, sticker price for it. This was this was just a toy store. It wasn't like a collectible store. He wanted like nine dollars for it. And I brought it up to the the register. I was so excited to finally have a cloud car. And he looked at me, this older man looked at me across the counter, and he said, where have you been? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I've been waiting to sell this for almost 10 years. Where have you been? So, yeah, I I kept collecting uh, Star Wars for years. And and just, just to give you an idea of that, when we moved to England in 1990, I found a little toy shop um, tucked away by a Sainsbury's in Hersham. And it was run by a Middle Eastern gentleman, and he still had uh, Star Wars, Power of the Force action figures and um, multi-packs. And he had a Return of the Jedi carded Luke Skywalker and uh, a number of other things, and he was just a normal toy store. And so I picked up some things from him that I still have carded uh, in my collection. Uh, which was funny because a, a 13, 14-year-old kid's going in there plopping down 10 quid for a, a Luke Skywalker. And he was like, where have you been? I've, I've had this forever. So I, I just kept finding things. It was it was hilarious. That's really cool. Uh, Melinda, you said that you were into the Atat and the Skywalker. What about a favorite figure? Well, I'm, you know, my favorite is always going to be um, Bespin Princess Leia. Like, not, not to sound like I'm, you know, copying Michael there, but... Uh, She's she was always my favorite in the films as well. So having uh being able to play with her uh was always really cool. And um 
certainly now that's that's my favorite character because I don't know just as a kid I remember and this is a very girl perspective but I just always thought that her outfit was the coolest mm. and I thought that um the the action sequence for her was the the best there and I also just really loved her hair and I remember every morning my mom I would I would tell her you know braid my hair like Princess Leia and she always thought like initially she would have thought I was talking about the cinnamon buns but I was like no 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 like at the end of the second movie where she's got it all up you know in this weird ponytail thing so my mom struggled with that uh trying to make my my little girl hair do what Princess Leia's did but but yeah I would I would say that that's that's definitely my favorite awesome uh do you guys actually collect any vintage Star Wars stuff now yes uh I've I've been going through stages uh there was a time where I collected a lot of the Hasbro re-release in the 90s. Uh, I really never stopped collecting Star Wars toys, but what happened was, as you can probably relate, you went to all these toy stores in the days before eBay and these comic book shops and collectible flea markets and things like that, or boot sales, trying to find old Star Wars toys. Well, then Hasbro released all of these new Star Wars toys in the 90s, and so my focus got pulled because it was a lot easier to go to uh, a department store and buy those readily available. Well, in the early aughts, as they call it, I became disenchanted with the re-releases because, one, they weren't stopping. Two, they were on their 20th Farm Boy Luke Skywalker, and I was tired of having to rebuy the same figure over and over again. And I really felt the pull of completing a vintage Star Wars collection like I'd always wanted. And I had all of my childhood stuff, and it needed some missing parts put back and things like that. And there was eBay. So I sold off everything that was Hasbro from the 90s. I sold everything off and then started over with uh, finding new pieces. And so I got an original AT-AT with a box and a Dagobah playset and uh, an Imperial Star Destroyer playset and the TIE Fighters and things that I didn't have. And then in 2008, I really pushed hard and purchased all of the Empire Strikes Back-related uh, material that I, I didn't have. And then slowly, as retroblasting took hold in 2012, I started to acquire the pieces from the other movies. So I filled in everything from the original Star Wars, and then I filled in everything from Return of the Jedi, and as you saw in the video, Last 17, I finally completed all of the figures. But as far as missing pieces, the only things that I don't have, I, I don't have a small selection of the mini rigs. Maybe four of them I'm missing. I don't have any of the Ewok accessories. So I don't have the glider or the catapult or the battle wagon or things like that. Uh, but I don't really want those. The only two pieces that I want that I don't have currently are the TIE Interceptor, and the Imperial Shuttle. And then I really need another sand crawler so that I can piece that back together. But other than that, I have every major vehicle playset and figure from the Kenner line, including the cardboard playsets. Now, I don't have the Palatoy Death Star, which wow. would be awesome to have. I don't, I don't have that. As you can imagine, they're very hard to get stateside. But uh, I do have everything else. Yes, yeah, uh, I think my, my journey mirrors yours uh, a lot there. Definitely with the Power of the Force 2 line, I was really excited about those, but it, it didn't, when they started releasing, here's Luke Farmboy, but this time he's running. Right. I, I got a bit tired of some of it all then, and uh, it took quite a while to sell off all that modern stuff to reinvest it back into the vintage. Right, yep, you, you and I are on the same page. Well, 
moving on to retroblasting. Now, I discovered retroblasting by accident, and you know, it's not just about Star Wars, but you've got you know, Thundercats, GI Joe, uh, Voltron. Silverhawks, Mask, Rambo, He-Man. You know, I find it hard enough just to keep up with Star Wars, but you guys just cover everything. <laughs> you know, I want to keep this on Star Wars, but uh, I'd like to say, uh, you know, I like all your videos, and I thought the Thundercats are racist porno kitties, was it? <laughs> I thought yes. that was that was that was uh, that, that 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 was the hook that got me, and I thought well, <laughs> I'm gonna have to keep watching these guys because I just don't know what's gonna come next. And I really like the uh, the restoration you did on the GI Joe figures. But could you guys tell us a little bit about retroblasting? Like, what was the what was the concept behind it? Uh, I'll have to let Melinda tell this story because she's responsible. <laughs> yeah, um, we we were doing a little bit of research online uh, for some of our old older sets of toys and play sets and things like that. And you know, when you look up things on YouTube, there are a lot of people who've made videos that are that are just sort of showing the toys. There are some people who do. Uh, fully produced things, but a, most anything we found was not showing complete and intact versions of the toys or playsets that they were talking about. And so, you know, it was kind of frustrating because you kind of want to get an idea of of how all of the pieces of a playset, for example, may fit together and what should have been included and all of those types of things. That would be the purpose of watching a video like that. And so. Michael's watching it, and he's getting frustrated, and I said, you know, you've got a lot of these things, and, and yours are in complete condition, and they're, you know, they're well-maintained. You know, you've got a film background. Uh, you're already a video producer for your day job. You know, you, it seems like we could put something together that would be, you know, really good and, and more informative, you know, in a lot of ways than what's out there, and so... um we also, Michael's sort of known for uh, his deconstructions uh, amongst our friends because, you know, at parties and things, uh, people would always prompt him, tell the Thundercats story, do the Thundercats thing. And uh, he, he kind of would go on this rant about the Thundercats, and, and most everyone would laugh. And, you know, even though a lot of our friends really love the Thundercats, they still thought it was really funny because, you know, some of the points are just uh, – you can't really deny that a lot of that is, is kind of true. And so uh, I thought, well, you know, maybe it'd be really funny to kind of start off with a, a Thundercats thing. And you could talk about the toys and you could talk about the, you know, everything. And so we we basically did a film version of Michael's uh, Thundercats rant. And then, you know, we made a, a part two that talked about the toys because his brother had collected the toys. So we already had a lot of those. And thus the channel was born. Yeah, and then after that, it was we we posted it. And we Melinda was actually trying to find a, a way to divert my energy because I was uh, getting really frustrated trying to repair uh, my DeLorean sports car, and so I was uh, getting really stressed out about it. And she said, "You really need to focus your energy elsewhere and put everything in perspective." And so when that happened, and we started the channel, then we got done with those videos, and we felt like they had been pretty well made. And so we thought, well, let's do something else. What should we do next? And I think the next thing we did was the Return of the Jedi figures video. And then after that, I think, was Voltron. Or maybe Voltron was next. It's hard to... Uh, Voltron was next. And then... Yeah, Voltron was next. And then the Return of the Jedi figures. But I just decided to use it as an outlet at first to talk about all of these little quirky things that I'd, I'd felt about toys when I was a child uh, and as a collector uh, coming up through the decades. And uh, it seems like people have, have really been able to relate to it. So we're really we're really proud to see that, that so many people are enjoying these videos and, 
and getting some things out of it. Uh, that's that's the most you can hope for when you put your time into something like this. Yeah, I find them actually quite inspirational uh, because it's so easy to criticize all the time. But to be constructive and do something without criticism, I think, is far better. And I think that's one of the reasons why we started doing the podcast was because, you know, it was so easy to critique everyone else's uh, work, but to actually do the work yourself, I mean, that was a hell of a lot more difficult. So, But I think, that, yeah, there was a bit of retro blast and that did inspire us to start up this podcast. So I'd like That's to say, awesome. Yeah, That's thanks, awesome. Thanks for that, man. That was really cool. One of the things that really grabs me about your Star Wars videos, I can't speak for every collector, but I take, I take a lot of Star Wars collector for granted because it's been in my life for 30 plus years. But what you guys do is you're able to step outside the box and come at it with fresh eyes. One of the examples of this, one of your first videos was called uh, Don't Eat the Yellow Saber. Yes. Uh, which focused on a, you know, it was a radical departure from one of the essential accessories for one of our main characters. Could you tell us a little bit about the investigation you did on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it happened, uh, it, w- it was something it, that occurred a few years before Retro Blasting. I was, uh, I had not gotten into a lot of the vintage collectibles outside of the action figures yet. I had a few things, and when I'd see them at, at boot sales and things like that, I would pick them up and, and collect them as all good Star Wars fans do. But I hadn't really uh, focused on them. And then one day, I think I was on... Uh, I was either thumbing through the Tomart guide or I was on Rebel Scum's forum. I can't remember which one it was. It's fuzzy. I happened across a photograph that somebody had posted of the the jigsaw puzzle and the jigsaw puzzle from 1977 of of Obi-Wan and Darth Vader fighting on the Death Star. And Obi-Wan's lightsaber had been airbrushed yellow. And at that moment, I, it was like the end of The Usual Suspects, where the guy starts to put together that the whole thing has been fiction. And I started realizing, wait, Luke's saber was yellow. Obi-Wan's doll saber was yellow. This jigsaw puzzle's yellow. My toy lightsaber as a kid was yellow. The inflatable one's yellow. And it all kind of started to come together. And then it, at the end of all that, I thought, why did Kenner make this lightsaber yellow? I have to talk about this. And so I went in and started researching everything, and I even asked some people on, on the various forums to submit me some pictures, and they didn't really know why. I, they, people ask for photos of collectibles they don't have all the time, and somebody was kind enough to send me a, a large high-resolution scan of that jigsaw puzzle box, uh, and then I, I got a scan of the Obi-Wan doll box, and uh, I remembered as a child when I was given Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, the small figure, he came on a Return of the Jedi card back, but he had the artwork that had the yellow lightsaber with him standing on profile on a black background. So that added to the mystery. And from there, I just uh, put pieced together the video because I, Melinda and I felt, you know, there's no way we're going to be able to answer this question. All we can do is open the question, show how complicated this all is and how weird. And then we kind of went off into a tangent, as you saw, about... Initially, they got the Jedi lightsaber wrong as well, but at least that was because of a movie trailer that that came out early. But it just became this fun, fun riddle. And I'm so glad that that people have enjoyed that video so much. I get a lot of of, uh, comments about that video. And so I'm sure you've seen, after that happened, we decided that the yellow lightsaber had kind of become retro-blasting Star Wars calling card. <laughs> and so we incorporated it into the logo for every Star Wars Follies video we do after that, where Melinda, her caricature, has the, the, the saber. She turns it on. It's yellow. She gets frustrated. She slaps it and shakes it until the blue lightsaber appears. So 
uh, yeah, we really enjoy that mystery. Part of me kind of hopes it never gets answered, but part of me really wants to know why that happened. Well, on the video, you brought up a really good point that perhaps uh, the Ben Kenobi was meant to have the yellow saber. And um, I've seen pictures of an engineering pilot, you know, a first sort of a go at the Ben Kenobi figure with a double telescopic lightsaber, and it's holding a yellow one. And even so, in the uh, early bird packaging, the painting of Obi-Wan Kenobi is holding the yellow one. So, you know, I, you could be right there. You could be that he was meant to have a yellow one. It was on the backing card after all, and and the 12-inch doll had one. So I wonder wonder what Kenner was thinking there, whether they wanted that kind of diversity in the line. I bet you might be right. And I've, I've put yellow lightsabers with the Ben Kenobi figures, you know, for a few minutes occasionally, and he actually looks pretty good with it. Yeah. When you, when you look at the action figure, the color scheme really works nicely. On your, your, I think this was your next Star Wars video, you moved on to focusing on um, the Jabba the Hutt, the Rancor, and the Max Rebo band. Right. <laughs> Are you, are you not uh, you're not a big fan of uh, musical action figures? <laughs> well, only it, kiss ones. Only kiss ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, that that came about because I was given uh, the Max Rebo band from the same people who had given me Squidhead, and they were always such dear people at at providing uh, new Star Wars toys for the kids across the street. They were sweet people, and I, you know I'll miss them to this day. And it wasn't their fault. That was what was on the shelves. They were buying me the new stuff. But the Max Rebo band, all it ever did was sit beside Jabba the Hutt's throne in my playtime. There was nothing else it could really do. And the, the microphones were really fragile. And the moment you accidentally stepped on one, it was over. So Cy Stoodles just set, you know sort of stood there, didn't do anything. And then the one guy had his flute, you know... I lost a lot of weapons uh, uh, growing up as a child from the Star Wars line because they were so small. But two of the weapons that never got lost because they bought one for my a set of Max Rebo band for my brother as well. The Droopy McCools from both those sets still have their flutes because those flutes have never left their hands in 30 years. And it's because we just never played with these characters. And, and what it boiled down to, and as I said in the video, was... I really see those as inaction figures for the background. Mm. Those were the kinds of things that Hasbro should have really made in the 90s uh, for adult collectors. I don't feel like they were all that interesting. Th- there was a- another toy line in the United States at the time that tried to compete with Barbie called Jim. It was for girls, and it was all about a rock star singer in the 80s and her her adventures with her band against this rival band. Well, that's great for girls, but as a boy, I didn't want to play with uh, an alien rock band. It just didn't interest me. Um, I gotta say, as a girl, I never really wanted to play with Jim either. But <laughs> okay, well that's fair <laughs> enough. I, but it, I'm just saying that was on the landscape at the time, and and I I really feel like that that Max Rebo uh, would have been better served to not have been a product. Now that being said, I I called out the Cantina Band playset uh, from the earlier. Uh, line, uh, I'm sorry, the Cantina playset, which happened to have the Cantina band on the cardboard backdrop. And I thought that was really funny. I'm like, wait a second. So in 1978, they didn't feel it was necessary to make the musical band from that movie. But in 1983, they decided to make the band from that film. Were they scraping the bottom of the barrel for ideas for toys? Or were they so confident at this point that they could just make anything and think it would sell? Hmm. 
Yeah, it's an interesting point. Melinda, I think we need to get some kiss makeup on uh, Michael's Black Reaper <laughs> band there, and I think you, you might love them a little more. Maybe Sly Seals would make a good Gene Simmons. I, I agree with you completely. I, I think that would be really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, your next two of your next videos together, because they, they, they were quite similar, the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter videos. Mm-hmm. You guys are not a big fan of the battle damage. I was a big fan of it for 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> and, and then when I realized, and that was Christmas morning of, of 1983, and I, I'll never forget, my dad had put the basic stickers on, on the X-Wing, and then I immediately had to go fly it around, and I flew it upstairs, and then my dad called me downstairs and said he was going to throw the box away and, and all the inserts. And as a child, I didn't care about the box. And, and he said, before I do, I, I need to put these other stickers on your ship so they don't get accidentally thrown away. And I said, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So I ran down back, stair, uh, back downstairs, and, and Dad put these stickers on my ship. And I thought, at first, that they were kind of like static cling. I thought they were maybe color forms or presto magics where you could just peel them back off. I picked at them with my fingernail, and even as a five-year-old, I realized, oh, these aren't coming off, and if they do, they'll rip the other stickers off underneath it. I better not try that. But then I was kind of upset because it made my X-Wing fighter look like crap, and and I realized that it was always going to look scored and damaged and scarred and I'd look over at my Y-Wing fighter and it just glistened in the sun and it was beautiful and I could pretend that it was damaged and then I could pretend that it was not whereas with the X-Wing I was like yeah you can pretend it's not damaged but every time you look at it you're going to see the damaged stickers on it it makes it a little more difficult so yeah I, it, it rubbed me the wrong way yeah, when I was when I was watching your video, you know, first of all, I was quite skeptical when you brought the book, the Maverick Moon, and said that they could have got the concept of that. But then you flick to one of the uh, pages of the X-wing landed, and it does look exactly the same as the Kenner one. It does. It's crazy, isn't it? And, and we had that book growing up as a kid, and that was the only time my battle damaged X-wing was really fun to play with as, in in a in an imitating any kind of media sense. You know, I, when I would play with the X-Wing, and I'd play the trench run, I could kind of get away with it because Luke said he'd been hit a few times. But when I was playing Empire Strikes Back or something, my X-Wing just always looked like it had you know, been through the ringer. But that Maverick Moon, we would play that book page by page accurately. We'd have him roll up in the land speeder and get in the X-Wing and fly off and come back. and Yeah, it was a lot of fun. With the, um, the video you did about the, uh, the Blue TIE Fighter, uh-huh. not being an Empire Strikes Back. Do you think it was meant for the Empire Strikes Back line and it was just too late? I feel like it was. I mean, the the box art shows the asteroid field. Yeah. And and the TIE Fighters in uh, it, the TIE Fighters in Empire Strikes Back were markedly bluer mm. in 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 the cinematography than in the previous film. In the previous film they were almost that same gray white depending on the shots you were looking at as Darth Vader. Darth Vader was always darker. In, a, in shade, but uh, the TIE Fighters weren't white like they were in the toy. They were probably more of a gray. Mm. But uh, in, in Empire Strikes Back, they're much more of a blue-gray. And so when I, when I see that photograph of that, that TIE Fighter in front of those asteroids, knowing that they had just recently redone the X-Wing the year before, I can't help but think that Somewhere along the way, they just didn't get that TIE Fighter out fast enough, and then they just had to put a Jedi logo on it. Now, I could be wrong, and Kenner always intended it for the Jedi line, but if they did, why didn't they give it a background that reflected 
Return of the Jedi's final battle. Like, yeah. why did, you know? Like the B-Wing. Exactly, exactly. Do you guys have any favorites in the TIE Fighters? You mean as far as the, the actual vintage toys? Yeah. I, 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 I'll confess to you, I like the blue one the best. Yeah, even, me too. You, you do too? Yeah. Yeah, I, I even though they, and, and that uh, goes along the lines of the X-Wing too. I like the gray X-Wing better than the white X-Wing. Uh, I, I just would prefer it without those battle damage stickers. And the TIE Fighter, I love the rich blue color of it. I think it really pops on a shelf and stands out. It pops during playtime. It, it's a nice contrast to a gray X-Wing with the yellow stickers on it and, you know, the yellow and red. I think it's a great combination. Um, I love Darth Vader's TIE Fighter. The only problem with that TIE Fighter is because the the wings are longer on the back end than they are on the front, unlike the normal TIE Fighter where the wings are symmetrically balanced, the Darth Vader TIE Fighter's wings tend to droop backwards during playtime. Mm. Um, now, I've seen I've seen the, the TIE Interceptor in my... I've had it in my hands a number of times. I don't own it yet. Uh, it was lightweight enough in the front that it didn't really have a, a, a wing droop issue, but I think... I think the, the thing about the TIE Interceptor is that it's just not iconic enough for me. It's it's only in Return of the Jedi in glimpses. You know, you kind of see it for a second. You see it in the, in the Death Star Trench. It bounces off some things and blows up. You know, it's not really as uh, in-your-face as it was in the original Star Wars film when they say, here they come, and you see all yeah. these TIE Fighters come screaming down. So for me, the TIE Fighter in the blue color uh, is, I think, the, the slickest toy uh, slickest TIE fighter Ken ever made. Yeah, cool. Yeah, going back to what I was saying earlier about um, you guys come in and you look at things from a fresh point of view. I didn't. I think the best example of that was in uh, the video that you did about the uh, mistake that Ken made with the all the different kinds of blasters. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the the blaster masters. Yeah, uh, Melinda had a lot of fun with that one because she got to fire a stormtrooper blaster. Oh, that was um, great. I like that. That was really, really cool. You couldn't hit the target. <laughs> and uh, we decided with that that there was more to explore with uh, the Star Wars accessories after the yellow lightsaber, and we meant to revisit it. Uh, and the, the reason we did was because we had had this discussion after that where people were loving the Star Wars videos, and the first thing they'd say, we would post a Star Wars video like the yellow lightsaber or then Jabba, Jabba and friends. And then we would start working on other things like silver hawks or mask or whatever it was. And people would always say, I love your videos. I love your videos. When are you doing another star Wars when those are the best? And, uh, we were, we would always be like, that's kind of a compliment slash insult. All right, we'll take it as a compliment. And, uh, we kept looking for, uh, ideas, um, and Melinda sat down with me one day, and she said, well, what are some of the other things that bothered you about about the Star Wars toys when you were a kid? And the first thing that I said in that conversation was, I said, it always bugged me that my favorite Han Solo was the only one that didn't come with the right gun. No, I thought that was, that was the highlight of the video for me. It never really occurred to me because I took it for granted, and I was like, he's right. It looks way better, and it makes sense. Yeah, it, it had to have been some kind of communication mistake between Asia and uh, the factory at, or the, the offices at Kenner because every other Han Solo that comes with a weapon comes with that gun. Now, Carbonite Han Solo doesn't count because he didn't have a weapon when he was put in the Carbonite block, so he's weaponless. But all the other Han Solos came with his signature weapon. And 
I'm like, you know, why why Bespin Han Solo got packed with a Bespin Guard Blaster is just beyond me. And so we expanded that out and started to look at, okay, we've talked about the Return of the Jedi thing with the sticks before. We've talked about the yellow lightsaber. Is there something in the in the blasters category that that is worth talking about beyond that? Because otherwise, that's a thirty second rant about Bespin Han Solo, and then I'm out. And we said, well, no, actually, there is more to this story. There there is the uh, classification of these weapons. For example, they call this a Bespin blaster, but it actually looks like a Rebel trooper pistol yeah. from the original film. Um, why does Lando carry this blaster when, you know, he's in a promotional photo? Okay. And so we just started to kind of piece everything together and it became a, a pretty substantive, uh, video. Yeah. Uh, one of the, I don't know if you guys know this, one of the guys who's, he's, uh, Han Solo in Hoth outfit, Focus Collect on the forum, Andy, goes by the name Spoons. Uh, uh, he, you know, he goes crazy for Han Hoffs, but I'm not sure if it's the same in the, in the States, but in, in Britain, with the Pally Toy figures, Many of the Han Hoffs were actually packaged with the Stormtrooper gun. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, because, it's crazy, huh? Yeah, because Han Hoth, by an accident of his design, was the only Han Solo that had a functional, quote-unquote, holster. Yeah. Because, you could, as you know, you can take the clip from the Han Solo blaster and slip it through the loop on his holster, and it stays there. So, uh, that's horrible. I, I, that's interesting trivia. I feel so bad for you guys. Yeah, it's really weird. I, you know, I didn't believe it at first, but they keep popping up on eBay, and you still see that Stormtrooper blaster in it. My, myself, I'm, I'm a TIE fighter pilot uh, collector. I'm crazy for TIE fighter pilots. What is uh-huh. wrong with that gun? Oh, it looks like a power drill. <laughs> yeah, it, what's going on there? It's an electric drill that has the bit taken off the end. And uh, the other thing I don't like about that gun is that it doesn't any any figure that comes with that gun, whether it's Cloud Car Pilot, TIE Fighter Pilot, or Nine Numb, none of them can hold it straight. It always it always clips into their hand at an angle, kind of like the Biker Scouts pistol. Yeah. And so when you when you hold their arm up, the gun is pointed ninety degrees or forty five degrees or some variation thereof, and so they just look idiotic, you know, trying to be in an action moment in playtime. So, uh, yeah, when, when I display my TIE Fighter figures, uh, I usually display them standing next to the TIE Fighter with no weapon in their hand. Yeah, it's not, it's not the best weapon at all. Um, <laughs> Melinda, I want to come over to you uh, just for a moment. Tell me why Michael has such a problem with Return of the Jedi figures. <laughs> uh, well, I think that uh, generally... If I'm if I'm completely honest, I don't think either one of us are the the biggest fans of that film of of certainly of the original trilogy. It's in our opinion the weakest film, and it kind of starts going a little um, younger. I guess is a nice way of saying it. It kind of goes in a slightly different direction, and so I think the toys kind of reflect that. It seems like you know I know there's a lot of speculation about why George Lucas made a lot of the decisions that he made about, you know, focusing more on, on younger children and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, for better or worse, the, the movie just kind of has a much more um, kid-friendly vibe, and the toys kind of reflect that in that, you know, there's not as much guns and, and lightsabers and things that, you know, which is funny because that's what all the kids loved about playing with them. I mean... I hadn't ever really thought about it. I hadn't really ever taken it apart in my mind the way he did, but uh, certainly 
playing with uh, action figures that are throwing rocks and sticks and, you know, things like that is just not nearly as fun. Michael, you don't like sticks. I I don't. I like sticks. I like sticks where they're appropriate. So, for example, if I'm collecting the Conan the Barbarian toy line, which has yet to really exist, or if I'm collecting the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons toy line, or something like that, where wizards or the Lord of the Rings toy line, where you know, you know, if you've got like wizards who have big staffs or something, that would be kind of cool. Right, but but we had we had already firmly established in two previous movies that these characters. Uh, live in a world of uh, of laser guns and frenetic laser battles, and I got really excited by that. And then when Return of the Jedi came around, even and I'll give the movie credit, even the movie had laser battles. It did not have stick fights. It did not have staff staff duels or anything like that. It it had blaster battles and and a lightsaber in the mix. And that was it. So for all of these action figures to come with all these staves, it, it, it just, it was so boring as a child. It's like, oh, another guy with a stick. Well, I won't lose it because it, it's so big. I, 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 you know, I won't, I won't lose it, thank goodness, but I'd also don't like it. I kept, you know, just switching out the few blasters I had between all the different characters I would play with. Uh, I think, I think what it boils down to for me is that, uh, there were a lot of comments on that video where people said, oh, you're just complaining because the, those are accurate to the movie. That's what those characters carried in Jabba's palace. And I said, if that's true, if that's what they were carrying, which they were at certain points, like Weequay, yes, he had that staff that he pushed Luke into the Zarlacc pit with. Fine. But what did Nikto do when he ran to the railing of the, of the sail barge? He didn't start throwing spears at Luke Skywalker. He mounted an auto blaster to the side of the railing and just started firing like crazy. So the whole the whole uh, fight between all these guys was, you know, a, a laser battle. You know, uh, Han Solo grabs a blaster to save Lando from the Sarlacc pit, and the guy's going off with the machine gun. Boba Fett lands on the skiff with his blaster ready to go, and everybody else is just chap. It's like if if those sticks are so cool to everybody then how come they weren't highlighted more in Return of the Jedi? Yeah, and um, I think I really struggle as well with uh, Maydeen's PowerPoint presentation pointer. and Right, exactly. It's like, you know, the Imperial Commander that came out in the Empire assortment, he never carried a gun at all in Empire Strikes Back. He was just an officer. But they packaged him with a Stormtrooper blaster to give him something to do when you bought him as a, as a figure. Well... That's all well and good, but why didn't they carry that philosophy over to Admiral Akbar and General Maydeen? Yeah, yeah, no. it is a good point. So, your I think it's your last video on um, not including the restoration videos. I Caramba, no, I Caramba, sorry, yeah. <laughs> seventeen, yes. uh, which focused on the last seventeen figures. Uh, first of all, congratulations on getting the elusive uh, R two pop up saber. That seems to be the last thing. Everyone gets for their loose collection these days. I think the uh, the pop-up saber itself is probably a lot rarer than people realize. It, it it is, and I didn't realize it either. I thought that I was just by chance holding off until the last one until I realized, oh no, this is going to be a hunt. I can't yeah. believe this. Yeah, there was one on eBay that went uh, in the UK the other day for two hundred and seventy-five pound loose. Wow. See that that was the trouble that I ran into, and and I. I even tried to start dumbing it down where I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be cool with a little yellowing on the sticker. Will it bring the price down? Like, I kept lowering my standards <laughs> to try and get one. 
So, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite the, the, uh, bittersweet moment. Uh, people thought that I faked the, uh, the opening of the box, uh, they, no, I can I can vouch for the fact that he really had that box for a really long time and and was waiting to be on camera when he opened it. Yeah, I, I had that box for over a year and uh, hadn't opened it. And uh, it showed up, and I had to put faith in the eBay seller that he had actually sold me what he said he did because I put it away and wasn't in any hurry. And my buddy Joe, who's been in a number of our videos, he would come over occasionally and say, have you opened that R2-D2 yet? I'm like, no. He's like, how can you sit there and not open it when it's in the house? I said, I put it down in the archive. It's up on a high shelf, tucked away next to a scout walker. I'll get it when I'm ready to do the video. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a bittersweet moment because that means that a large chunk of the quest is over. Well, well, Michael, don't worry too much. You can always uh, start collecting the Mexican variants and the German ones. And <laughs> no, the no, French. no. If, if, if he's going to collect anything, I insist that it's the next thing that I want him to start collecting is the model trim Brazilian. Oh, wow. Uh, because that's – I actually just recently came across that at a convention. And while Michael's not so much into bootlegs and stuff like that, I really love super rare, bizarre things. And I also really love stuff that's made out of metal. Yeah. So. I was just intrigued by these figures. This this vendor at a convention we were presenting at had, I don't know, five or six different model trend pieces. And I was like, what is this? It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And, of course, they're really ugly, but they're they're metal. They're really substantial feeling, and they're they're just really cool. So my, Michael's like, God, they're they're so expensive, and they're they're so – like, how are you ever going to get a full collection? Do you want all of them? Do you just want a couple of them? And I'm like, I don't know, but I definitely want that Princess Leia. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I think that would be the, the next thing that I would want us to collect. Yeah, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they're made of lead. They are. They are. They're made of lead. I think there's like around 35 or 36 different figures that were made in total. Um, and they have, you know, if you're if you're really going crazy you can find them with boxes and everything so (laughs) i just think they look ghastly oh they're ugly but they're awesome so yeah they're better than bendems yeah that's true (laughs) that's true well it's great it was great to see um i'm you know friends with uh, tom burgess from i grew up star wars uh, dot com which is great to see him on there and jake stevens from uh forum to suck us on the video Uh yep um you made a comparison on the video between the advancements in gi joe uh, do you think Star Wars should have gone down that road, even though they, they you know, ne- neglected articulation in the 90s when they, you know, the figures came back? Do you think that that was the next step to take, or was it the simplicity of Star Wars that was so uh, playable and enjoyable about them? I think I, I think you're correct. I think the playability was uh, the simplicity was uh, something that contributed to their playability. I never had a complaint about the Star Wars characters with their, their lack of bendable knees and things like that. I always saw them in two different silos. G.I. Joe just happened to move this way because they were military action men, and Star Wars just kind of was this way. However, in looking at, looking at the decisions Kenner was making with The Last 17 in regards to faltering sales and uh, things of that nature, I felt like, well, if the sales were truly faltering, which I'm sure they were, but Kenner decided to push on for another year of Star Wars toys with the power of the Force line, you would think 
since they were already trying to, as we all know from the in- information that's that's surfaced in the years since, that they were pitching to Lucas the idea of Mongo beefhead tribesmen and sand speeders and the survival of Grand Moff Tarkin with an entirely new expanded Star Wars action figure line that Lucasfilm passed on. Uh, so we know that Kenner wanted to keep it going. Mm. They they weren't they weren't they weren't copping out with these last seventeen in that respect. They wanted Star Wars to keep making sales for them. So why did they make the decision to just make these bum figures with with nothing interesting going on when instead they could have at least tried to bring something new to the Star Wars table with the bendable knees and the bendable elbows, something to compete with what was taking over in the marketplace? It's almost like they weren't even willing to step up to the line with the competition. They just thought. Well, you know, we'll just stick with the devil we know. I love the Star Wars figures from from before that. I love the five points of articulation. I love the way they they stand so well. They, very few of my Star Wars figures really even need a little peg stand. They just they're rock solid. But when it comes to competing with other toy makers in 1985, their Power of the Force line is weak in so many areas. And the articulation thing just happens to be one of them. If they had a be- better character assortment, like I said, then that might have helped out. But it seemed like they checked out on all fronts, and that that to me was the real, the real problem. Yeah, you highlighted you know the problems having the um, Jabba's palace blaster reoccurring. Four of the figures didn't have any accessories. There was four Ewoks in the line. What figures do you think that they missed? I think they missed Grand Moff Tarkin. I mean, if, if some people would say, well, he wasn't part of them, and I stopped them, and I go, they brought out Stormtrooper Luke. Yeah. If they brought out Stormtrooper Luke, then that means that they were going back to mine the previous movies for for characters. And if that's the case, you missed out on Grand Moff Tarkin. You missed out on Han Solo in Stormtrooper Disguise. You missed out on um, uh, a lot of the Cantina characters that were pretty neat. Like, if you're going to do side characters anyway, don't do Imperial Dignitary. Do something like that cool astronaut guy from the Cantina yeah. or one of those other characters. You missed out on other variations of Princess Leia that had not been made, including, and to me, one of the most important, which is her ceremonial uh, outfit from the end of Return of the Jedi. And the slave? Like, I'm sorry, not, mm-hmm. not Return of the Jedi. I meant from the end of Star Wars. But yes, the, the, I heard a rumor, and I've never had this substantiated, that the slave Leia was considered wow. by, by Kenner. I, I, I don't know where I'd find that information again, but I heard a rumor that it was considered and then pulled for... That I don't even think they made it to the prototype stage. I think they stopped it in mid-discussion. But um, there were so many... Mon Mothma was a character who was, who was a rebel leader. General Dodonna, General Rykian, uh, a few more of the, the Hoth troopers... Um, there was just so many side characters. Oh, the Rebel Trooper from the Blockade Runner at the beginning. He was never represented. Uh, there were some of the droids that never got made. Uh, the weird R2 units and some of the weird protocol droids. There were, there were other characters that kids would have so much more fun with uh, that they just skipped. I was like, eh. But, uh, what about you, Melinda? Is there any figures that stick out in your mind that you wish they made, or has Michael covered them? Yeah, I, I don't really know what I could think of that he he didn't mention i mean i i will say that that i'm actually kind of glad they didn't make a slave leia because it's probably my least favorite but uh <laughs> maybe i'm in the minority on that um but but certainly the ceremonial leia would have been really awesome mm. to have but but other than that i mean anything besides a another ewok would have been good in my opinion 
yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I've got I've got to be honest with you, though, Michael. I disagree with you on the imperial dignitary, and this is why. Okay. When I was a kid, I was convinced that that was Mrs. Palpatine. I was like, the Emperor comes home, and there's his wife. I don't know whether it was because oh of the God, colors, or... so true. And I was that like, is, this is I'm never going to look at that action figure the same way ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, Michael. Try and picture it as a Mrs. Palpatine. It might help a little. I, I It actually does help. It, it, <laughs> it's certainly not what was intended, but I'm really glad to hear that imaginations were taking over and making these characters up. <laughs> you know? Well, I'm going to end the first part of our interview with Michael and Melinda there. Tune in next month when the guys give us some hints and tips about vehicle restoration and share some of the techniques that have given them such great results. As always, show your support by subscribing to their fantastic YouTube page and give them a like on Facebook. Emergency! Calling Green Cross Man! Green Crosses? Where do you think you're going, Dumbo? Green Cross. I'm off to get an autograph. When you get to the queue, always remember, stop, stop, stop. Sorry, Green Cross. Before you get to the end of any autograph line, always stop, look, and listen to sense. Think how much you might be prepared to pay for that scribble of your favourite Star Wars personality. If in doubt, before you cross that particular road, may be worth discussing with fellow collectors on the Galaxy's Greatest Collectors Forum on www.starwarsforum.co.uk. Thanks, Queen Quas. How much for your autograph? Just £30. <laughs> Market section this month. I just want to quickly go over, or well, it won't be quickly because you're not going to talk for hours. Um, going to quickly go over the, the Toy Sony influence in the market. Um, there was a, a recent auction by a guy on eBay, and um, I'm not sure if I should really mention his name, but he had about seven or eight uh, figures up carded, and he declared them all as possible Toy Toners. He didn't say they were definites. He said that due to the scandal, blah, 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 they are possible Toy Toners. Now, it was quite interesting because I thought, right, let's, let's see how these go for with the declaration on. But I thought I'd also check to see if these had gone or ones very similar to them had, had sold at auctions. Now, the only way I can find out is using the Vectis auctions. Um, the first one was a Death Star droid, and that originally sold for... £100 just before the Toy Tony scandal broke. And then recently on this auction, uh, so it had been declared as a Toy Tony, it actually sold for £115. There was also a Darth Vader, pre-Toy Tony 120 and then the, pretty much exactly the same one sold on, on this guy's auction for a staggering £222. Not counting the fact that there was also Boba Fett, which I think everyone had actually had a look at it, and had sold for over £620 which is completely mad and uh, I'd like to get your opinion on it guys because this just seems completely bizarre and I'm not really sure if the Toy Tony scandal has had too much effect on 
people buying carded figures, especially things like eBay. I mean, this has been declared, but yet the prices have actually gone up. So, let's start with you, Ben. What do you think is causes it, people not not willing to look? They haven't read the disclaimer. What's going on, Ben? Tell me. Um, not entirely certain that there everybody has made themselves au fait with the situation, and there's still quite a lot of people out there that aren't 100% aware or maybe don't even use the internet for for that sort of research. Not members of forums haven't been involved in uh, in the scandal and are possibly a little bit oblivious. But, having said that, um, all the auctions that recently went up, that guy's auctions, they all had not one or two bids, they had many, multiple bids. So, this isn't just a couple of people getting confused, it's a a lot of people going for it. Well, I think one of the uh, dilemmas that collectors have is you're probably not going to find a more factory-fresh example. They do look absolutely fantastic. I think one of the things that people don't realise, though, is that not all the bubbles are from the factory. There seems to be some bubbles that appear to be uh, only on these type of cards. Well, as you're aware that I don't collect carded items, so I don't really have uh, that much of an interest, but I was talking to Jason on Sunday, and he's uh, suggesting that these carded items are so easy to detach from their bubble. So correct us if I'm wrong, but if the card backs are in such a macular condition, and if we get the bubble off, um, and clean up the glue or the mess or whatever it is that Toy Tony's left. Are those card backs in that condition not worth more than the prices that they're actually paying for these Tonys? Um, I think that's an interesting uh, point, actually, Rich. I don't actually know. I only know of um, three or four examples of a Pally Toy 45B, I think it was, C3PO limbs card backs come onto the market. But I'm not actually sure if there's any examples of factory fresh uh, Paddy toy car backs have actually come on the market it's difficult to say what does seem uh, very strange is the initial hit from this where the price has uh, plummeted some you know as much as a third off uh, that market seemed to have stabilised and started growing again I wonder if it's uh, people are getting used to it and accept it for what it is so you're possibly thinking that a lot of people are not really caring about the fact and, and they're just looking at it and seeing I've got a beautiful example of a carded figure and um, as long as it's the original card back and an original bubble, and not really caring about the rest of it. Possibly, but um, I believe that some of the bubble and card back combinations aren't, aren't correct anyway, and I, I am concerned that some of the bubbles not be, uh, may not be legitimate uh, Star Wars uh, party toy bubbles. Do we um, know if any of these things are still out there in their, in their unassembled form? I mean, has anyone got a box of these stuff lying around? Well, that, that, that's a real question, isn't it? Because all, all that came out was that list. And how much yeah. has been sold off that list? No one really knows. This is why it's so hard putting all the pieces of the jigsaw together because so many of the most crucial pieces are missing. Yeah, because that would be quite a, a goal, Mike. Yeah, not even assembled, wouldn't it? Maybe, maybe uh, 15, 20 years ago, the carded figure would have been worth more. But these days, having uh, unused card backs for any kind of pally toy collector or focus collector would be... Uh, essential, you know, they, that would probably go for more money. I know I'd pay more for an unused 45B uh, Thai Pilot car back than I would do for one that has been uh, assembled post factory. Yeah, because I mean, uh, those. I mean, I've I I paid a reasonable price for car backs, which considering they are just a bit a piece of card uh, without anything actually on them. So yeah, I mean, the, I mean, I'm surprised that they actually haven't come to the fore just as legitimate things to sell. I mean. 
Well, I, th- I think you know that would be so incriminating if if it, if it, all of this is true. I think that that that's a real issue there. What is surprising, I think, I can't remember how much Jason's uh, Boba Fett sold for when he sold it with a disclaimer back in, you know, spring this year. I think he took quite a hit for it, and to see that Boba Fett now selling back to its uh, 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 pre-scandal days is is quite shocking. I mean, that brings up another point. Actually, should should people actually sell if they have a toy Tony? Should should they sell it? What else are they supposed to do with it? Keep it. Well, yeah, but, you know, if you don't want it, I mean, are they supposed to, what, you know, set it on fire or... <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any sense that, you know, you have to keep it now. No one's ever allowed to have it. It just, that doesn't make any sense to me. If people want to sell it, then as long as they put a disclaimer on, I'm sure that'd be absolutely fine. Most of them do put links to forums and to Jason's uh, free webs page. Yeah, the, the, the problem I have with that personally is, is that at some stage someone won't declare it. Well, that's happening all the time, anyway. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, is, I mean, I know that Jason kind of covered this, um, but is there any way you would be you, you would find acceptable to have it marked anyway? Whether it's like a a marker or a small mark or you know something there which you could always tell it was. I mean, would would you be in agreement with that as well, a facts collector? Well, that that that's possible. But if this has been going on for twenty years. It'll be hard, you know, uh, something that's been sealed post-factory from 1992 is probably going to be so beaten up by, you know, being passed from collector to collector, it's just going to look like a vintage card anyway. And it's something that I think is going to keep coming up, up and up and up and take new forms. I mean, I, I, I was amazed by the, the price increase. I didn't expect to see that. I thought everything will be about, you know, 40%, 30% of the price, but not to actually go up. I mean, I know it's only £15 over a space of a year, but that is pretty incredible that... Uh, but even with disclaimer on, you know, people are still bid, and as I said, it's not one or two bids. I think on the uh, the Death Star droid, it was actually quite a few bids. Yeah, it was uh, it was ten whole bids from a, a variety of people. So, well, you know, um, I think maybe some focus collectors could look at it. Like I wouldn't mind getting a forty five B to replace it, but to keep the post factory sealed one, if it is post factory sealed, just to keep that as an example of what it is. You know, it's almost like collecting bootlegs. Well, yeah, I mean, it's quite a, a minty bootleg, isn't it? But you're not going to get a better factory fresh. I mean, they're, they're more factory fresh than the ones that were sold in the shops. Maybe that is. I mean, maybe in time it just becomes part of the the collecting thing. I mean, it, it was you know. I mean, I mean, I've, I've asked friends about this. You know, people who aren't into collecting aren't really interested in Star Wars collecting, but appreciate that sort of thing. And it's funny that how how people obviously the collecting it's a big deal, but for most people they say, well, everything's genuine. And they say, who cares? Now, I know, obviously, what the, the point is, but I think you're, you're probably going to get more and more of that, as, as, as we've said before, new people come into, into the collecting hobby who don't really appreciate the, the, the finer points of collecting. They just want to go, right, well, I want to figure on a card. Oh, it's all genuine. Oh, well, it wasn't a, something in the factory. And they're just not going to care. I really, really believe that. I well, think that's, that's being reflected in those, in those, in those um, auction bids. Well, in 20 years, it will be vintage. <laughs> what are you, are you trying to persuade us that uh, episode one's vintage? Yeah. Yikes. Okay, there's been a couple of well, there's been a lack of auctions the last few months. Um, I guess the, the, this is learning about the market in general. That's uh, certain parts of the year there's absolutely nothing, and then suddenly it seems to be sort of summery times. There's quite a few auctions. There's a complete lack of them in the winter until about Christmas time, and then there's a few sort of early part of the year. Um, so I'm certainly learning about that this year. And uh, sitting out of nowhere came um, Aston's auctions. Uh, didn't have a great lot of stuff. There was a few carded figures. Some, uh, most have been opened 
um, at the top and sort of re- well not resealed but just kind of left so a lot of those went for not a great deal of money you know 20 30 pounds here and there but uh, vectus have returned with a bang um, the biggest thing I've been following on the Vets auction was the, the fan the fan club memorabilia stuff. Now that it was listed back in about August time, but it didn't actually go through to auction and it got withdrawn. It's been put back on again, and uh, that's, that's an utterly amazing collection. Um, but there's a couple of other things that kind of caught the eye. Um, apart from there's nothing massive during the auction. Apart from I think the, the biggest estimate estimated item. Uh, was the uh, the Cantina, or if you're Ben, Cantina adventure set, which seems in reasonable, reasonable condition. Uh, has the figure, including um, Grant's new favourite toy, a blue snail tooth. But there was a couple of couple of odd odd things. There was, um, and I'm probably going to get in trouble now for collectors for exposing this. But there was a uh, Pato Stroke Kenner Star Wars Woolworth special buy, um, and it was a bit strange because it was listed with just the eight figures kind of in a line and nothing else and of course the point of this auction is the um the bags which uh, thankfully mr criddle reminded me of that's where the money is so i did actually contact vector to say well, why are you selling this without the stuff and they were a bit confused and i was a bit a bit worried that and it's it's more of a watch out really than anything else is if people are going to use the place like Vectis, I was surprised at how little they actually knew about what they were selling now i guess some of that is down to the the person selling the item but if I was if I wanted my money and if I, if I was selling something using Vectis, I think either I'd make a bit more point of it or I'd actually check, you know, rather than waiting for some complete amateur like me to actually remind them that that what is actually featured on the uh, the image is not actually what's being sold or, or what the main point of the auction is. So they have actually changed it. As any of you guys come across the the Woolworth special buy, it's something I never really paid much attention to, but uh, it, it does sound it does look a really odd items, just loose figures without weapons sometimes, in little bags, in a Woolworths special buy bag. Grant, you must have hundreds of these. Uh, no, mate, I remember them being for sale when I was a kid, but uh, it's not really much. Yeah, there's nothing there for me. I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, the bag set. But I know they, I think a sealed pack went on the forum about two years ago for about £750. But no, I'm, I'm not, not the one to come to on that one. Sorry, mate. £750 for a bag with a sticker on it? Yeah, it could have been. You might have had two of them. I can't remember. They they are really tricky to come across. It is. It, it just seems an incredible thing that it's just it literally is just loose figures with no guns, uh, randomly placed. I mean, on this one, it's a stormtrooper, hoth trooper, prisoner, cloud car pilot, Luke Poncho, FX7, R5D4, and T1B. It's kind of like a, a bit of a bit of an odd mixture, really. Um, sort of across the films, very odd. Then the second one. Now this has caused a bit of. Uh, debate amongst the podcast team, uh, especially Grant and Ben. Now, this is a, a Palatoy Vinyl Cape Jawa. Um, at, at the start, it was actually shown with the, the bubble and the figure on a card with the nameplate cut out. But as we kind of debated the, the bubble, I, I did send them an email saying, Look, you know, can you send us another picture of the bubble? Because it was only straight on. It looked like it was sort of, sort of half attached, but it actually wasn't. It was actually loose. Now, between you two guys, between Ben and Grant, now Ben, you say that is it is okay or it's a bit dodgy. What was your opinion? No, on this? no, I never said that it was okay. It's, it, it looks a bit fake to you, yeah. How can you possibly tell? It's the correct bubble shape by the looks of things for the vinyl cape Jawa, but that also the cloth Jawa came in the same bubble shape. So you've got no no means of proving that this was ever the correct figure for the correct card. 
you get card backs with bubbles still attached. You get, you know, your card backs and bubbles that have been kept. How hard is it to get hold of a Palatoy Jawa card back and bubble and then a, a Vinyl Cake Jawa and say, well, these definitely came together. There's, there's no proof there whatsoever. What you're buying in that lot is a, uh, Palatoy Jawa card back with a Palatoy Jawa bubble with a loose Vinyl Cake Jawa. You're not buying a, a sealed item. It, it could have been, maybe, who knows? These things, I believe, do exist, but there is absolutely no proof there that that item is all one and the same thing. So I'd treat it as the sum of its parts and the sum of its parts only. Well, the bubble does look like it came with a card because the the uh, the paper is still attached to the, the, the back of the bubble. So they've been really hard to have got that. No, no, no. I believe the bubble and the card um, are one and the same item that belong together. I just don't believe that the Jawa and the bubble and the card all came together. That particular bubble was also released with cloth cape Jawas. So it would have been an early bub it would have been a very early bubble in terms of the design of the packaging. Then obviously the bubble was revised at some point along the line and because the vinyl cape jar was such a short part of the sort of first run of these figures, by the time the bubble started evolving they they ditched the vinyl cape because of the fact that it looked cheap and not premium enough for a figure that was smaller than everybody else, and they'd moved on to different designs of bubble. It is just the sum of its parts. It could be um, that it all came together from the same collection, but there is no way of ever telling. So because you can't prove that point, you can't say that it is or once ever was sealed together. Okay, I mean, the Vectors have actually, I mean, I did email and they, they said that the person selling it had it from as a child, so I mean they haven't put that in the in the actual thread at all. But never mind. Rich, uh, you you seem to like buying vinyl kit jars and lots from Vectors. Um, are you up for this one? I just love the description on this. Um, a Palatoy Star Wars vinyl cape Jawa, nineteen seventy seven vintage figure is an excellent plus to near mint. Although the vinyl cape has a side split from the right arm hole and a tiny pinprick to the back. I mean that's brilliant. That it's absolutely brilliant. But apart from that, it's near mint. Grant, would you pay uh, three hundred to four hundred pounds for this item? Because I know you're after a vinyl cape jar, aren't you? This isn't a vinyl cape jar unless I owned it, and I'd say it's a carded Palatoy vinyl cape jar. One of the issues I have with it is the photo that they've taken um, is the bubble straight on uh, on a white background, and it's essential to see the shape of the bubble to see because the the vinyl cape uh, bubble, I believe, is a lot thinner and a lot squarer. And there's a very similar cloth cape one as well that came out with it, but I believe the vinyl cape one, the ones that came out on the Kenner A cards, was flatter than your usual cloth cape uh, bubble. And then, of course, the, the cloth cape bubble changed again. It had, like, a high-rise part at the top. But it, it would be the bubble would be essential to this. But, yeah, to be honest with you, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with uh, Ben on that. I think that's a good point. It is the sum of all of its parts. You know, if I found it in a toy bin... And uh, it was in my collection. Of course, it'd be a vinyl cape honey toy, but yeah, not really. Okay, guys. So um, that is that is amazing stuff. I mean, it's it's completely thrown me. I mean, I, I know nothing about vinyl cape jars. Uh, not in my collection. But um, so, Grant, will you be uh, bidding on this item? Seeing as you need one. No, I'm skeptical on it. I am, mate. Ben, you gonna take a pot shot? Absolutely not. The um, figure itself is not in very good condition. All the value is in the cape being decent. The card back is not in fair condition. And 
there's no way of telling that they all came together as far as I'm concerned. And Stu, come on, you've just spent you know your child's inheritance on uh, some Greedo figures. What about this for you? Nah, wouldn't touch it, mate. <laughs> and Rich, come on, it's, it's technically a loose figure. You need it, don't you? Nope, I've got a vinyl cave drawer. Um, if I didn't have one, I may, I may have stuck a cheeky bit in, but I would not have expected the card back to have belonged to that figure. Okay, so there's there's loads and loads of stuff on this this auction. I mean, there's there's I think there's around about um, close to about 100 items on. Again, um, I've had a cheeky bid on a couple of Princess Leia related items. Stu, you usually get carried away on these things and bid on ev- absolutely everything. Have you had any anything worth noting? I'm determined to win. Um, there's two Princess Leias on there. No. <laughs> no, mate. I'm I'm going to be watching the auction in the morning, but I have no intention of buying. Any other guys got anything? that you're tempted by I mean the fan club stuff is if I had the money I would definitely be in for that but it's going to go nuts it's, it's got an estimate about £250 it's from the first the first fan club which came which you know the the, the very first UK one which is a, it's an amazing set of stickers badges all sorts anyone else? I've spent up I think I'm done <laughs> Right, now time to welcome back Jason Smith for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready, Jace? Yeah, I'm all ready to go. Okay, favourite Star Wars movie? A New Hope. Favourite Star Wars scene? Oh, that would have to be when the Millennium Falcon comes out of the sun after uh, he's helped blow up Darth Vader in the in the trench. Favourite on-screen character? Han Solo. Favourite part of the prequels? The bits that didn't have Jar Jar Binks in it. Which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? I think James Earl Jones. Favourite Sith? Darth Maul. Padme or Leia? Leia, but in the gold bikini and with the pastries on. Uh, Favourite lightsaber duel? I think it's going to have to be a prequel on this one. The one with uh, when Yoda met Dooku and we saw Yoda kind of spinning around and flying all over the place. That was really cool. Ewoks. Love them or hate them? Um, I've always, I've always been a very firm hater, but I am warming slightly. They are on my, my Christmas shopping list for uh, Farthest From and The Secret Santa, so... Uh, favourite figure as a child? I'd have to say R2-D2. And your favourite figure now? Given it's my focus character, I'm going to have to say 2-1-B on that. Which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? Slave Leia, obviously. Favourite toy vehicle or playset? The Millennium Falcon, just because it's such an iconic ship, I would think. Favourite Star Wars computer game? Rogue Squadron on uh, Nintendo. Favourite convention? Celebration Europe 2. When we all we all drove over in the camper van to Germany, it was just such a great laugh. That has been my favourite. Try logo or Power of the Force? Try logo. Favourite card back? The, the 30B Empire Strikes Back card for the first 12 characters, which was kind of really, really rare, really hard to get hold of. So those are my favourites. What was the last vintage Star Wars toy you purchased? Power Toy 65C Luke Jedi card. U-grading is... A very, very bad thing, so don't do it. And finally, what is your Holy Grail item? Holy Grail item at the moment, I need... There are two... I'm going to say two things here, and they're both card backs. I need uh, a German Empire Strikes Back Lobot for a full set of German card backs, and I need a Palatoy 70A hybrid cloud car pilot for a full set of tri-logo car back. Perfect. Well, Jason, thank you ever so much for your time on this month's podcast. We really do appreciate it. 
No problem. It's been uh, great talking to you guys. Thanks a lot. Let's get some feedback from Rich. Some great feedback on last month's show. Um, most of the feedback comes from the forum, so don't forget, if you want to get in contact with us, guys, podcast at gmail.com, or you can leave feedback on our Facebook or uh, Twitter handles. Um, but it's really, obviously, good to see comments such as, you can tell that we are enjoy- enjoying recording the show, the five of us together. The banter, the humour, the interesting information always comes out, especially when we disagree with each other. That seems to be really popular. Yeah, we don't agree with, with all things. Um, you know, we're five completely different people who've got completely different collecting habits. Um, so, you know, we do want to push that as much, but we don't want to argue for argument's sake because we want everything to come through natural. The interview with Joe was really popular. The amount of feedback we got on that was unbelievable. That was definitely the, the cherry on the top of the cake. And so thanks again to Joe for agreeing to come on our show and we look forward to having you again in the future. We've had some negative feedback, which is good. Um, and it's, again, it was very, very, um, respectful. Uh, perhaps some of the discussions go on a little bit too long. Um, perhaps too much involvement in asking questions and getting too many opinions, which is great and certainly something that we're going to think about. And we had a fantastic email from Lee Pizzy, who was our competition winner who um, really enjoys the show and would like to come on as soon as possible. So, and this is, this is a shout to anybody out there. We do have guests lined up going all the way to March, um, possibly April, but if anybody wants to come on the show, perhaps not even to do one of the big recorded interviews that lasts, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, even if you just want to come on for a 5 or 10 minute um, chat, by all means, just let one of the one of the team know and we'll plenty of in when we feel most appropriate. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the show and please keep your feedback coming in. Tell us what's good about the show. Tell us what's bad because we want to get better and better. Yep, thank you very much, Rich. I just want to say a huge, huge thank you to this month's guests, Jason Smith, for being our main interview, both Michael and Melinda from Retro Blasting Toys. Be sure to check them out as well as Mark Newbold, James Burns, Dan Burgess and Neil for their farthest from interviews. And of course, be sure to check out our Christmas special podcast, which should be out in around a week's time. There's a pantomime written by our very own Richard Hutchinson, as well as the end of year awards. So that is just about all from us this month. So it is goodbye from me. Good night from Pete. Uh, bye. It's good night from Benjamin. Good night and a merry Christmas to one and all. Maybe save that for the Christmas edition. Good evening. No. Goodbye from Grant. No, thanks for listening. Happy Halloween. And goodbye from Rich. Later, guys. And remember. Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This 
podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of Star Wars Forum UK. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email podcast at gmail.com. If you don't like this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Pete, are you still going with the Jason and the Argonauts? Argonauts. Yeah. Good, good man. So we're, we're, we're going to use... I'm going to use a... Uh, a, a well, I'm going to adapt a, um, a still from the, the old Jason and Argonauts. Not, 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 not the new shit one. But... Um, is there any chance you could get one of the Ognauts ironing a mark? You what, sorry? You get one of the Ognauts ironing a mark? Like Toy Tony? Yeah. Sorry, is that in English? You could get an Ognaut yeah. ironing a mint on card. Oh, sorry, yeah, Tony. yeah, yeah. So like, like he's baking... Like yeah. The little uh, Ognauts are like little Oompa Loompas making Toy Tony's dodgy... And Return Oompa of Loompa. the Jedi 65s. He's onto something there because Oompa Loompas are Christmassy as well, so maybe we could put Christmas hats on the <laughs> Ognauts. I can't see why I couldn't do that. Think about it. You'd love to do it. Oh, there's so many good pictures of Jason the Ognauts, the original one. Can you do that with Ognauts? Ognauts. The skeletons with Christmas hats on, ironing mocks. <laughs> and then Jason Smith. <laughs> Looking incredibly skinny and buff. Not signing. I was just go. <laughs> Dude, this is the outtake right now. You you realise that? But Pete being put under pressure with what you're, you're telling him to draw. <laughs> yeah. And can we have the sky, <laughs> the ground, and the ground, the sky? Oh yeah, easy. Well, well, get, getting a good picture of Nugnaut is not hard. So I've got plenty of good pictures of Nugnaut. You got pictures of Stew, so you're halfway there. Could yeah, a picture Stu, of Lobo in the background eating a hedgehog on a skewer? Oh yeah, easy. Stu, if you just oh, that's a good picture. Like a traveller. There's a picture of Princess Leia in her bespin gown talking to Ugnaughts. It's amazing. Where'd that come from? Bespin. Yeah, yeah, but it's awesome though. <laughs> that's, that's the best picture I've ever seen. I want a big picture of that. Leia and the Ugnaughts. Yeah, it's awesome. Instead of them holding the suitcase, they could be holding the toy Tony. Well, no, they well, just have card backs all over the place. Yeah, card backs all over the place. Yep. Lots of card backs. Mm. Yeah, no ironing board. What? You can put an ironing board on there. I'm going with the ironing board at the moment. Oh, there's a, pic- oh, there's a picture of Nugno doing things. What? He looks like he's <laughs> an ironing board. <laughs> but it's oh. got a, it's got a, they've got to make the connection to Jason and the Argonauts as well, though, somehow. Yeah, but if you look at the, uh, you'll soon see it because if you, if you type in Jason the Argonauts, the famous scene with with everyone remembers is the skeletons attacking in that in, the, in that ruined kind of area. That's what we're all gonna do. That background with the skeletons everywhere, and maybe Jason on the top <laughs> trying to beat him off. I could oh, have a lot of Argonauts. Well, I could just have a lot, a lot of Ugnaughts with uh, Carbacks, and he's fighting them off. Oh, I see. Uh, the Ugnaughts.com one. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, just take your pick. There's hundreds of them. Yeah, there's loads of them, isn't there? 
But yeah, it's somewhere around there. The dafter the better, I think. Could you have me? A load of Ugnaughts <laughs> holding another Ugnaught really still on a card back while another Ugnaught's trying to push a bubble over his head with an iron in his hand. No, that's just silly. That's amazing. Could, could you do it? Could you do, like, an entire <laughs> album or a book to, to be released for Christmas? <laughs> yeah, that'd be so <laughs> easy. Jason and the Ugnaughts collection. <laughs> well, you've certainly got lots of ideas there, Pete. You'd be able to smash this out in 24 hours. Oh, yeah, yeah, easy. Stu, if you, you could just get a picture of you doing some mining, I could uh, superimpose the Ugnaught over you. And well, Ben's been doing some mining. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he did look a bit Ugnaughty. I bet he's got a man bag as well. If you put oh, Ben definitely in a pool and leave him there for four hours, if he come out with a little shrimp, that might, that might work. I have got a man bag. It's a, a leather one. Row Allen. Very nice have, as well. How do we know you had a man you, bag? Well, you've given your man bag a name. <laughs> no, 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 it's, 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 it's the make. Row well, Alan. Alan. Alan, where's Alan? It's quite Scottish leather. Wifey, where's Alan? Alan's over there where you left him. Do you have braces hold up your socks, Ben? <laughs> Unfortunately not. I, I, don't like some. Like, I bet it takes you ages to get dressed in the morning. Do you no, have, no, not really. Do you have your pants hold up your stockings? <laughs> do I have what? Braces holding up your stockings. No. Do you wear a gift no. mask while you're ironing? No. Rubbish. Do you not have a man bag then? What? No, I've got one of those uh, 5p the ones. Bag for life, I think they called it. Oh, you've had to be paying five pence a bag for years in Wales. So yes, you know. we're envi- environmentally friendly because we still have an environment. Oh. <laughs> I can imagine Ben has a man bag, Richard has a bum bag, and Pete has a carrier bag. That's how I see. That's how I see all three of you. <laughs>